of the year uh, top 25 here we've gone through 75 other matches so far Brock are you ready are you ready to finally get this thing over with when really like I think because we did it a little bit differently this year it's not as doesn't feel as tiring as years past where we like just marathon through this shit yeah it's not quite as exhausting but I, I still I still f- have felt the need to like prepare for it in I think ways that I wouldn't have in years past. So it's, I don't know. This is always a lot, but obviously we don't want to keep the people waiting here, Brock. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll let you start off with 25. All right. My 25, I think is going to be a match that you have higher than me. If not, I would be very surprised. It's uh the new Japan wrestle kingdom main event. Kenny Omega defending the IWGP title against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yeah. I do have this higher. And this is one of the matches where we were talking before uh-huh. we started. Like I didn't think you'd have this, on your list, so I was like, really right. not at all. I like this a lot. Yeah, but you got like you kind of like didn't mention it after the after the night we watched it. So I was I like, guess. all right, maybe like maybe Brock forgot it. But all right, that's a, that's a pleasant surprise. Um, my number twenty five is a match I know you don't have, but it's Jay White versus Tomohiro Ishii from from the G one Climax July fifteenth. I don't. Yeah, I don't recall if I even got around to seeing this one. Yeah, I, th- I think you'd like it. Uh, so a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about with another Jay White with another Jay White match. Um on my on my list on my list coming up during this installment is one of my favorite things about Jay White is he doesn't try to be what his character isn't. Yeah. And totally. His like his character is a coward who takes cheap shots and likes to very much be in control and dictate how things go when he wants to do things on his accord. But that character doesn't translate into someone who's gonna sit there and try to throw bombs because if he does, he gets sent flying. And that's exactly what happens here with Tomohiro Ishii, Jay White, big scumbag heel, and Ishii, the, you know, just, just, just as much as ever, the big underdog baby face here. And Jay White is really mean and nasty, dismissive of Ishii. And there comes a point in the match where Jay White gets a little overconfident here. And here comes Jay White getting a little too big for his britches and Ishii's forearms just send this dude flying <laughs> and it, so- it sounds ridiculous when you think about it on paper too because Ishii, Ishii is like five foot seven I was gonna say J- yeah like how does like how does the size difference between these guys 
like come into play because like Jay's not Jay's not a huge guy, but I think he works best with guys around his size, and Ishii's like smaller, much smaller than that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously like Jay is much bigger than Ishii. Jay looks bigger than Ishii. Jay's yeah. a pretty like pretty cut up guy. Totally. But Jay, it's so it's like a so it's something you don't hear people say often. But Jay work can work smaller than he actually is. So when you look at Jay. He like he's actually one of the bigger guys on the roster. Sure. Like he he's not as he's not maybe as tall as Okada, but he, as far as people who just look jacked, like that's probably Jay White and then Kota Ibushi on that on that kind of level there. So I could maybe I could maybe see having some issue with someone as big and physically imposing as Jay White right. selling for Ishii the way he does. But that goes with Jay White's character is that Jay White can't sit there and throw these bombs. He's he's weak. He's soft. He's he's not he he doesn't have a tough chin. So he gets arrogant and gets cocky, gets that shit shit eating grin on his face and kicks Ishii in the head and slaps his head and all that stuff and one forearm from this little five seven dude sends Jay flying. And I think and I think that shit rules. I love I love the fact that we have a heel in this great in this great match prestige company that knows exactly what he is and doesn't try to be more than that. Right. And yeah, will he fall into like the typical New Japan finishing stretch run once in a while? Of course. That's just the house style. But more than anyone in the company, I think Jay understands what he is. And that's really and that's really exemplified here in this Ishii match and in another match I have a lot higher. Okay. Maybe I should go back for it sometime. Uh, my 24 then, if we're just going to move right on, is a match from NXT TV. I think their first live episode as a matter of fact it's leo rush taking on oni lorkin in a number one contenders match yeah this is one of the few cruiserweight matches i did see this year and Mm -hmm. this is really fun yeah it was like um it was everything you would expect really uh and everything that i want from these guys like a real uh a real fun little banger but it also had like this nice little twist that we're gonna get into um for the most part it's just this like uh intense hard-hitting fast-paced 10-minute match like kind of dramatic um but not overly so like most of its drama comes from like the 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 natural drama of just like a fast-paced match you know what i mean like an exciting little thing um but it also comes from the fact that like this leans on like some real life situations and emotions but not in a way that feels corny or kayfabe breaking like this match is explicitly um, this is Leo Rush's first match back from his lengthy, like, six or seventh month hiatus, um, and it deals explicitly in those terms. And some of the ways it does so, especially as far as the commentary from Mauro Ranallo is concerned, um, some of that really rubs me the wrong way. But as far as, like, the work in the ring is concerned, um, in, like playing to this crowd that like desperately wants to see Leo come back, desperately wants to see him win this big match, desperately wants to see him go on and beat Drew Gulak for the, for the cruiserweight title. Um, as far as like playing to that is concerned, like this match does a phenomenal job of building that sort of drama. And a lot of that comes from Oni Lorcan, who surprisingly leans into like a heel role here, something that we have not seen very often in WWE. And dare I say, in most of his career like he's all he's always been like yeah. a, a, a an aggressive guy for the most part but like that doesn't necessarily come across in the way of like um of like attacking the crowd you know or like belittling an opponent it's usually just like you know eyes forward headstrong kind of like beat your ass guy but he's not he's never like portraying himself as a villain and here he turns that up a bit and it's like it's another shocking thing that i got from him in 2019 that i i totally didn't expect and it it made for like one of my favorite matches of the year 
Yeah, you 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 touched on the nature of addressing Leo's uh, absence from yeah. WWE TV. And I know that in specific, me, me and you talked about it in that the way of like not acknowledging like the like the company's role and yes. why and why Leo had to take a break from 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 wrestling. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that, so that like maybe maybe more, maybe more so than it bothered you. Like that was a big part of like bothering me and like my mind enjoyment of that match for sure because like on paper that is a, like a great pairing of guys mm-hmm. and something i could have seen maybe sneaking onto my list but I, th- I think a lot of that definitely did bother me a little bit more I, um, I i respect that but at the same time i would say that's sort of like to their benefit like i i think it says more for this pairing of guys that i was able to overcome that yeah and, and get it onto this list uh my number 24, then, is a match that you actually just finished rewatching. It's Johnny Gargano versus Adam Cole from NXT TakeOver 25. Oh, boy. Let me scroll down to those notes. <laughs> you took like notes for this one? Not a ton, but, like, I just wanted to get some things straight. Um, so, I hate, I hated the first match these two had mm-hmm. at, NXT, at NXT TakeOver New York. I completely understood the situation they were in. I, I sympathize with it, but... Uh, you know, pretty much look for call it what it is. Out the blue, two out of three falls. NXT title match that goes like suit that goes super long, and doesn't have any real backstory other than the fact that it's just the, it's just these two guys. Adam Cole's filling in. Like I get it, but it felt like trying to plug Adam Cole into the Champa role when like that moment was supposed to be chomping Gargano when they worked it like they were still chomping Gargano in there, mm-hmm. and. The, even the moment afterwards where Johnny wins and everyone come, and Ciampa comes out, I get it. Ciampa's career almost ended. Legitimately, people thought he might not wrestle again. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand all of that. That doesn't mean that it, like it then like excuses my feelings about the match. We then get to NXT Takeover Twenty Five, and I'm not looking forward to this, but I have I have this show on for more for more for more morbid reasons, and. Uh, it won me over, man. It won it won me over in a way where you look at other stuff on my top 100, like a uh, Okada, and, like a Okada and Sonata, um, and it might not have as be as overt as like I actively dislike Sonata because like I don't have a problem with Adam Cole and I like Johnny Gargano, so it's not as much of an uphill battle as far as like me just vehemently disliking this one person as much as I just really disliked their previous match. Sure, and. To their credit, they work a match that, that, for my money, is completely different than what they do in New York. I think what they do here at NXT TakeOver 25 feels more like an Adam Cole match instead of Adam Cole being plugged in to be Tommaso Ciampa. Okay. It's not Adam Cole being so being as so like dastardly and talking shit to him and trying to act like he's this big mountain for Johnny Gargano. It's Adam Cole just taking his little, taking his little pot shots. Taking taking his taking his advantages, he has some stupid shit that he does that Tommaso Ciampa doesn't do. But you know that's at, but at the end of the day, that's still Adam Cole. And I want to match it, and I want to watch something that still feels like Adam Cole and these guys. Um, there's some arm, there's some arm and leg work here, some dueling arm and leg work. You can say to the extent that Adam Cole doesn't sell it as strongly as the match goes on, but Johnny Gargano, Johnny Gargano sells his leg, oh, like the entire time this match is going on, even as the even as the the match is starting to shift into a different direction, as you get these the suicide dive that Gargano does, and he's actively hobbling, trying to get back to the opposite rope, and that gives 
cold enough time to get a to get a super kick up. Might look goofy, but it still has a nice touch creatively as to where like Gargano's uh, injury slows him slows him down enough to mess with, to mess with them. I I like the touch of Gargano crossing his leg, so Cole couldn't reach over and grab it and twist it in a way to get out get out of the Gargano escape. I I just thought it was a thought it was really effective in ring work for like something of that style that at its worst can look really slow and clunky and goofy. I thought it looks mostly pretty smooth, other than Gargano's hooking super kick, which I always think look which I always think look really looks really weird. Sure. It's about as smooth for this style of match that I think you that I think you'll find anywhere. Um, at the end of the, at the end of the day, like I totally get how it looks weird. How I'll have like this match on here and not the New York one. I didn't see I didn't see the I didn't see the the, the, the was three stages of hell match whatever, whatever whatever the fuck that is. From Tor- yeah, I think it was a different gimmick each time. Yeah, from 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 Toronto, but I think I think I think this was the best worked one that I had seen, and it feels more like who these two are rather than trying to just plug these two in right. to this, to this idea that you had months ago in advance. And it just, it's just a more sincere feeling match. That doesn't mean that I think anyone else should like the second match more, but for, <laughs> for but for me as someone that does like these two guys, like that, that does go a long way for me. Yeah. You're totally hitting it, hitting the nail on the head here. Like, while I also just didn't like the first match that these guys had, I this is these are just not two wrestlers who appeal to me. Um, it was it was funny to to have you specifically mention that like this match looked faster and smoother than like the average NXT Takeover main event does um, because I specifically noted that like these guys I thought these guys looked like so um, so like obvious and unconvincing in some of their especially like their multi part sequences that yeah. it, it felt it felt like they were doing like backstage rehearsal to me. Um, and I can see, see, see that in like the opening like two or three minutes for sure those sorts of yeah like those sorts of like opening sequences especially but like there's later ones early or later on um, like specifically when they're doing like six super kicks in like a 20 second sequence oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, yeah. it was oh <laughs> so much um, but you're right like it, it's it's I would definitely I, I also only saw these first two matches I didn't watch the Toronto one um and of the two, I think this is definitely better. I, I I think it definitely is truer as well. But like, I don't think that necessarily makes this match good in a way that the first one wasn't. I just think that this one is kind of slightly less worse. But let's move on to uh, other things that I enjoy more, such as uh, that was your twenty four, right? Yes, sir. So we'll talk about my twenty three, uh, which is a match I don't think you're gonna have. It's Eddie Kingston taking on Thomas Shire from Heavy Metal Wrestling's Fight Fire with Fire. No, I didn't have it. I did see this, and like I said, I did it for like one of my bottom ten spots, but didn't make, it didn't crack that list. Right, right, right. Um. So more than anything, I would, I, I would call this like a really great Eddie Kingston match. Like it's it, it shows off like the best of what he's capable of, and like what he brings to professional wrestling these days. Um, he's, he's a guy who feels like really charismatic, like larger than life, but not necessarily cartoonish. Like there's, um, there's some like real emotions and like real experiences in there that he's obviously turning up to 11, but it's not, uh, I don't think it ever gets to the, to the point that it's like too outlandish, at least not in this case. Um, for the most part, he's just kind of like affable and fallible, like a, a guy who is 
really good at 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 um at presenting his own weaknesses um and in that way like he's he's also like a really convincing wrestler like i think he's always trying to win the match whether or not he always has the ability to do so um and he like always makes he always makes it difficult for his opponent to do their thing like it's like um I don't know. Like, I, I think he's really, I think he's really great at like making matches look like a struggle, making matches look painful as well, and and all this like comes together to, um, combined for like, I think like a really underrated and unassuming measuring stick for most other wrestlers. Like, in some ways, I would consider Eddie Kingston to be like the world's greatest jobber. Like, he's a he's not a pushover. He's not someone who who whose opponents can just like bowl through. Like, he's he's going to be someone who always makes his opponent fight for everything that they're going to get. But like, he can, um, he can believably lose to anybody. Like, whether it's through uh, a mistake he makes on his own, or whether it's his body failing him in some way, or it's simply just like someone else being better than him. At the end of the day, like he's he he can do like so many different things to like make me think like yeah okay like this other guy no matter who it is this other guy can beat him and is going to beat him um and in this way i think i think kingston was like the best possible opponent to have for my introduction to thomas shire like um based on everything else that i've seen from him in the months since this feels like a kind of a radically different shire match like he's much more of a um of a like a buttoned up babyface here than he is elsewhere elsewhere i've seen him as as more of a heel or at the very least like more um more aggressive and more explosive uh but here with the guy like kingston like he's able to like show off all of his best qualities like his striking his bumping and selling his mat work his ability to um his ability to like keep a match humming along at an enjoyable pace and then like really burst with something big, something that really knocks you on your ass, something that's often like really athletically impressive for a guy his size. Um, and furthermore, like Kingston isn't the kind of guy who's going to show him up in a match. Like he's not flashy. He's not someone who's going to make Shire look like a bump on the log because of his like simple, like throwback offense. Um, Kingston is like, as I said, like really charismatic, really great at selling, but he's not, he's not good at either of those things in a way that's going to make Shire look like a dweeb. You know, it's not going to make him look dull. It's just going to make him look different or, um, more focused. So all this combines to make Kingston into like this, um, we were talking, we, we've talked before about guys like Chris Hero and Walter, guys who are like really good at presenting themselves as mountains to be overcome for their opponents. And I think like Kingston's best quality is that like, he's, really good at not being a mountain but just kind of a nice molehill like something that's that people can overcome that isn't nothing but is um gonna be like uh, like a meaningful win in some way and, and and that's what we get here i think that's i think that's an interesting idea though is that like eddie does give off this credible badass leg- like legitimate aura to him uh-huh. but he doesn't but he doesn't like cross that threshold into like when you beat him, it might seem real unreal. Might might seem unrealistic at points, even that because 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 Eddie looks so good, which is a real testament to Eddie that he's like he's always been a guy that's like really like good with the nuances and little things. That he doesn't go overboard into making himself look like this big tank. All right, what number, what number was that for you? That was twenty three. 
right, 23. This might be a match you have higher. Um, It's Brock Lesnar versus Finn Balor from the Royal Rumble. Yeah, we're going to talk about that one a little later. And instead, we can discuss a Lucha Libre match that uh, I don't think any of these major list. It's Templario taking on Soberano Jr. from the CMLL, CMLL Friday show on October the 4th. It did not make my list, but I remember liking most of these, so go ahead. Yeah, this was like the big... As far as I know, this was like the the most well received one. Um, it was the one that like uh, originally brought attention to this feud, or brought my attention to this feud. Um, and so watching this, and then subsequently watching the rest of these matches that these guys had, of which there were like six or seven singles matches throughout the year in a variety of different promotions. Um, watching all these got me to the closest I've gotten to like watching the Kamatachi versus Dragon Lee series again. Like, if I think back to that, um, I came to those, like, kind of after the fact. I came to those, like, in the day before their first big Japanese match, um, just because, like, when that got announced, like, it was a real last-minute thing, like, Kamatachi just, like, showing up in Japan again and attacking uh, Lee at Fantastico Mania. When that got announced, I was like, oh, shit, like, I should go back and watch these, like, really well-received matches from last year and review them for the blog that I just started up. Like, that would be a cool thing. So I did that in, in like, four hours before the show started. I, like, just mainlined all of these matches back to back to back. Um, And it was, it was, like, a really cool thing because I was able to see them, like, very directly see them changing over time like most of what they were doing was like the same spots every time but there would be like these little changes like these little escalations these little reversals these little kickouts like things things would like ramp up over time or would switch in a particular way to give one guy the win where he couldn't win before um and it resulted in like at least one match that i really really loved like if i think about it today like their december match might be my match of the year in 2015 if i went back and and, and made my list again um, and so like watching these was like watching those again was like watching two young guys, two really athletic guys who know each other well and who trust each other, like throwing everything they can out there, um, throwing stuff that like somehow managed to, to amaze me, which is like a really a big deal. Truthfully, like, um, I, like, I've been watching wrestling for about 10 years now, a little more than 10 years. Um, and I've seen a lot in that time and, Unlike a lot of wrestling fans, I also got really into backyard wrestling. And specifically, I got into like this era of backyard wrestling that I think was abound with creativity. And so, like, I've seen, as far as like spot fast wrestling and high, uh, high flying wrestling is concerned, I'm pretty sure I've seen just about anything that anyone can think of or like anything that is like physically possible to do. Like, I've just, I've been around in the thick of it for so long and have like studied the history of enough things for so long that I'm, I'm pretty sure there's not a lot of things left out there for me to get wowed by, but like these guys with like a specific, um, a specific like Rano reversal spot, like totally fucking killed me. Like did, did some shit that I'd never seen before. And like, I think it's such a testament to this match and to this feud that like, I, I was able to like harken back to something that I loved years ago in that like I was able to find something new in a wrestling world that all of it just seemed so samey to me and, and I absolutely loved it. I'm really glad that, that gave that gave you that spark then. Um I think I'm so like I've watched a ton of a ton of high flying um acrobatic stuff too over my time of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Obviously that you had the like you had the backyard experience with like you know, a whole a whole bunch of a whole bunch of dumb white boys doing weird doing doing shit. It's like you know, it's gonna like it's gonna like it's mostly gonna spawn white some, boys. Yeah, but it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna spawn some stuff. 
And for me, it was that experience. Like I was, I, I grew up watching TNA, like you know. Uh huh. So like I'm watching X Division shit and AJ Styles slide under guardrails. Right. So, like, so I'm in a lot. Sometimes I'm in the same boat as you too. So I, I'm really appreciative of when a match like really knocks you on your ass just based off like the creative stuff they're doing inside mm-hmm. inside that realm. So I'm I'm glad you had a moment, a moment like that in 2019. Um, my number 22, a match that I'm you may I'm not even sure you saw, but I would think you you. Might like might not like it as much because this was this is a follow up twenty year favorite match of the twenty sixteen. It's Kazuchika Okada versus Tomohiro Ishii for the New Japan Cup, March twenty third. I did like this in that, um, or I did watch this and I did at times like this, um, but there was like more than anything, it was just like kind of a bitter reminder of like, oh yeah, I used to like this promotion more. Um, so you may people may remember their twenty sixteen match in the G one. Uh, some people may regard it as the best New Japan match of the year, best sure. New Japan match of the tournament, but the big remaining theme from that is that Ishii beat Okada. Uh-huh. Ishii beat Okada, who's just coming off regaining the belt from Naito, and you know one of the one of the points of contention for a while is that why is Ishii not getting his title shot? Oh, <laughs> sure. Ishii, Ishii should have been getting the title shot. And all that stuff. But if you know, if you like know the history of chaos and everything, like no one ever challenged each other for these for these titles. Like that's just how those that's, that's just how those guys always operated. Um. So here we are again. And something about the Okada Ishii from 2016 that doesn't get talked about is in 2016 Nakamura left in I think what the end of January, February, whenever that happened, and Nakamura Okada was clearly like the best wrestler in the unit but nakamura was still like the emotional and like visual leader when you thought of chaos you still thought of shinsuke nakamura and when ishii came into the fold in chaos that was under the the wing of shinsuke nakamura um yano and yano and ishii aren't okada guys these aren't okay these aren't guys okada brought to the fold guys that okada brought brought into the fold are showing yo will osprey hiroki goto like the so God, that, uh, Goto, like, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. So like that's a, that's a little distinction there is that even though Ishii's a loyal guy, he's not one of Okada's guys. And in the wake of you know Nakamura getting get, Nakamura leaving, Okada's now the le- Okada's now the leader. And I think a part of that 2016 match was Ishii not respecting Okada the way he respected Nakamura. So we so we fast forward now to 2019. Okada's coming off of losing to Jay White. And we're going, and we're going, and we're kicking off this Okada redemption run. Um, Okada beats Mikey Nichols in the first round of the <laughs> New Japan Cup. Goes on and beats goes goes on and beats Will Ospreay in the in the quarterfinal, and comes to meet Ishii again. And it's a lot. It's a lot of the same beats. A lot. A lot of the same. Uh, same tricks they use for they use in that 2016 match, like. Uh-huh. Like like Okada doing his Rainmaker pose and Ishii, Ishii getting up and hitting him right in the shit like you know like like stuff like that it follows a lot of the same pattern but this time Okada is on a mission he's not sleeping he's not sleeping on Ishii he's not looking over Ishii and with this newly focused Okada Okada puts him away and just because it like you know on in, on paper it's lacking that special moment because what made Ishii versus Okada special the first time is because Ishii really just like 
told this guy to fuck off and totally. beat the and beat the golden boy. Like that's a cathartic moment for a lot of for a lot of for a lot of viewers. I think probably you wanted like one of the like one of the reasons why it was such a big moment for you in 2016. And that's not what we get here. What we get is something I think is equally emotionally gripping though, and with Ishii finally respecting Okada. Ishii has come to has come to accept like what Okada is, and even in the years like since Nakamura's departure, Okada is still like gone like has has has, has had to find himself and all these things. And these years later, from their first from their first in ring encounter, these guys. You know, they never, they've never shown any emotion towards each other. These guys don't hug. These guys don't do anything. They're just sort of like in the same unit. But for the first time since the post Nakamura era of chaos, you've seen Okada and Ishii like, you know, shake hands and acknowledge each other. And I think that's a really nice, I think that's a really nice emo- emotional touch that even if it's not the, you know, not the, like the raw emotion of seeing the golden boy of this promotion eat shit is, you know, two guys that are finally coming to, accept each other for what they are and what things aren't and what, and what things are now. And I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like this was, this was pretty good. It was um easily one of the, one of the few Okada matches that I really liked in 2019. Um, and it kickstarted like this next little uh, reevaluation of Ishii where he became a wrestler that I, I can sort of get into again after a couple of years there of like kind of falling off on the guy in a big way. Yeah, what we talked about before is that I always thought it was like sort of like an overexposure thing with Ishii. Yeah, just because like just because I don't think he changed, but sure. like I like yeah, but I totally get like where like I was like like build up and fatigue and uh-huh. growing and growing increasingly fr- fr- frustrated with the with the promotion, how that transfer over, how that transfer transferred over to like particular wrestlers. Like it's a it's a thing that happens, but I, I'm glad you I'm glad that you like this because I know that the 2016 match is going to be something that goes down as sort of like a like a like a classic of the G1, but I think this match still has like really equal emotional beats. Uh, you can move on now, though. Yeah, speaking of equal emotional beats, my next match is a total dream match between Yuki, uh, Yuki Ishikawa and Timothy Thatcher from WXW's Ambition 10. I thought you were going to say Yuki Ishikawa versus Tyson Dukes. No. I People people I respect really like that match. I did, I did, I did go back and watch it, and it's, it's, it's good. It's very, it's very good, but I it's guess. still like... <laughs> you know, but go ahead, man. It wasn't this match, you know? It wasn't like... Um, it wasn't a total dream match, like I said. Uh, not only for me, but for Tim Thatcher, like a guy I love, like a guy I've really gravitated to over the last couple of years. Um, and in just like more than anything else, like getting to see this guy I really dig have a long-awaited match with his mentor and his idol was just like a really cool thing. Um, and then on top of that, this is just a great technical wrestling match. It touches on like the same sorts of ideas that, uh, I was talking about in our last episode with like the, the British wrestling and the technical wrestling. Like it really, um, it really hits on like the theme of how wrestling can evoke like, um, our sense of self as it pertains to our physical forms and things like that. Um, in those matches, like it was, it was kind of like a competitive thing or a, um, or a frustrating thing or a comedic thing. But here I think it's a real positive thing in that, like you have, um, you have the smaller, the older, the, the unassuming looking Ishikawa, like totally bending, uh, Tim Thatcher, a guy who looks like a Greek God into like all these fun little pretzel shapes and like getting to, getting to see him, getting to see him do that for like 20 minutes, um, in front of a crowd that like, it's just going nuts for it. Like was just tons of fun. It was everything I wanted from this and it made for one of my favorite matches of the year. 
Yeah, this is this is one of the matches where I, I, I told this before about how I didn't watch this uh, this ambition tournament right away. Yeah, I kind of I kind of like held it in my back pocket for something I wanted I wanted to watch sometime later on during the year, just because I knew that something like Thatcher versus Ishikawa was kind of a treat, not in like a a way where it's like, oh man, this surefire like top one hundred material right here, but just like. Something that's gonna make you feel good knowing that it happened, like knowing that this thing exists, and like the fact that we got it two times, like yeah. like that's that's incredible to me. On top of like having like Hideki Suzuki versus Timothy Thatcher, and it's like it's like shit that like it's like it's great that it's like really good matches that I enjoy, but it's just like knowing that this shit exists and like that I'll be able to go back years from now and talk about like oh yeah Timothy Thatcher, you know the guy that like kind of like that got shit for being the sort of like catch wrestling and battle arts tribute act well guess what that, that got him yuki shikawa and, and hideki suzuki matches <laughs> um my number 21 is a match you'll have higher it's david star versus jordan devlin from ot from ott homecoming uh, kind of sad that this got so low for you i I, re- I rewatched it and it's 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 really good but I, I i was surprised that i just have stuff that i think i was i was more emotionally into which like is a shocking thing to say for me yeah, and, and that sort of idea is going to tie into my discussion of that match. Um, instead, I'll quickly mention a match that you're going to have higher. It's another thing from OTT. It's Walter defending the OTT world title against Jordan Devlin at Scrapermania 5. Yeah, we'll talk we'll talk about that later. Um, instead, we can talk about a match that I know that isn't on your list, and it's Will Ospreay versus Shingo Takagi from the Best of the Super Juniors Finals. Um, before Before we get here... I got, I got, I got. Do want to ask? Like, did you just, did you watch this live? Like, like, what no. was your viewing experience like for this? Uh, I, I reviewed some stuff from this not too long after it happened. Like, I think it was in July. Um, and I remember watching the first couple of minutes of this just to give it a go. Didn't feel it whatsoever and skipped it. And then maybe a month later, when those reviews finally went up, um, you and a couple of other are. Uh, a couple of our other friends said like hey you should go back for that like you might actually like it and i begrudgingly did so and again just did not like it at all well at least for me it was like a strong might just because like sure i like shingo like like at at, at his core still like just like will like will osprey you know doing his will osprey thing in 2019 (laughs) like like i like i just can't imagine like how far that would have went that would have went for you anyway right but like um, for like for some people, like obviously, like this is like might clean up match of the year mm-hmm. on like on like the v- on like the VOW poll and and all, and all this stuff. Which oh, uh, where did it end up on that grapple poll? I didn't look. At uh, that. I, I think I think it won. Yeah, I'm pretty okay. I'm pretty sure it won. Had like six hundred plus ratings. Jesus. Um, like 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 a, almost like like almost like a four point nine average. Jesus. Um, yeah, like this match could easily clean up. The, like like every match of the year poll that's gonna, that's going to happen here, um, and I see it, I do. Uh, it's for like mod for like modern like junior wrestling. I think this is probably going to be the standard bear. This isn't the, this isn't going to be like what I what I go to here. Obviously, this isn't like my like the highest like I thought of like a best of the super juniors finals that's that's happened that's happened this decade. But as far as like. You know, some people just hadn't really been exposed to Shingo before. Sure, I think seeing Shingo on a big level like that, and seeing the sh- and seeing the sequences these guys were coming up with, and yeah. their approach their approach to that style of wrestling was like like holy shit! Like junior wrestling can look like that, and so so I sort of get like the like the shock that came that came that came with a lot of that. 
for me, still a sort of a dream match is Will Ospreay and Shingo. Shingo, one of my favorite wrestlers ever. Ospreay's been one of my favorite guys of the decade. So for me, I was always really looking forward to this. But it also, it kind of became something that I wasn't expecting it to. And it took the shape of this in this best of the Super Juniors, in the best of the Super Juniors tournament. And like, I think you know me well enough to know that I'm not like one of those, like one of these like super reactionary people that it's like, oh my God, this is the new best match ever. But then like in August, right. a new a new best match ever happens. Right, totally. So like, I'm genuinely saying this in a way of like, this is, this really was like, an all-time great best of the Super Juniors, in my opinion, just because of, like, the booking of it and the layout of it. Where you have Will Ospreay dominating his block, Shingo dominating his block, and not only picking up these wins, but, like, these matches that everybody's going back for and going crazy for. Whether it's Shingo versus Dragon Lee, whether it's Shingo versus Sho Tanaka, whether it's something like Shingo versus Yoshinobu Kanemaru. And then, you, then on the opposite side, you have, like, you know, Will Ospreay and Bandito, Will Ospreay and Rocky Romero, Will Ospreay and Yo. And just as this as the tournament's going on, it's just building and building and building to like, oh shit, like the best wrestlers in the world. Not just in the, not just in the promotion, not just in the junior division, not just in this. It feels like the best wrestlers in the world are about are about to wrestle here. And it feels like a statement. It feels like um as in, in the um with the with the super with the super juniors finals taking place in Sumo Hall, it feels like a big statement of the juniors aren't just like this secondary act here the juniors can headline the juniors can do this and it was legitimate star makers for both shingo and will osprey and shingo was already a big name like shingo was you know like multiple time dream dream gate champion you know popular in the states everything like he's a guy that was that's well known and i think will osprey's had to rise up and like sort of like earn his earn his keep there but just watching it and i think it's like really excellent bomb throwing junior heavyweight wrestling but i think the legacy of that match is how it is how it's gonna make is how it made both of those guys stars and how throughout the course of that tournament they really built to this big final clash of the titan sort of thing and i feel like that's sort of that's probably like sort of an aspect of it that even the even the most ardent fans of this match haven't talked about just how good of the build was and making it feel like this big epic thing um and how well that worked out. And for me, that is the main appeal of this match. Some people think, some people may think that Shingo bullied Osprey into, into doing like, into doing harder forms and, <laughs> sure. and, and stuff, which I don't agree with at all because I watched the rest of the Will Osprey's matches and, you know, like that's sure. what he's doing all the time. <laughs> but like, it, it's, it's really well built. And I think for me, that is the biggest part of why this match succeeds the way it does. Okay. I just yeah I'm just I'm super not with you there, but uh, to each his own. Um, and instead, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about a match that you also just bounced off of completely. My number nineteen is the team of Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham taking on Lifeblood, which is Hot Sauce, Tracy Williams, and Mark Haskins in a thirty minute Iron Man match from ROH Masters of the Craft 2019. I mean, I like I like the guys involved. Had a, had a had a previous match of their own, pre- previous match of their own, of theirs on the list. I think this is just um, thirty yeah. minute Iron Man, thirty minute Iron Man tag is just you know hard to work. Yeah, I'll I'll mention that in a second. Um, but first of all, like I, I feel like I'm gonna say that a lot tonight. Be like, okay, I like this match because blank, and the, but then also like I'm gonna like a lot of my notes are shaping up that way. Um, but yeah, like I I'm a big tag match guy. 
Like I love tag team matches. Like it, it hits on like a lot of the, the the points and the themes in professional wrestling that I like the most. Um, like if you if you offered me just like without actually seeing who was in them, if you said like, hey, do you want to watch a singles match or a tag match? I I would go a tag match nine nine times out of ten. Um, and this was just like a great tag match, so I liked it a whole bunch for that reason. Pro- probably the best tag match of the year. Um, and I understand like your qualm with the gimmick, like an Iron Man tag is something that, especially in theory, sounds kind of wonky and could could lead to a lot of bloat. But here, I think these guys pulled off really well. Um, in that like functionally, this is just a two out of three falls match. Like they don't go overboard that you in in the way that you see with a lot of Iron Man matches. They're not you know pulling off like four or five pinfalls each in a thirty minute setting. Like they each get one fall um, in the final ten minutes of the match. I want to say, and then the last like two or three minutes is them both scrambling to get the second fall in this. Um, I don't think I mentioned this was the number one contenders match too. Like these guys would get a shot at the. I think the ROH tag titles, either that or the New Japan tag titles. I forget which. It was a sh- it was like this was for War of the Worlds. This was leading into that, um, and so like because because this is this both essentially like turns into a two out of three falls tag, and there's also like this looming threat of the time limit. I think this ends up feeling a lot more like a sports event than a wrestling match. And I think that is like a really interesting thing. Like you're really, you're always conscious of the fact that like time is ticking down and like, um, (laughs) we've talked a lot about the NFL playoffs so far in this podcast series. So I might as well bring it up again. Um, like those just wrapped up or I guess with the Super Bowl coming up, it's going to be wrapping up. Um, and like with those games, like a lot of them came down to the wire and it made them more exciting because like you were like you always had all of the information on the screen at all times like you always knew like okay these guys have to get a first down here in order to maybe score and have any chance of winning this game or maybe tying it up and like that's that's something that is always like front of mind um in a way that like you don't necessarily always get in in wrestling matches like you often get um the ring announcer like declaring oh there's five minutes left but it's not like this timer on the screen that you're you're always seeing um in an iron man match like this like you totally do get that and i think it it changes like it changes like your perspective of what's playing out in front of you because it changes how these guys work like these guys are explicitly working as if like oh shit like we only have a little bit of time left and like we have to get this done right here right now or else like we're both going home or all four of us are going home unsatisfied and it's like some people like yourself included might see that as kind of like a restriction or just like a weird unappealing rule um in the same way that i think a lot of people disliked the roh pure title back in the day um but like i like where people see restriction i see specificity like i i think this match like specifically pushes towards um one type of drama that we get often in wrestling, but it changes like the perspective on it. And I think that's what the pure rules did. Like it, 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 it gave you more information. Like, okay, like this guy is down. Like this guy doesn't have any rope breaks left and his opponent has two rope breaks. And like, he's in the submission hold. Like you, you get all of this information, all the specificity that you would get in say an American football match. Um, and I think it makes it all the more exciting as opposed to just like, Oh no, is he going to be able to get out of this hold? Or like, Oh no, can he kick out of this move? Like it, it gives you, it gives you like more information to further invest yourself into the thing. And like it, it made 
like it turned into like a tag it, like it made uh, a tag match that i was already really into like even more appealing um it's not it wasn't more so in the way like i thought the gimmick was a restriction i just didn't think they worked it very interestingly sure it, uh, because so, because it it turned into just basically a two out of three falls do you think that's it um I just don't think they used the. I just don't think they used the time very well. Honestly, okay. like like not even not even like a layout thing. I just don't think the work felt as um as urgent, even as like a even as like their singles falls match did. I hear that. And like, it just it just didn't hit me that way. But I, I like the pure title. I like I like all the stuff that you're right. that you're putting down there. Maybe on rewatch eventually, like I'll, I'll see the I'll see these things you're saying. But I just didn't think they were very interesting in the work mm-hmm. more than anything. Um. So my number nineteen then is Sari versus Dash Jisako from Sendai Girls, July 7th. Yeah, and I had this back up in the 50s, I want to say. Right. Um, so I was I was really excited for this when, mm-hmm. the, when, the, when this got announced, just because, obviously, like, Sari is really, like, you know, if you've been watching her for, like, for her career like, mm-hmm. last few years, like, she can be extremely fast and, and, da- and dazzling at times, on top of having, like, that violent streak to her. Mm-hmm. And... Dash Chisaka was sort of like the older version of that, where, mm-hmm. you know, Dash in, her, Dash in her younger days was, you know, really, really fast. And as Dash got older, that na- that nasty streak started started to come out of her more. And, f- and for that reason, I was super into this, and I got exactly what I wanted here. This is at no point at all. Um, does it does it lose my does it lose my interest at, at several points as it makes me, you know, make a whole bunch of faces and noises at the at the at, how, at the way they hit each other in the mm-hmm. chest and and the slaps and just the nastiness and pettiness that that they work with here um as far i have maybe like one like one more match here that i would say doesn't like that doesn't drive off of um doesn't really like drive off of a, off of a singular emotion or a clear narrative like clear narrative story that like, like that, that was overarching for like you know sure. months at a, months at a time or weeks at a time but as far as just like pure raw enjoyment of a match, the first the first time I saw it, and it just capturing just capturing me and uh, be one of the most memorable matches I saw all year. Uh, I, Sari versus Dash Chisako is is certainly up there. And if it was just like just like a raw like what the fuck did I did I did I just see kind of thing, this might be like top five. But as, but as I but as I rewatched it, um, certain stuff I think emotionally stuck with me more. As I as I went back, and this fell a little bit at one at one point. This wasn't this was a top ten match for me. Wow! But um, yeah, at, at just raw enjoyment level. They beat the shit out of each other. It's mean, and I just love I love the characters involved, and I just couldn't have asked for anything better here. Yeah, it's like a hell of a banger. Um, and it, it like I did for it being in the fifties for me. Like it's not a match that I dislike necessarily. Um, if anything, I guess like it falls into this like tradition of just like go, go, go spot, spot, spot sort of Joshi wrestling uh, that I'm sort of not into, but as far as that tradition is concerned, this is certainly a great match in that respect. Um, and yeah, like I, I liked it a whole bunch. It was like super energetic and in tons of fun to watch these girls just go at it. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's, it's a thing that at the time I was like super enthralled by. It's like, when I like when you have like those early like I remember um in specific like uh what what, what the fuck would it have been it was like that Will Osprey versus Wild Boar match from mm. from Attack with that awesome Last show year. name Dear yeah. Marie Attack Me and you know you know the show name real, yeah. real great name it's an awful um, name <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you're not even like an all time low guy 
Yes, I am. I like, I like all the time, though. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> you, give me all, you give me all sorts of shit for the pop punk shit that I like, and then you like this? Come on. Okay, so maybe like is a stretch, but like, okay. they're local and I've listened to them before. Are yeah. they local? I don't think I knew that. Yeah, they're from like, uh, Towson. Like, okay. like, yeah, around here. I'm going to pretend uh, to know where that is. Yeah, he just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... But yeah, like it, it's sort of like that where early in the year, just like that, like really just knocked me on my ass for sure. how just cool I thought it was, and there's room for like just thinking shit is cool in wrestling still. You know, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So, so like, so, so it was something like that that eventually like dropped down my list here, and I think it's a, it's a similar case here where it's like it's still cool as hell, but eventually other, but when when I do stuff like this, like stuff that's more emotionally uh, lasting, is what is what'll like stand out on my list. Mm. Uh, next up for me, number 18, is a match between a pair of relatives, a father and a son. It's Dasher Hatfield versus Boomer Hatfield, and a Lucha de Apuese this match from Chikara's Anniversario Scotch Mist. Last minute cut, and it, and it broke my heart to do so. Oh, I, 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 I love this, though. Breaks your heart. I love this match. <laughs> yeah, this was this was really, really good. Um, more than anything, I think I'd describe it as, like, effective. Like, it's it's really convincing as a fight. Um, convincing as a struggle in a way that like a lot of chikara matches especially the last few years have sort of struggled to do um and there's like in in that vein like there's some rough moments here but like all in all this is like this was probably the best example of that hybrid chikara style that we saw in 2019 um and it illustrates it illustrates specifically how a guy like boomer who is uh, if you've never seen these two like dasher the father is kind of large like a little over six feet like real well-built guy probably the most well-built guy in the company um and boomer is much smaller like literally half his size like a little twig of a guy who's oh, i think only like 18 or 19 it, re- it really fits the whole father child dynamic <laughs> totally it do- like physically like these guys could not be more father and son um and it like this match does really well to illustrate how boomer like this like diminutive rookie no less could like hold his own against like a much larger much more experienced opponent who is also his dad and like the world champion in this company um and so like the match is effective in that way and it also is effective in getting across a story like a a six months feud between these two um like selling this relationship between father and son in a way that like might seem sort of silly or convoluted on paper but like when it plays out in the ring like it's it's a tale as old as time you know like it's a father disciplining his son it's a son like pushing against the ways the older ways of his father and things like that um something that is like honest to god not that common in wrestling like I we get i can't i can't think of it like yeah ever happening like really. there's a lot of there's a lot of brother versus brother stuff in wrestling and maybe some cousins and i guess there's probably some like nephew and uncle stuff but like father versus son doesn't happen a whole lot um and so like for that reason and to again tie into this idea that it's a really effective match like it really gets this crowd going like at several points here you see people just like literally leaping to their feet to point out when dasher is cheating to win this match to win like this like a really momentous match a mask versus mask match um and like that sort of thing is just always like tons of fun to see and it's ultimately like i think the best like the best compliment that I can give this match is it's so effective that it like it won over some of like the most ardent naysayers of Chikara wrestling, um, including our friends over at Sequin de Caida. Like they watched this match and were really impressed with it so much that it ended up on their 2019 match of the year list in like the top 40, I want to say. 
Like, and, and like if if those guys who have never been Chikara fans by any means, like I think the last time they even watched a Chikara match was like 11 years ago. It might have been like the 2008 Kingston versus Shane Storm match. Like if it if it won those guys over, like I think it's really something special. Yeah, th- th- this this is definitely a match that um even like Z- even like the Zach versus Quack stuff that Chikara that Chikara was running a couple of years ago. Even me, like you know, super big Zach fan. Totally, those weren't matches that like came that came anywhere close to sniffing my top one hundred. But this match at one point was on my list, mm. and I, th- yeah, I think and I think that does that does like say a lot here, and that's as big of a compliment as I can give it. Mm. My number eighteen then is a match you mentioned earlier. It's Daniel Makabe versus Jonathan Gresham from three to one battle. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is Battle Mania. Okay, yeah, and I had this. I think somewhere in the sixties. Uh. When I first got introduced to Dan, you know, hmm. via, like via you in, 20, in 2017, it was, um, it was, it was funny seeing this guy that I'd never seen before. And it's like, it's a, in my opinion, it's a career Timothy Thatcher performance, hmm. but this guy that I'd never seen before just, you know, didn't look like he was out of place. Mm-hmm. Just completely seemed like he belonged. And again, I'm, I'm still new to this guy. But as I'm watching him, and as I'm watching like the way he finishes, the way he finishes Tim off with this with this seed academy mutilation, I'm like, holy fucking shit! Like, is this like secretly some amazing wrestler? <laughs> like, who is this? Yes. <laughs> um, I, you know, obviously, yes, he is. And as time as time went on, I I keep wa- I keep watching Daniel Makabe, and he keeps getting these really interesting matches. Whether it's a a Timothy Thatcher again or 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 Negro Navarro, mm. um, getting getting to make his his uh his um you know debut in the southern re- in the southeast region of the United States, facing uh Jake Parnell um Jake Parnell now Warhorse, mm. um, just seeing as this as this stuff went on and obviously watching watching Dan in three two one and you know he's been he had been that for a while as the you know the three two one ace yeah but. Getting to just watch him month in and month out face Scott Henson and Caden Talbain and Artemis Spencer and B Boy and everything is just starts growing to me. It's like, man, like who's the next person that's gonna give Dan like this big shot here? Right. And you know, dream match, dream match stuff. You know, I want to see Dan. I want to see Dan versus Zach. Mm. But obviously, like at, at, at that point in time, as Dan is blowing up, like the window for that is. Is closing due to due to Zach's New Japan schedule getting increased, but one that always seemed very feasible, and one that was so feasible that it almost that it almost got like it almost happened in other places is yeah. <laughs> almost you know Dan- myself. yeah <laughs> you know like Daniel like Daniel Makabe versus Jonathan Gresham uh-huh. uh Gresham you know this big this big nerd that had, you know that that saw that saw this all saw all this hype and mm. everything and Gresham pays attention to everything. So they get Gresham to come over to three two one battle in you know, for his, for the short time I've known I, I've I've known Dan as a wrestler, it is a dream match for me. To see him to see him get to be able to be able to go out there and test his medal again versus these guys. And you know, for a guy that where where his first match I saw from him was Timothy Thatcher, mm-hmm. there was still this idea around Dan that he's like this, you know, he's like some sort of, you know, pet project or that he's like um 
you know, just like, you know, just like some deep, some deep web, like favorite, favorite of favorite of like 15 people that watches matches or whatever. And to me, I think this, I think this was the match. I think this is the performance where like, you can't say that anymore. You can't watch this guy wrestle Timothy Thatcher and then, and then wrestle Jonathan Gresham and not feel out of place once Hmm. and then keep, and then then still attach yourself to this idea. Because if you want to talk about how crafty and smart Hmm. and sound and creative Jonathan Gresham is, Daniel Makabe is every bit of that here. You know, the, obviously these these guys are fr- are friendly. They probably t- talk like talked about what like what transitions and stuff they're gonna do. But they're they're gonna do before this match even even happens. But the shoelace spot here is fucking brilliant, man. Mm-hmm. And it's some it's it's the kind it's the kind of shit that yeah, like you associate that with like the quote unquote like you know smart technical wrestler of the world. Your 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 Greshams, your hot sauces, your Thatchers, and Haskins and Gulaks and Zacks and all that. But Daniel Makabe. This guy that two years ago people didn't even know mm-hmm. absolutely belongs in that conversation, and there's no real story here. I mentioned I mentioned in Dash versus Sari how it was one of the only matches in this tier for me that didn't have like some sort of story attached to it, and this doesn't either. It's not like these guys have like some storied history or some series of matches going on, but for me, other than being like the best and crispest, I think um, like te- technical wrestling you'll find anywhere in the world all year. I think this was the stamp. This is the flag that Daniel Makabe is for real. And that we can keep at, we can keep at, we can keep acting like this is some, hmm. some, uh, some elaborate job to, to push someone into stardom. But at some point you have to acknowledge that some pits that some, that people might actually believe this thing. Yeah. And I think that, I think, that, I think this was the match that proved that he's, he very much is one of those guys that deserves that stamp. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. Like, I, I didn't have this match so high as you did. Uh, I think in large part just because, like, I kind of, I think I kind of prefer Dan in those story-driven matches, like those matches with Thatcher where he can, um, where there's, like, an obvious hook and then it proceeds or it escalates over time with repeated uh, repeated rematches or um, something like the SCI where, like, he can he can, like, tell a story to some degree, like throughout his tournament, throughout a weekend tournament, I, I think I like Dan the most in those sorts of settings. And sadly, that's not what, what we get here. Um, but we still get tons of like amazing grappling and, and like the stuff that you said, like the, the, the spot with the bootlaces, just like feeling so fresh and fun. Like the, pa- the pace is insane. They go, they go like sure. four, they go like 14 minutes. And they put a lot in there. Yeah. And you, and you watch it and it's like, like what the like what the fuck that was fourteen minutes mm-hmm. and it's not and it's not in a bad and it's not in a bad way at all like I felt like it dragged mm. it just they just kept going in a, in like a in a nonstop pace that it's like the fact that you crammed fourteen that you crammed all that into fourteen minutes and all of it is, is of substance too it's not just like you went up there and performed, and performed a lot of fireworks mm. it's all stuff of substance in there in fourteen minutes and that like that's a hell of a feat totally and and like even if it didn't make like this top tier of my list like it still made it on to my top 100 matches of the year. So it's it's definitely good on some level. Um, also good is my number 17, which is another tag match in another grappling match, as it were. Comes to us from the Hard Hit Show on December the 30th. It's Yuki Nakai in Minoru Suzuki facing Yoshiaki Fujiwara in Yuki Kondo. I didn't see this, but I but I was wondering because I imagine that yeah. this would have that this would have found a way for you. <laughs> yeah, were you were you waiting for this before yes. before you finished your list? Okay, just wanted to make sure. I as soon as I heard this got announced, I was eagerly waiting for it. And when it finally did come out, when it did air, 
Like I sought it out as, as soon as I could. Um, this ended up being the last thing that I watched for for this list for 2019. Um, and it immediately shot up like real high into the teens. <laughs> um, and it's, um, I should probably explain who Yuki Nakai is, um, uh, because like, he's not someone who has a lot of experience in professional wrestling. Um, moreover, he's like a, uh, an MMA legend, like a guy who was, I think trained by Satoru Sayama, the, the original tiger mask in the Shuto promotion, arguably the first, MMA promotion dating back to the like the late mid 80s um and he's a small guy like even by Japanese combat sports standards like he's a fairly small dude um but was always like clearly incredibly skilled like an an incredible mat worker somebody who can like flow in and out of things like just no one else in the world could um and in particular he has this one showing in the 1995 Valley Chudo tournament in which he makes it all the way to the finals, defeating opponents who are like 50 pounds bigger than him, 50 pounds heavier than him, and holds his own in the finals against Hicks and Gracie, who was then at the time like quite, quite believably the best fighter in the fucking world. And he does all this despite the fact that in the first round, incredibly dirty Dutch kickboxer Gerard Gordeaux legitimately and permanently blinded him in his right eye and like it's it was that sort of performance that it didn't even come out until years later like he and sayama like kept it hush hush for fear that like if that sort of news got out that it would kill the sport immediately um but like that sort of performance like instantly put him into like a legendary status that he still enjoys here 25 years later and so as soon as as soon as I heard that he was going to tag with Minoru Suzuki against Yoshiaki Fujiwara and Yuki Kondo, Kondo being a pancreas guy as well, um, I I knew I had to see it. And like this is, I mean, all these guys are over fifty. I think I think Kondo might be a little younger. He might be in his late forties. Um, so like these guys aren't going at it like tooth and nail. Like this is not the sort of stuff that you might have expected from these dudes in the nineties, but it's still, it is still such a pleasurable match. It's a really crowd pleasing match. Like, um, each of these guys like square off in short little burst of, of like some incredible technical wrestling, but like mostly they allow their personalities and their connection with these crowds to carry most of the weight. Um, as well as like some fun striking, some like really mean striking at certain points, you know, this is a Fujiwara match. So, you know, he's going to like, crazy old man is going to headbutt the, the ring post <laughs> like the hardest way possible. Um, so you get all that and it goes to a really fun 20 minute draw in which Suzuki is really playing up his abilities as just like the biggest prick heel on the planet. So much so that like, he's even drawing the ire of Kyohei Wada, the referee. Um, and the match goes to this 20 minute draw where Suzuki's, in, or in the ring getting two heel hooks applied to him by both Fujiwara and Kondo and he's yelling at Nakai to come and save him and Nakai's just like oh fuck you you're such a dick like I'm not gonna come and save you and like luckily he gets saved by the bell but Suzuki's so pissed off by it that he's like okay if you're gonna act like this why don't we switch partners and we go to a five minute <laughs> recess and so they go and start off the match again and the two of them go at it and it's amazing but then eventually um, before long, it just turns into like a three-on-one beatdown on Suzuki, and the crowd is just loving it. And Wada's joining in, like telling him to fuck off whenever he's like, "Hey, there's three guys attacking me currently," and it's, 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 it's just perfect. 
Like it appeals so directly to what I enjoy in wrestling and specifically like what I enjoy in, in wrestling history and combat sports history. And it's just, it's something I never thought that was going to happen. And, and when it did, I just had to see it. And it was, it was everything I ever wanted. Yeah. This this sounds like a thing that that, that I've I've very much enjoyed too. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Like like everything, everything about it sounds super interesting, but I know that you were like, really keen on making sure that you that you caught this before before the before the year was out so um but i would have one that i believe you saw uh i don't know if you said it yet but my number 17 is arisa nakajima versus nane takahashi from seedling november 2nd i did see this and um sadly i did not care much for it so you're gonna have to take it away um now both of these women had been around like years before seed before seedling uh, mm-hmm. got got off the ground in 2015. Um, Nakajima, big like, Nakajima, big uh, JW, big in JWP. Nane, Nane Takahashi dating back to like nineteen, yeah. yeah, like nineteen ninety four. Um, you know, all, all Japan's women's wrestling, uh, yeah. arson, all all that stuff. But as seedling is getting off the ground in twenty fifteen. These two women are synonymous with it. I think they they they've both worked seventy four matches in their in their promotion. Um, and another and another big thing here is that Arisa Nakajima has never beaten Nani Takahashi, mm-hmm. and that that's a that's a big that's a big part of this is that these two women these two like uh, cornerstones of this company and Arisa who's Who's much who's much younger than who's much younger than Nane is that mm-hmm. she still hasn't quite climbed that mountain, and this match between them is a uh, there's also I think it's also a, it's also a title match and also hair versus yes. hair yes and so there's there's so much on the line here, um, and in the way of like a big a bit like a big, like a big uh, lucha de apuestas match coming 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 from Mexico I think like. More than anything, like the emotion and like story is what really reels you in here. Is that I love this match for what they do here. I think they beat the shit out of each other. Mm-hmm. I think I think that it's really mean and nasty and aggressive. And I think they do work urgently. I don't think it's worked like uh my like like my life is on the line, my career is on the line. But but I do think there's a there's an urgency in how they're doing this. Um, especially compared to previous matches they've had. Um, another one in 2019 they had before this, a 2018 match that was super well received. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is noticeably a little bit, a little bit more care in how, and how they approach this. But I think the overwhelming story of, uh, seeing Arissa finally, oh, finally overcome this, uh, this last, this last big hurdle in her, in her career mm-hmm. and the, the emotion of the post match and, not and Nane just sitting there, completely stone faced, fighting back tears as mm. she as she as she's getting her head shaved, and Arissa standing there in the corner. Is you know, a lot a lot of the time Lucha de Apuestas gets um gets so obviously it gets associated with with Mexico like the art of like wage like wagers and betting and bet and betting and wrestling, but obviously that go that goes beyond Mexico. Whether that's like silly like silly bets in uh. And you know, and you know, in 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 the in the U.S., like, oh, someone's gonna get tarred and feathered, or <laughs> you know what I mean, or that hurts um, though. That's or, not, that's not too silly. Or or or, or Dragon Gate with unit with unit disbandment matches, or um even going back to 1992 
with all, with all Japan women's and Manami Toyota and Toshio Yamada having a hair versus hair match. Right. And I think well, like when I approach it that way, that I think like the idea of like a lucha de apuestas goes like like transcends mm-hmm. the like of the idea of it, of it just being in Mexico. Like this is the best lucha de apuestas I've seen in like two years. That was that was outside of Mexico. You know what I mean? It's like uh, it's these it's these two women fighting for. You know, the, like the fabric of who they are, fighting for the fabric of this company that they both have been such integral part of, parts of. Mm. And I think that's a real, and I think that's a really gripping story. And I'm kind of surprised that it didn't do more for you. Yeah. Um, I mentioned it kind of earlier. Like, I, I think this sadly just falls into like a style of Joshi wrestling that doesn't do a whole lot for me. Um, and I recognize, like, I certainly think of this more highly than I do, uh, like a match that you mentioned a second ago, Manami Toyota versus Toshio Yamada. Um, I think it is way better. Like, there's way more in this that appeals to me, and I and I do like these two women. Like, they've had several matches over the years, not just with each other, but elsewhere, uh, that I have enjoyed a lot. Um, but this one, like, I I watched it after it had been hyped up a little bit. Like, I watched it not too soon after, or not that late afterward. Like, only maybe a week or two. Yeah. Um, okay. And it just it didn't feel like it didn't feel like nearly so uh, nearly so hard hitting as people had said, or nearly so mean. Like, so much of it just felt like two people no selling what the other one was doing to do another slam that I didn't enjoy. And it, and it just really kind of let me down this way, but like it, there's, I mean, there's definitely stuff in that that I like a lot of, a lot of good striking from what I remember. Yeah. And there's, um, you know, like you, how, uh, you had this, you had had uh, that, that hard hit tag penciled in for, mm-hmm. and that was going to be, you know, more than likely going to want to be the last thing you watched yeah. for this for 20, for 2019. And this is the same way I did this. I didn't, I didn't watch this as soon as I came out. Um, if I did, I probably would have. I might have been a little. I might have been let down a little too. I can see what you're saying there. Maybe with it getting hyped up a little bit too much. But yeah. as I watched this, um, about a, about a month and a half after the fact, going going into this, like I I didn't have any of that like that stuff like uh floating around for me. So uh, I, I think I think that's very I think that's very valid though. I just thought like maybe like the uh. I think you're a big post match guy, so I thought was maybe like the like the post match and all that stuff would like maybe like put like push it like push it towards uh something for you, but uh. No, I, 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 get, I get why I didn't. Um, you can go ahead, though, with your next pick. My number 16 is a match that I'm sort of surprised you hadn't brought up yet, uh, though I don't think you're going to have higher than me. It's a super fright from, a number, uh, from another WXW Ambition tournament, this time the Wild Card tournament. It's Timothy Thatcher versus Oni Lorcan. No, I liked it, but I didn't like it nearly as much as, other, as like a lot of our friends did, I think. Wow, okay. Um kind of don't know what to say about this one like what is there to say it's it's just it's, <laughs> yeah it's two guys who are great at beating people up and who are great at being beat up beating each other up like it's that's all it is like it's it's um it's everything that i'm looking for from this matchup furthermore it feels like like these guys hadn't faced off in years because oni's been in the wwe um but it feels like they haven't fucking missed a day since 2014 or 2015 um except for the fact that both of them are better now than they were then. So it just, it makes for this like super enjoyable, hard hitting match where like, they're not doing anything silly. They're not doing anything that's not believable. It's just, it's just straight up a fight. It's like watching a 15 round boxing match. Um, only it's like they, they do, they specifically play it up for drama in ways that you're not going to get from a shoot competition. And it just, it, it's everything I want from these guys. Yeah, like these guys hadn't hadn't wrestled each other in four years, and 
like like in, in Thatcher versus Biff, um, just like for a lot of people, I think is uh mm-hmm. like really integral, really integral to my wrestling fandom mm-hmm. as the um as the, as the twenty as the twenty tens went on. So from that standpoint, just like watching these guys get to go out there and do their thing again right. was super awesome. But I just it just didn't uh I don't know it just didn't it just didn't stick with me. Uh, maybe maybe on maybe on a rewatch, I could have I could have uh got it on here, but. But but I didn't have I didn't think of it highly enough to put it on my one hundred. Uh, my next pick though something you said earlier at sixteen I have they might be giants versus violence is forever from sup those who fear tomorrow. And if I recall correctly, this was at forty one for me. Uh, it's no secret me and you have been on here and talked about how much we didn't get the Marco stunt thing. Yep. Um, I mean I I've, I've been on record saying I've not, I, I wasn't like a huge Dominic Greeny fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've seen Kevin Koo for years, and I wasn't in love with Kevin Koo either. Totally. And Cabana Mandan was more of a recent discovery. So, as I'm making my way through SUP, which, like, I said before that I think SUP is one of the most easily digestible wrestling promotions in the world. For sure. I can I can watch a whole show. And even on even on something where, uh, you know, they're, they're missing a lot of their key guys. Um, like one of the one of their more their, like one of their more recent shows from to end of the year, I think that even even with that, they're still a really strong show from top to bottom. And as I was doing this catch up, I'm you know getting real getting kind of into this whole uh Marco Marco and Cabana Man Dan thing versus uh versus versus Dom and, and Kevin Koo, uh, the the Cabana Man Dan versus Dominic versus Dominic Garini match uh in a singles. Fantastic, fantastic stuff that I was like blown away by how good Commander Man Dan is. I know another another match with uh, you know Kevin with Kevin Koo versus Marco. I I really enjoyed that too. So as this is going on, um, and, and is furthered too by the Dominic Garini uh open challenge gauntlet thing, whatever the fuck they did, where uh Logan Stunt comes out and Logan and, and Logan keeps fighting, keeps fighting, and keeps fighting, and uh. Dom can't put him away, and eventually Kevin Koo comes out and attacks and attacks Logan, and obviously that being Marco's bu- brother, Marco comes out and fights them off. So I'm getting real lamp for this, and I hadn't seen any hype for this tag before. Um, yeah, at least, I was, at least I wasn't paying attention to it. Right. So I go into it. Um, it's then revealed that it's you know for the inaugural uh, sub tag for for the sub tag team champions, and. I'll be dead. Like this, this match blew me away more than like anything else I watched in wrestling this year. Well, it was also we should mention it was also a no DQ match. Yeah, no, you no DQ like uh, no holds broad like no holds broad gimmick here. Yeah, and um, you know I meant I mentioned that like being surprised is still like one of like the like the best things about being about being a wrestling fan because you never know when that when that thing that just like really just floors you is gonna come out is gonna come out and. I would not have been able to tell you the match that floored me the most in 2019 would have involved Marcos Tut and Dominic Garini. Totally. Um, f- tons of tons of blood, tons of hate, tons of nasty, wicked shit. Like throwing, like throwing, like throwing chairs at the head. Um, insane bumps. I like it's for a lot of, for these kind of matches like this, like these like wild tornado tags. It's like you don't you don't really remember the control segments. Really, you just like, you just remember like how wild the whole thing was but with this especially i remember how wild and insane this control segment was which you know, is a real testament to, to dom to dom and kevin 
is in these like you just go for like oh my god it's such a wild brawl they threw shit everywhere but i remember how nasty and mean kevin were i remember like the snarls that that they would make and how dangerous they felt cabana man dan fighting valiantly mm. you know you know in support of his of his of his little brother something that i'm gonna mention with another with another with another tag match later but you know that idea like he's like you know defend like defending marco and True. really 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 stepping in to help like to help the kid and everything and um obviously like this it only got it only only but like it got it to number 16 on my list but i don't think i don't think there's a match that impressed me more than they might be giants versus violence forever it made me it made made, i think it solidified me as finally getting dominic garini Mm -hmm. i think that i think it put a more lot i think i put a lot more eyes on kevin koo um Marco Stunt, I've grown, I've grown a little bit more of an appreciation for her since then. And Cabana Man Dan is one of my, is maybe my favorite guy in sub. <laughs> yeah. So like, for 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 that reason alone, like, it's really high for me. But I just, it's a nasty, wild brawl that it doesn't do it justice to talk about it, and you kind of gotta go see it. Which is why, like, as I was saying these things, I didn't like go out and like um like in the Slack, obviously the infamous Slack. Like <laughs> after I finished watching this, I didn't go like, oh my god, this particular spot. Like you got to go watch it for this. It was like right. I just like okay, like yeah, go watch this, <laughs> and just like come back and see what you say. And I think I think that's one of those matches that will you know have something for you, regardless of not like what your expectations are going in. Yeah, like this was like a really wild little tag team match that like you guys had really hyped up to me before I'd seen it, and it it lived up to that in a lot of ways. Like in specific, like if I do want to shout out one specific spot, like there's something that I think Dan does to Greeny or Greeny does to Dan. I forget which it is with the ring bell. That was the scariest thing I saw in 2019, bar none. Um, but at the same time, yeah, like I, I didn't have this quite so high as you. Uh, I felt that, like, going back to another tag match that I had in, on my list, like, I felt like the gimmick sort of held it back in a weird way. Like, in that, um, I think with these four guys specifically, their skills are best suited to a, like, traditional southern tag formula uh, that you really can't get in a no uh, in a no DQ tag match like this. Um, and this follows the typical, like, tornado tag um you wouldn't say formula, but it follows that tradition of being like kind of an aimless brawl, which I don't think was necessarily a bad thing, but it's not where like the skills of these four men lie. Like it, it led to like some real lulls in the action I felt. Um, but yeah, like when this thing was on, like it, it killed it. Like it was just like a really, it was a really great hardcore match. Um, if you wanted to call it a death match, it was probably the best death match of the year. Like something that was just like exciting in a bunch of different little ways, like super gross, like felt like a, a step up from a bunch of guys who, as far as I know, had really never done that sort of thing before. Greeny, up until the um, the Joshua Bishop match, like a month or two earlier, like I'd never seen him do anything like this. And and you you look at him here, and it's like, oh yeah, like he's always been a deathmatch wrestler. Like he feels right at home. Yeah, like you know, this is you know really like solidified deathmatch. You no know, deathmatch Dom <laughs> being the uh, right. you know the best the best uh, U.S. deathmatch U.S. deathmatch deathmatch worker in the world, especially if since we we don't know if G Raver is ever ever coming back. Yeah, um, poor guy. Yeah, um, I think that, that was my 16, so what's next for you? Well, what's next for me, fittingly enough, is a match that you mentioned in your rundown of that one. It's Cabana Man Dan versus Dominic Greeny from Sup's <laughs> What Could Possibly Go Right. <laughs> That's really funny, but uh, go, ahead, go ahead on this. I didn't make my list, obviously, but I loved it. Uh-huh. This was um, 
This is pretty easily my pick for Hoot of the Year, if you use such nomenclature, if you're familiar with it. Uh, just a, a fast-paced, a fun-filled, hard-hitting match between a guy who's like quietly one of the most well-rounded veterans in wrestling today versus a guy who I think in 2019 is like really entering the prime of his career. Like you mentioned not being into Dominic Greeny before now. Um, I was I was instantly into him as soon as I saw him in 2017, even though I recognized like he was really rough in a lot of ways, but like in 2019, like he has developed into like a really good wrestler. And this was, I think like the best match of his I've ever seen. Um, probably the best CMD match I've ever seen too, but like I'm way less experienced with him. So, I mean, he's had a much longer career. So like, that's a, that's a harder thing to say. Um, I think these guys do a great job of like making for an exciting match that like rides the line between like playing up goofs and like playing to the, you know, lighthearted punk oriented sub crowd and having a convincing wrestling match. Like you think about the Cabana Man Dan gimmick, like it is naturally a pretty goofy thing, but these guys go at it so hard that like, I don't think twice about a dude hitting his opponent who's like a purple belt BJJ practitioner with a pair of chanclas and it coming across as like a huge spot or anything. Like these guys go at it so hard that like that doesn't, that thought doesn't cross my mind. It's, it's just as convincing as any other high spot in this match. Um, and in that vein, like these guys really brutalize each other. Like those flip flop chops are really mean. Like there's, yeah. some, <laughs> there's some headbutts in here that are just gross as hell. Like some great power bombs, some great clotheslines, like just all sorts of things that like, I I really didn't expect coming into this thing, but like when I was done with this, like it immediately became like a top tier contender on this list, and it and it stuck around with some like with some some big stuff, uh, big stuff throughout the year afterward. Like I watched this pretty early. This was like March, I think March, yeah, March third. Um, but you know this this stuck in there with some of the best stuff that I saw. Moving on from that, then you a little bit a little bit ago you mentioned Timothy Thatcher versus Oni Lorkin and. My number 15 is a, is a match from that same weekend. It's Bobby Guns versus Timothy Thatcher from WXW Tag Team Festival Night 2. Yeah, I wasn't nearly so hot as this on this as you were. Uh, so, obviously both being big Thatcher guys, I think mm-hmm. me and you both relish when he gets these big accomplishments or these big, th- or, the, or these like really cool things to do. Yeah. Whether it's, uh, you know, getting to do, getting to do Bola, Getting the getting the main event of progress show, which I, I was super I was super happy to see him do mm. Hideki Suzuki, uh, uh, Yuki Ishikawa, winning winning ambition. It, it's all like I mean winning winning the World Tag League too. It's sure. all stuff that if you're a Thatcher fan, you you get really um, at least at least for me I think I get really attached to when he accomplishes things. Mm-hmm. And Thatcher, the one thing that he hadn't done in a long time a real long time is uh when when a major title when a major single title in a promotion um the last the last time that happens obviously is when he won the uh evolve in dg usa titles from drew galloway in 2015 that'll be that'll been the last time that timothy thatcher had actually won a single won, won a major singles title he had been wxw tag champ and all and all that kind of stuff but singles gold eluded him for a long time. Mm-hmm. And following that, um, that really emotional shortcut to shortcut to the top victory that you, that you had on your list. It, it felt like Thatcher's time. Thatcher had 
worked his way up from w- in WXW into being like the top guy there, und- undoubtedly. From like you know Walter and Ilya being cut back and Bobby Gunn is not really translating the way they would have hoped and not using t- not, not using David Starr as, as much as as much as they probably should have been. Mm. Timothy Thatcher's the guy, and as I watch this and. You know, I'm someone that I've, I've, I, you know, I've, I've flip flopped some, I flipped over about flip flopped on Bobby Guns several times over the last few years, but it's one of those times where I thought Bobby Guns really showed up, from the arm and hand work here that we get to his, his general demeanor and this and dismissiveness of Thatcher, and you talked about Thatcher being the best baby face in the world. I think this is for me, this is the defining moment of that. Absolutely, um, Thatcher. And um, the way like he valiantly fights this this cut above his eye, play, playing off playing off of the history they had in 2017, where Bobby Guns burned a cigarette in Thatcher's eye, and we got Pirate Thatcher for a little bit. <laughs> Super good. Uh, and play, it plays off a lot of shit that like, just rewards you for being a Thatcher fan, and you get to see him fight valiantly and have the crown in the palm of his hands, with you know his basic belly to belly off of the ropes and him and him doing um his his gut wrench suplex and his sleeper hold and though the the Tim Zaguri and all the ba- and all the basic shit that like Timothy that we that we got told to like that wouldn't result in like Timothy Thatcher like having like these these hot crowds and hot wrestling matches and that, and that people wouldn't be emotionally involved or emotionally invested um Finally, in 2019, after like years after this stuff was starting, was starting to get perp- like you know get floated out there, you get that reminder like, okay, yeah, apparently, this guy must be pretty good at wrestling then, <laughs> if uh, <laughs> if, this, if this if this style of wrestling is eliciting all these kinds of reactions and enjoy enjoy a salvation. And I think it's, it's the best Bobby Guns performance in a, in, a, in a long time for me. Um, your mileage may vary on whether it's the best Thatcher performance as far as like just pure babyface. I think it's sure. the best Thatcher performance, but it's a great moment for my guy and from this, from this, from this moment on really with my list, it's going to be a lot of like moments for like people that I am really like personally attached to and believe in and, and all that. And, and I think that really kicks us off perfectly here. Yeah, I'd agree. It's a, it's a really phenomenal Thatcher performance. And it just, I, I personally just didn't think that Bobby Guns came to play. Like he, you mentioned uh, some of us like ebbing and flowing with him over the years. And like, I started not being terribly convinced by him. And then around 2017, I thought he had improved a lot. And then I think that it's really just sort of slowly diminished over time to the point that here in 2019, when he was WXW champion, he was just like, I could not care less, but yeah, like everything Thatcher does here is great. And, and and I like the match in that way at the very least. All right. So what's next for you here? My number fourteen is a match you just mentioned on your list a couple spots ago. It's Brock Lesnar defending the WWE Universal Championship against Finn Balor at the Royal Rumble. Yeah, and I had that down at twenty three. So this was um, I would say this is maybe the best match of this Lesnar run, um, which I should probably specify a little bit. Like I I, I consider. Since he's returned in 2012, I think Lesnar's had like two very distinct periods. Um, in 2012 and 2013, I think he was around a little bit more than he is today. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but at the very least, um, he was doing like these big, um, uh, like showcase matches, not necessarily like being the top guy in the company, not being a guy who is constantly either a champion or 
contending for the title. Okay, okay, that's that's a fair that's a fair distinction. Yeah, and I think that changes. And even in 2014, like I would I would sort of distinguish between what he does in 2014 when he eventually wins the belt and what he's doing today. So if you wanted to stretch it as far as that, I think you could do that. Um, but as far as like this this as far as this period after that is concerned, like this is probably the best Lesnar match of this period. I would say like the Reigns slash Rollins match is like the only thing that compares to this. Um, and I think that's, that's mostly because like it comes at that old Lesnar formula in a new way. Um, often when you see Lesnar face a smaller, more high flying oriented opponent, um, often they go after his leg. Like I've talked before with the Lesnar versus Rollins matches, how <laughs> like he's like, he's such a credible guy that like sometimes when he's facing smaller opponents, like they have to do something really special in order to, to appear like they can challenge him in any particular way. And often that results in leg work uh, just because it's a really simple thing. And he's an incredible seller, incredible, incredible at bumping and selling for a guy, his, for a guy, his size. Um, but here, instead of going after his leg, going after like, um, going after like a natural target for such a large athlete, something that you can really exploit on just by any human being in the world. Um, instead of doing that, Balor explicitly goes after Lesnar's gut, his midsection, his history of diverticulitis from like 10 years ago or whatever. Um, and it was funny, like I rewatched this today, like I didn't, I hadn't recalled that they specifically mentioned that on commentary. I thought it was maybe like some meta textual thing that they were going for, but no, like they, like Corey Graves explicitly is like, Oh yeah, this guy has diverticulitis. I wonder if Balor's going after that. Um, and so like, I think it, it really, it really changes your perspective of Lesnar because of that, because like a leg injury or something like he's not, he's not coming into these matches where people are working over his leg with a bum leg. Like he's not, he doesn't have his knee wrapped up. It's not something that like, it's not a target that someone is going after. It's a thing that someone is injuring in the process of the match in order to have any chance of facing this guy. Um, instead, Balor here is going after a pre-existing injury that has been obvious to everyone, but hasn't presented itself in the same way. It's not like Lesnar has been coming into these matches, like with a wrapped up midsection. He's not, he's not getting his stomach taped up before every match, but it's always been a chink in his armor that just no one has thought to exploit yet. And watching Balor, who is himself is like a pretty good wrestler, like someone who I think has gotten kind of stale over the years, but had a really good 2019, um, Watching Balor, like a guy who at his best can be really exciting, go after this chink in the armor that has always been there that no one has ever exploited, made for like this exhilarating match that like personalized Lesnar's pain in a way that like we have never gotten from him, or at the very least not like not since like 2003 when he's having like leg work based matches or whatever. Um, and I think it's just it's fascinating. It it, it renders like. So much of these, like, so many of these Lesnar matches, like, feel so inevitable, um, and in many ways they actually literally are, um, because, like, this guy just, he comes across as, like, such a believable, unstoppable monster, um, but, like, you see a guy, you see a guy like Balor, who the company certainly does enjoy, someone they're willing to push in a, in a, in a, in a title scenario, you see him go after an injury like this, the way that, like, nobody else has, and, like, going at it with, like, these mean drop or no, not these mean drop kicks, but these mean double stomps, like just totally killing this dude and like shoving him stomach first into the corner of the announcer's table. You watch this match and you're like, 
god damn man he might beat brock lesnar and like that's <laughs> that's that's not a feeling people get when they watch lesnar matches and i think it's awesome to, to finally get that again so out of curiosity it sounds like you like this more than uh Say like Brock versus AJ and Brock versus Daniel Bryan. Mm-hmm. I I would put this not too far ahead of Lesnar AJ, but definitely like a a, a strong distance ahead of uh, Lesnar Bryan. Okay, it was just I really enjoy I really enjoyed um really enjoyed this too, especially on rewatch. Uh-huh. I uh it was it was one of those matches where I didn't I didn't watch I don't think I watched the Rumble live um so like hype is like you know going crazy for this totally. and there's gonna be, and there's gonna be a thing that um actually for the first time is going to be like really prominent on um my tippy top matches as far as like i usually hmm. would consider myself a guy where like the hype for something doesn't really bother me um but then i think there's a couple matches on here that actually wind up overcoming that sure when i go back and rewatch that i'm going to talk about but this is one of those where you know at the time i liked it but i bet maybe i kind of underrated it and then uh go back for it and it's like like blow away great and you know, Balor—it's gonna—it's gonna get called like Balor's like best match and like I don't know, like fucking—I don't know what someone's gonna say. Six years, maybe ever, like whatever, whatever, whatever someone's gonna say here. But I, th- I think I think he's a guy that like has worked, has like has been like doing consistently really good work. Sure. And like finally, like being given a, a, like a chance, like a real mm. chance to go out there and do something, and it's yeah. like. Not just a long, not not just a long raw main event, or not going out there with someone in the company perceived to be a good worker like Seth Rollins. Like it's a real like chance to mm-hmm. go out there and do something, and I think this really this really showed like I think Balor more than anyone that like has had to, has had the opportunity to go out there and face Brock. He's exemplified like the urgency and like weight of the situation more Absolutely. than anyone else has, and that's like some all time great wrestlers that 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 Brock has done this with Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, and in in their own ways, those have all been really good matches. But somehow, even with those all time greats there, Finn Balor's the one that made it work as where like someone really understands who they're in the ring with. Uh, so for me, my uh my next match. Is Takuya Nomura versus Yuji Okabayashi from Big Japan Pro Wrestling, July twenty seventh. Yeah, and I had this at th- uh, forty, I think. Yeah. Um, from the moment I first saw Takuya Nomura, that 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 was my guy. No. Um, this you no know, little chubby face, chubby face <laughs> kid who's you know only only gotten chubbier as the chubbier as the years go on. Like, Truthfully, yeah. <laughs> you know, but. He had a he had a crispness to him, a snappiness to him. Yeah, that like is fucking rare. Like yeah. e- like even like other guys cut from like cut from that cloth, like a like like a coat like a Cody Yumeda. Like mm. even early Cody Yumeda doesn't 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 look the way Takuya Nomura did, and it almost got frustrating being a Takuya Nomura fan just because of like. Like you know how like the elevation system works in Japan, right? But you also clearly see Takuya Nomura, and you're like, no, wait, he's actually really good already. Like you don't, and, like, you don't, you don't have to do that. And furthermore, Big Japan is like struggling in so many ways because like they can't, they can't believably get this earlier crop of young guys over in the same way. And so you're like, come on, just just push this dude. Yeah. Um. And he like he gets this. She gets um a chance. Um, of a couple of years before this, facing Hideki Suzuki in a match uh-huh. that you liked a little bit more than me, but it had this idea of Hideki Suzuki, who was sort of Takuya's mentor, um, giving giving Takuya this shot, and then it starts off as like this friendly grappling match, 
And then Hideki just sort of starts bombing on the kid. Um, but Takuya has grown since then. Takuya is really his own man since then. And Takuya earned this shot. Takuya, go, Takuya was going out there and, um, and taking care of business. And they're leading up to this match with Yuji Okabayashi, who's, you know, on this, on this great run. And I saw people at the time who were getting really upset about the fact that all the buildup was to this match was Takuya Nomura getting beat in these tags versus Yuji. And I, again, like I didn't, I don't think I watched uh, those tags in real time the way other people were. So like, I'm just going by like what these fans are saying. Like, you know, right. these, people watch, these people watch the product more than I do. So they're, they're, they're more, they're more in tune with it. But as I get a chance to go back and watch these as the, as the match is getting closer to a, to a release, um, I, I see what's going on here. And it's like eventual, like, arm work and this idea of, of Takuya realizing like look this is my next opportunity at the belt and I need to figure out something and what he does what he does is he starts you know in these matches doing more and more damage to Yuji Kobayashi's right arm and to the point where in one of these tags Takuya, Takuya Nomura actually gets a fall on Yuji Kobayashi and there's a chink in the armor there Takuya Nomura, who's been wrestling, who's been wrestling for three or four years at this point, has finally found something to give him a chance. It's not like the Hideki situation where he's going to get caught off guard. Takuya is actually taking the opportunity and taking the time to come up with a game plan, and it's not something that I've really like seen implemented too much, too much in wrestling really over the last few years. One of the one of the last instances I, I can recall something being so drawn out. As far as like you know, ahead of time, giving yourself giving yourself um the advantage was like was like Shingo versus Jimmy Susa move from like twenty sixteen, um, but here Yuji sells this way more and way better than Jimmy Susa move did. Um, Yuji like works like he like he's like he's in, like he's impaired like this like that like that arm isn't isn't as much isn't of use as much and Takuya. And Takuya eventually goes after that and with mean kicks and key locks and all the stuff that you could ask for and it feels like this kid might have actually figured out by like year three or four like how to be how to be the bjw strong world champion and yuji okiyashi is so fiery and determined in like every aspect of his wrestling that even if like this is how this like sure this is how Yuji is all the time. That's like this like this Yuji's like set mode. <laughs> this is what he is. But I think like the situation and the gravity around it, it feels more earned and, and genuine than most times I watch Yuji. I'm someone that really likes the guy too. Sure. And seeing him like be so defiant in the face of this young punk, like no 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 you like you aren't to sit there and take this from me i am like i am the guy in this division i care about what's going on here this is my there's still my time and just how much he still clings to being the the guy the guy in big japan and it really feels like a gen like a generational struggle there in a, in a, in a way that something like hideki versus takuya didn't feel like this really feels like takuya is coming to coming into his own in this match and with every kick and every chop it feels like these guys are like fighting for the fabric of big japan and eventually yuji just 
musters up the strength and the adrenaline as uh in the clo- in the closing sequence of the match to just get one lariat with that arm. The only time he uses that arm for any for any for anything really during the match. One final lariat with that right arm to put down Takuya. And if, if like if this was just like an in ring thing for me and it wasn't like based off of like emotion or how it made me feel or in some case or in some cases like post match or post match promos and stuff like that, like this might be as high as like number two or three. Like I, I, like I think that highly of the work in this, but um, for some for something where it's like only like a like you know like a month of build, it really only relies on on me being such a big Takuya fan. This this is really emotionally gripping stuff, and I, I talked about it. I talked about it earlier with like Dan versus Gresham, but it's that stamp of like yeah, like Takuya was like was considered like this like this prodigy level rookie, but this is the stamp of like. Okay, so when he wins the Big Japan Strong World title, we'll know he's ready because he's yeah. ready right now. Yeah, like I, I like this a lot. Like it didn't it didn't make it this high in my list, but top forty is like not nothing. Uh I think I think if I had a complaint, it probably suffers a little from like um them waiting to pull the trigger on this match for so long. Like these two had a an insane match on like January the second. Uh, in a tag match, like some interactions in a tag match that like really well, yeah, got yeah, us going. They're, they're, their interactions with a tag were fucking insane <laughs> unbelievable um and so like we were really excited for that and it's like it's my two favorite guys in this company honestly like my two favorite like traditional sort of japanese wrestlers at this point um and so like seeing them go at it in any case is going to be an enjoyable thing for me but like um i think if anything this suffered a little from waiting six or seven months to actually do the thing yeah totally i like, that's like that's a very valid complaint is that you see that there's like magic right there in January, right. and then July is when the match happens. So I, I I totally see where you're coming where you're coming from there. Right. Uh, so my number thirteen is a match that you actually did have in your list, and I was kind of shocked by it. Uh, it's Ultimo Guerrero taking on Kai Fon in a Super Libre match from I believe the promotion's name is XMW on February the sixteenth. Yeah, and I had that down at fifty five. Okay. Um. So first and foremost, this is just a great brawl. A uh, great brawl between a pair of guys I like a lot um, in one of my favorite venues in the world, Arena San Juan Petitlan, like uh, a place that I think just looks amazing. Like it, it, it has like such a neat look, like a real dingy, grimy sort of like lucha indie place, but one that has just like interesting architecture and allows for like a cool fan setup. Like I, it's just a really cool venue. Uh, more than that, though, like I think this match is great because it, it um it illustrates like the difference between like the content of a match, like the, the spots that go into a match and like what we perceive. And what I mean by that is like our individual interpretation of like our individual, like interpretation and like assessment of these spots of like, of this content, as well as like the atmosphere evoked by those spots, by this content, like the, the thing that like we actually experience, um, I think your average wrestling fan is going to watch this match, especially if they're not a Lucha fan. I think they're going to watch this match and, and see little of value. Like, I think there's, I think they would complain that like, there's not much in the way of, of wrestling action. Like, it's just kind of a, an aimless brawl. Like there's not a lot of spots. Um, I think they would be turned off by the venue itself. Like this, 
dingy little place. Um, I think they'd be turned off by the fact that there's not a ton of people here. This is a pretty small crowd, even for Arena San Juan Petit Line. Um, they'd be turned off by like this relatively poor production. Like I think part of why I like this match so much is like I think the production is fantastic, especially for the Lucha Indies. Um, but I, but you know somebody who's like used to WWE, used to AEW, would probably look at this and just be like, oh, this looks so bad. Like there's where where's the Titan Tron and, and shit like that. Um, and even if like honestly. Like, even if they like brawls, like, I think, I think your average wrestling fan would look at this and just be like, oh, like, I wanted, I wanted Kenny Omega versus John Moxley. I wanted something bigger, something more melodramatic, something that had a lot of set pieces to it. And, like, this is just, this is not that match. Um, but I think, like, those people would really miss the forest for the trees with this thing. Like, I think, for one, their assessment of, like, each of these individual parts, um, is kind of off. Um, or at the very least, like, born of a, um, born of like a, a narrow-minded sort of like occidental view of what professional wrestling is and like what it quote-unquote should be like i think a lot of the people who would look down on this match are are the sorts of people who just like would not give lucha libre a chance or especially like lucha indies a chance um but even more than that like i think i think like pinpointing each individual element here is missing that in combination all of these things make for um an incredible experience even if like each one of them is sort of meager in isolation uh i think over the last 20 30 40 years like wrestling fans have gotten like so wrapped up in the execution of moves or just like the the a, a laundry list of the moves that are being done and have forgotten that like we're supposed to be having an experience watching this stuff like it's not it's not about like what these guys are doing it's about like how that makes us feel and i think this match is great for illustrating that like that sort of thing can still happen that like a bunch of people whether it's like you know a dozen people losing their minds in Uranus in one patilon or a bunch of dumb white boys up here in america can like watch a match and just be like holy shit like there's not there's not a lot to this broadly speaking or like mechanically speaking but like it is one of the most exciting matches i've seen all year um and like i like i want to in and more than anything, like, I think this match gets across the idea that, like, while while the spots that people do in a match is are certainly important, and, like, how they're being executed is certainly important, it's not more important than, like, the experience of watching them being done. And I think this match is great for, for like, illustrating that. You, you know how big of a Kaifan fan I am. So, yeah, uh, totally. Like, so this was, like, really pleasant to see that, uh, that you were talking up. And I was like, "Oh shit, Kaifan versus Ultimo Guerrero!" Like, like, hey, like that's very mm-hmm. much up my alley. Especially since we don't get to like get to see Ultimo do cool shit like this very, like, very, very often. Now. Yeah, totally. So, like, you, you, you mentioned this to me, and this is very much like a like a like a wrestling sweet spot for me. Like, a lot of what I'll do, like for these, you know, more current lists, it'll it will be like more geared to like I guess like or like the mod like what the like the modern style of what a of what a great match should be, admittedly, mm-hmm. but. You know, like my sweet, like a lot of one of my sweet spots for wrestling is a uh, just a real nasty, mm. wild, bloody brawl in Mexico. That's and what we get. It can, yeah, it can be like slow. It can be a little plotting, but like that's what I think like makes like a like like a really good one in Mexico. What it is, it's not like relying on like the wildness that like you might find in like say like a, like a, like a Memphis or whatever. Like this is like really like focusing on like being like brutal and nasty and like. Mm 
that's all that's all i really wanted here and, that's and exactly crowd work too like a lot like yeah. kaifan uh most of what i'd seen from kaifan before this was him as a technico but here like he delivers such a great rudo performance like <laughs> specifically calling out like the few people in the audience and like oh, he's, really he's, he is he is a great rudo dude yeah. <laughs> you, you gotta go back and watch some, some more of his stuff I, I believe it um all right so my number 13 is a match you mentioned earlier in your list i believe it is David Starr versus Terry Thatcher from OTT January twentieth. Yeah, I had this up in the eighties. I want to say, right. Um, my favorite heel performance of the year. Sure. Uh, yeah, flat out my favorite heel performance of the year. It is David Starr fresh off of, fresh off of the heel turn at Re- at Redemption, and he's just complete, just completely detestable. He he does this thing in this match where. He goes through like an entire like range of emotions. Like uh-huh. he goes out here and at first he's completely like stone faced and not very reactionary to anything. And then as the match goes on, he starts bad he starts badgering on with the crowd and like real, real like you know petulant and like childish ways. Then he gets more in like you know shit talking Terry the way that you expect Dave, like heel Davis are to do so. Right. And like you know this like like super like fan wanky stuff for me but it's like you kind of feel like this guy like going through like his different emotions mm-hmm. and this like he has an art like he hasn't really compartmentalized like what he did and like everything else that's going on with him now well there's there's one emotion here that i i want to point out that like i think is like really critical to this match is that he also is like pretty wounded at points in this match like you, you mentioned like he's this huge heel now that he's turned turned against jordan devlin at redemption the year before um so this ott crowd who is like totally bought in on this story is like throwing barbs at him at any chance that they can get and every once in a while like someone will mention like the fact that he still can't beat walter or, and, and, like, he, and he just turns around and just and just snaps back at them <laughs> yeah like he, he'll snap back at him or he'll just be like god damn it they got me and like it's it's fun to see a guy who like is is um you know like he <sighs> I'm trying to make a sports metaphor here and I'm totally fucking failing right now. But like he he's 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 like putting up the ball for everyone and like they're knocking out of the fucking park uh, <laughs> and they're knocking out of the park in that they're shooting it right back at him and like hitting him in the face and it's like it's just it's such a fun thing to watch him like to watch him be like and eh, 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 I'm a big bad heel and then someone like just stabs him right in the fucking ass and he's like oh god <laughs> um but um insert Terry Thatcher Mm-hmm. you know this guy that you know he isn't he isn't more than hype he isn't he isn't scotty davis he uh oh okay i thought you were just making a joke <laughs> no like but but in turn but like he's a guy that should be getting regarded this way because he probably uh-huh. is like the best worker out of these guys uh-huh. and like consistently whether it's been like been where there's been jonah rock or uh you know versus timothy thatcher or eddie kingston or mark haskins like this guy has consistently gone out there and belonged with like mm. the elite of the world and this match is like you know it predates like that like thatcher kingston the haskins and all that stuff but um terry this is the match that i think solidifies him as like an all-world baby face they, like he like he already had flashes of that flashes of that in that jo- in the jonah rock match that i thought was that I thought was really good but in the face of of david star who's as dismissive and nasty and and rude and just completely uh just above Terry in every other regard. Like 
it's it's hard. Like that like that's like that's the root of a baby face, right? Is that like this like this 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 heel might have have you when in the excuse me, needs other aspects of wrestling, but what they don't have is, is your heart. What they don't have is your determination and your passion. And I think that's Terry Thatcher to a T here. So yeah, like David Starr might get thrown off of his game every now and then, but at his core is like Terry Thatcher is still finding his openings and finding his ways and in the face of like every chop and every forearm that did that David Starr just just throws into him is that he keeps on getting up and keeps fighting. And uh it it builds in a way where you're thinking like are they are they going to do like some big epic closing stretch mm-hmm. where uh where where Terry gets a big kick out and then David Starr puts him down like like they like they usually do with the, with this kind of like big name little name stuff especially in modern times but David Starr has a taped up shoulder and throughout the time in this match they never mention it and they never really work towards it but Terry Thatcher in this last flash of hope that he that he that he gets that he gets for this match is that he starts working on he starts working on on Star's shoulder and uh you know arm wrenching him and twisting that arm down into the mat taking that arm and throwing it into the turnbuckle and you like thinking you're thinking you feel it and you're like oh shit oh shit oh shit we're about to like get this big run where Terry might like might really make a break for it and it's no David Star feigns an injury and rolls the dude up. Terry doesn't even get to enjoy the fact that he that he found a weakness for this dude. Immediately, David Starr like playing with him and dismissing him and all that stuff. Once David Starr realizes that he's in a like a legitimate bit of danger, he take he takes a coward's way out and and distracts the raft, plays possum and rolls and rolls the dude up and gets the hell out of dodge. Man, that's fucking great to me, man. Totally, it's like like you like you totally expect this thing to like do like to, like to give a comparison, right? Jordan Devlin versus Callum Black. I really enjoyed that match. But the exact same thing I just mentioned happens in Devlin versus Callum Black, where you get this big moment of like uh, youthful defiance from Callum Black, and then Jordan Devlin fi- finally puts him down. Terry Thatcher doesn't even get that. Terry Thatcher doesn't even get that that moment. He gets close. He doesn't even get a kick out. He doesn't get any of that. It's just he finds that one opening, and then as soon as that he, he finds it, David Starr rips it away from him. And... I think that's the kind of thing that if he like again, this is like an OTT contender show happened early, happened really early in the year. But this is the thing that people should go back and watch because if that's the kind of like simplicity and um and ability to not go overboard that you want in your wrestling, that this is like right here served up perfectly for you. And I don't think it gets much better. Yeah, like if uh, David Starr has been blown up a lot as of late, <laughs> and it's it's definitely brought some people out of the woodwork who have not been fans of him all along, but who especially lately have been you know rallying against him and i think like if anyone if any of those people are listening and would want to see something that might sway their mind on his work especially his heel work in um in comparison or like in opposition to like what he was doing at the fifth year anniversary with that big supposed five-star match um if you wanted to check out anything that might change your mind i think this would be the match to do it yeah totally i think i think this um, maybe like the Scotty match from like road from the from the road to like, I, I, there's more there's more to David hmm. as this character than I think that and I think OTC like, and it's not it's not all their fault but they kind of, like it's, it really does like really doesn't injustice to like yeah. all of the groundwork that David Starr really laid out there because imagine like you know I don't have to imagine it because I lived it but like imagine like 
<laughs> watching this Terry Thatcher match from January, yeah. and then going all the way up to October and then seeing what Star is then. Yeah, like it's it's so fucking disappointing, dude. Yeah, but we, yeah we, but we can move on. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, my number twelve is a match from Josh Barnett's Bloodsport that has not come up yet, which kind of concerns me, considering that I think you really should like this. It's Jonathan Gresham versus Masashi Takeda. No, uh, would have popped up already if I had it. Wow. Okay. Um, I think the best way to describe this is as a match that shouldn't work but totally does. Um. Like, there's some rough spots here for, like, the obvious reasons. Like, they're, as far as I know, these guys don't share a language and, like, they don't know each other too well. Um, but when this match is on, which is quite often because it's a pretty short match, when this match is on, it's the most convincing fight I saw in wrestling all year. Um, yeah, there's some great mat work here from a pair of guys who totally can go on the mat. Like, a lot of people don't realize that Takeda is, like, a experienced and a pretty good MMA fighter. Um, People just know him as, as like this deathmatch, this crazy deathmatch guy, but like he definitely has a ton of bat skills and they put him to good use here. Um, in addition to that, like there's some great striking, some great open hand striking, some great cutoffs, like all the sorts of things that you want to see in like a, a quote unquote shoot fight or the, the shoot adjacent stuff that this blood sport show, that blood sport show is trying to show off. Um, but more than anything though, like I want to highlight like this tremendous sense of escalation that this match has like they they build natural tension over the time like the sort of thing that like two people in a competitive environment are gonna eventually start butting heads against each other um but like they take some huge leaps with a couple specific spots in the match like um most notably when both of them go rolling off the mat like there's no ropes on this on this ring for this blood sport show uh when they go rolling off the mat and hit the floor and Takeda accidentally like busts his head open like the match kicks it up like four notches and it's in it and it becomes like the most exciting thing um and it it ramps up to like this this awesome convincing finish that i think is also like really smart because like these guys know that they accomplished just about everything that they could accomplish together especially in like a first time meeting and they understand that like there's a lot of different ways that this thing could go wrong so they might as well end on a high note and on sort of an early note than you know run the risk of fucking up later on like we've already seen on this blood sport show already seen a lot of bad finishes a lot of matches that have gone too long um there's already been like some miscommunication in this match where like these guys are obviously like trying to talk to each other and trying to figure out what they're going to do next so like i I, on top of this just being like one of the most thrilling matches i've ever seen uh, especially in the last couple of years like i think they do an incredible job of wrapping it up at the perfect time yeah this this is one i wanted to rewatch, but i didn't get um didn't get didn't get the chance to do so uh Another one of those ones where I think hype at the time really affected it for me. Sure. Um, like crazy hype. Like, you know, like watching like live and keeping up with what people are saying. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, like, did, like match of the match of the weekend, match of the year contender, all that stuff. And I didn't get to see it live and uh, watching it, you know, the hype, the hype messed with me. And I was like, ah, eh, you know, it was really good, but didn't, but didn't do that for me. And it's one of the ones that I wish I would have went back and watched uh, yeah. with the, with the batch of stuff that I did go back for that was in the same category. Um, my number 12, I'm actually having said yet, so I know you have it higher than me, but it's Virus versus Metallico uh, from CMLL, May 19th. Yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. And instead, we can talk about a match that I know ended up in your list. It's John Moxley versus Juice Robinson from the G1 Climax. Yeah, had that some had that somewhere on my list. Wouldn't be able to tell you it right now, but uh, really, really loved it. the first it. part. Yeah, um, 76. Yeah, okay. Um, 
and we've already talked about like how much I like this matchup already, and like this is more of the same from them. Like it's a it's a real simple thing, real bare bones sort of like traditional old school match that is made to feel bigger thanks to like some really strong work, some real strong execution on the part of these two men, as well as like some colorful characterization, um, really playing up their personalities and their connection with this crowd. Um, there's the obvious overtones that we've seen before of like this big aggressive guy facing a smaller underdog who the crowd is more familiar with and more accustomed to. Um, and there's also like the specific story in this match of like juice coming in with a bum knee from his match with, I think it was Jay white two days before. I think Jay went after his knee. Yeah. And, and beat him. I don't recall. Yeah, Jay um, beat him. Okay. So Mox naturally like goes after the knee here. Um, and he did that in their previous match when it presented itself, when, when juice accidentally injured himself in that match. But here he goes after it directly. Um, and is, and is more direct in his work with it. Like is actually applying some submission holds this time around real simple stuff. Nothing that feels like out of character for him, but, um, you know, like a, a figure four leg lock, a moodle lock, that sort of thing. Um, and when juice starts coming back on him, like when he starts doing his great comeback, uh, Mox starts pulling out all sorts of paraphernalia from under the ring in order to combat that. He starts pulling out weapons, starts pulling out chairs, like using them against this guy. Um, and he gets away with it, but whenever Juice tries to seek his revenge by way of these weapons, the referee, Red Shoes, like gets all up in his face, and Juice complies with his orders and like puts the table back under the ring and, and throws the chair away and doesn't use it on the guy. And the crowd reacts to it real huge. <laughs> And I kind of lose my mind because it's like, it's, it sounds so silly. It sounds it, like it makes juice out to be a boy scout or a cop or whatever you want to well, say. He's literally, he's literally. Okay. A cop. We did, I know that's a, <laughs> that's a different discussion. Um, like it, it might sound silly or it might make him sound corny, but like, I think there's something really endearing in that. I think there's something. I think there's something endearing in seeing a guy play by the rules and still come out on top. Like, um, <laughs> to, <laughs> to once again, return to the NFL, um, to watch a guy like Mike Vrabel, the head coach of the Tennessee Titans, uh, and former player, former linebacker in a couple different NFL teams. And most notably for the new England Patriots to use a perfectly legal, but definitely kind of sneaky, um, uh, what delay of game call, like specifically specifically making sure that his team gets a delay of game penalty in order to run down the clock and prevent his opponents the new england patriots from being able to make their comeback against his team while they're ahead watching him do that pulling out like a trick that is perfectly legal against a team who a is famous for doing that doing that specific trick and b also infamous for cheating in all sorts of fucking ways over the last 15 years like watching that was nothing short of astounding and like that's what watching this match was like it was it was watching a guy it, it was like it was watching a guy stick to the rules and then be able to stick it to his opponent because he's doing that like watching juice like make this comeback and eventually defeat uh defeat john moxley by his own means was just awesome like it was it was something that i've never gotten in wrestling before like watching a dude like <laughs> watching him do, like play by the rules and be rewarded for it like it feels like so foreign to so much of what wrestling is about and i and i thought it was just the best thing on top of this already being a match that appeals to me greatly yeah an aspect of the, an aspect of this i really enjoyed was just like 
if you if you watch their first match, it is already like really intense and nasty. Mm-hmm. But this the increase this this disdain that Mox uh-huh. has for Juice, and then, and that being the thing that winds up costing him. Not like going like going back to the well too much for like be like you know cheating or trying to like like be above like be above the law, but like right. just the fact that he just. Juice gets under his skin, and whether it's like whether what 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 it is about Juice, like Juice is like determination, Juice like like refusing refusing to stay down or whatever. But is it, it, I think like the slow like like on un, like on un, like unraveling of John Moxley in that mm. is, is 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 my favorite is my favorite part uh, about it. It's also this is at the point like Moxley um, embarked on like an undefeated streak early on in this tournament, like went like six matches straight without losing a fall. Um, definitely looked like he was going to maybe win his block. And then he, uh, he lost a couple matches straight. One of which was to Toriano in a real funny, famous thing. Um, so yeah, like it, this is like the last B block match that either one of these guys are having. So like, it definitely, it definitely feels like he's getting more desperate as this tournament is going on. And as he's like slowly losing his ability to win out here. And so like it, it comes around and bites him in the ass along with, along with all these other mistakes. And it's, it's just great. All right. So for me, my number eleven is Aussie Open versus Swords of Essex from Progress oh, wow. Chapter eighty seven. Uh, it's called Bread Knife, Brock. <laughs> okay, this was the TLC match, right? Yeah, it was. Okay. Um. So Brock, one of the things that we share, that we have in common, other than like somehow both being Indianapolis Colts fans for Woo! some god for, for some godforsaken reason, because we are um, stupid. We both have little brothers. Mm-hmm. And I think something that you can that you can attest with attest with um as long as I as long as I is that you know like being like the big brother um being like you know if you if in my case being like the oldest of um of several kids mm-hmm. is that you know you love your siblings and that you and that you love them so much that like you'll put yourself in harm's way and like you'll give up your, you'll give up your things to make sure that they have and to make sure that like yeah like that the, 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 they feel good and feel good about things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Swords of Essex reunites and takes the tag titles away from Aussie Open. Uh, first match happens, I think, at, at a boxing show, and, and, they, and they cheat to win that one, using the okay. title belts to hit Kyle Fletcher and, get, and pick up the victory there. There's a rematch. Same thing happens while Ospreay hits Kyle Fletcher with the title belt. Um, in this... Please remember that Mark Davis won the natural won the natural progression series in 2018. The natural progression series indicates that you can ca- you can cash that in for any title shot you want theoretically. Just like how like a money in, uh, how a money in the bank theoretically means that if you wanted to you can challenge for the United States title. You know, you know, you know, fam- you know famously, um, you know, Loki when in, in his in his in his time there, or whatever, like. Like he like he like he had like he had like some not he had not a money in the bank thing but like some sort of thing where he was like uh like like all like for like he wants to like have some side of the United States title or whatever the fuck I don't remember it was, it was like a money in the bank gimmick but it, but it, but it was something um I think coming out of his NXT coming out of his NXT stint I think like winning NXT like you like you got something um and you know like you know it's kind of like a stupid thing like like why would like why would you do that instead of like go for the WWE title why would you do that but. You gotta think of like the relationship in the context of Mark Fletch of Mark Davis and Kyle Fletcher. Uh two guys that didn't really know each other, both coming to England on a whim, and all of a sudden being put together as this tag team 
and just taking the scene over by storm and like becoming close friends and like really like Mark becoming Kyle's older brother. Kyle is still, still in his teens. Mark Davis is well into his twenties and you know, Mark Davis, despite having this chance and he could go, he could go fight Walter again. He he could go, he could go, um, and, and, and main, and main event for a, for a singles opportunity. But what he decides to do is he decides to go out there and I'm going to use this shot in me and my brother, me and my tag team partner is that we're going to go get our titles back. And they go out there and, you know, like with, with gimmick, with gimmick matches and what people like consider gimmick matches to be, you know, of course, everybody here has their, has their jeans on and the fist taped up and everything. <laughs> and like, it's kind of, it's kind of goofy, but it's, but it's, but it's endearing. I think it's the best Will Ospreay, Will Ospreay performance of the year easily. Something that, something to go along with like the, like, you know, the idea of like brothers is, uh, you know, Paul Robinson and Will Ospreay in that when, when Osprey is with Robinson, he has like this confidence to like do like heinous, nasty shit that like he doesn't have otherwise, and that and that's an idea that's explored in this match explicitly, where like 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 during the finish, um, as Robinson gets taken out by an insane pile driver that Mark da- that Mark Davis does to him from the from a ladder through another ladder, the change in Osprey's face is like this pure like cowardly shit. Because like you like during this entire time he takes pleasure in torturing Kyle Fletcher and isol and isolating him and, th- and, th- and throwing chairs at people and badgering the crowd and all of this stuff. At one point, like um, Osprey like like forcibly like moves like moves a fan from like out of the way from a chair and everything like like the kind of shit that Osprey normally isn't doing or has like the confidence to do. But with well, with, with with Paul there, he feels enabled to do so, and I just I just love like the lot like the brotherly themes that I, that, I, that I get from this match, and just like always being in like support of of your little brother. It's a wild, nutty brawl, insane, insane spots. I mentioned uh, that pile driver, that pile driver that that Mark gave to Paul. There's another. There's a spot where. Will Ospreay and Paul Robinson are doing this thing where Paul's about to stand on Ospreay's shoulders and and go and go and run like jump for the titles off of his shoulders. Sure. And then from like the far corner of the ring, Mark Davis just launches a chair in, <laughs> in, in mid like in, and catches Robinson midair. Um, there's like these like st- like dueling standing for fifty spots, uh, going through going through tables that Paul that Paul and Ospreay do, and, and it's just. Like a lot, a lot of the stuff that I like about the um, they might be giants versus violence is forever tag, but minus the like the obviously the blood and everything. But I think what they this match might lack in like uh in like color and blade jobs and like should like you know like crazy thumbtack spots or, or or whatever. Like this match adds in with like real like tangible emotional themes here of like brotherhood and like at the end of the day like what you're going to do was like what you think is best for your, for your brother and rel- and, and like relishing in that moment together. And I'm not sure there's a bet. Like there's like many more feel good moments than Mark Davis and Kyle Fletcher, like finally overcoming these guys that cheated them out of their belts and sitting on top of the ladder with their titles and with this, uh, with this shitty, with this shitty pop punk song playing. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, su- it's such an endearing, like closing, uh, closing last minute of the show. And I, and I was really glad that it happened in a year where like progress took a massive nosedive. This is the, uh, 
I think this might be the only match of theirs on my list. No, no, there's like two, no, three, three. I don't know why I said the only match of theirs on my list. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking three on here. But in the year, in, in previous years, I would have a ton of progress matches on here. And, you know, this, this being my highest ranked one, I still think it says a lot that like, sometimes they can still, like, they can still stumble in the gold and something as like genuine and emotion as this, I wouldn't have expected them to have. I'm I, yeah, like I'm with you with like I, I didn't I watched a part of this. I didn't actually finish this match, but like I'm with you with like this these themes of brotherhood. Like I I can definitely understand how that appeals to you. But it, it's funny to to think like how we discussed um, a couple days ago, like how um, you're just like so tired of like the WWE money in the bank formula, the ladder match formula, whatever. But like this TLC worked for you. Like was it was it the fact that it wasn't in the fed or was it like this this brotherhood thing? Like why do you think this one worked? I'm just having like a clear like through like through line of like 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 brotherhood like you mentioning. Like there's one key spot here that I didn't even mention is that um at one point after Mark Davis is like very like thoroughly taken taken care of, Will Ospreay and, and Paul have Fletcher all in the ring all, all in the ring by themselves. And instead of going up the ladder and taking the victory, they get down just to fuck with Fletcher some more. And they um they put Fletcher's head in the chair like they're about to have Robinson go and curb stomp him. And Mark Davis crawls his way back to the ring, and before Robinson can get up and curb stomp him, Mark Davis like not like doesn't come in there and like clean house and start punching them, but he just covers Fletcher's body. Just doesn't just doesn't let them do it. And it's the kind of shit that we talked about. Um, you remember that Monster Express versus Berserk uh, unit disbandment match from from twenty from twenty sixteen, and how instead of like Yoshino coming in and like hitting like a monster lariat on 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 Shingo to save to, to save Tazawa, he just shields him. He just shields his friend. He just shields his brother. And I think that to me is the difference for in like this in a WWE gimmick in a WWE like ladder match winning the bank style match where you're just not getting that kind of like clear and like genuine emotion stuff that I think separates it. Sure. Okay. Even if this is still like 40 minutes long or some shit. Oh yeah. This has no reason to go as long as it does. (laughs) Absurd. Uh, My number 10 heading into the single digits here in a second. My number 10 match of the year is a long awaited rematch and the conclusion to a few that we have both enjoyed quite a bit over the last few years. It's Timothy Thatcher versus Daniel Makabe from 321 Battles Wet Hot Seattle Summer 3. Yeah, and I had this uh, at 67. Okay. Um so this enters into a part of my list in which like I don't have a lot written down. <laughs> like I just don't have a lot to say about these as much as I love these matches. Um because in in with this one specifically it's because like I've I've just said so much about this feud already. Um, but like, this is the conclusion of what has to be my favorite series of matches in years and years and years. Like it's two guys who I love a whole bunch. One of whom is a, is a personal friend. Um, a, a, a dream match that like I lost my mind at the first time that Dan told me it was booked. Um, specifically like he had, I think the year before he had like, broken his ankle and kept him out of wrestling for a long time and so like when he um when he told me this was happening i was just like do not get hurt like you cannot get hurt before this happens i need to see this um 
and so to like see these guys have these matches and become equals become like compatriots of of some kind like to have like these matches that i think are some of the best matches that i've seen in recent memory to to see dan like blow up as like this this indie favorite and like working all over the united states um and to see all of this wrap up in just a fun like a fun little match that follows in line with all those traditions, like has all these um, ornate comebacks and like all these like fun little send ups to things that have happened before and these escalations thereof having all of that happen in, in like uh, come together in like a time in wrestling in which like if I, you take a big picture look at like the rest of my list here, like it's all for the most part, this is all stuff that like really touches me emotionally. Like st- stuff that like, um, I think I use this, analogy last year but like when so much of like wrestling feels like it's just so unappealing to me that it's like specifically trying to be everything that i dislike like i have to cling to the stuff that i do enjoy like a life preserver and to have a match like this just float along like while i'm in the middle of the open ocean it was just like such a godsend and like i loved watching this like even if i don't have this quite so high as i did their first and second match like this is this is not a step down like this is just this is just more the same and it's more of what i needed yeah, it is perfectly like like, I said, like the term like like comfort food wrestling gets like thrown out like thrown out a lot. I think sure. especially like with people like you know like like you that write that write and everything. But no, there's 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 room for that. There's room for stuff to just like in the sea of like especially like you know as much doubt as there yeah. is in like 2019 and 2020 and wrestling going forward and like what exactly that means from like everywhere in wrestling like some like something like this is just you know it's it's, it's always gonna it's always gonna land for you. And always going to deliver like some type of emotion that Kobe. you 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 need to sort of like I don't know assure assure you of things like you know like yeah mm-hmm. there's always, there's still going to be some shit out there that like yeah. at least at least does this for me. Okay. Um, I hope you I hope you leave in the fact that you just said Kobe and I will do a tissue. I'd have to leave in the sneeze then too. Somewhere. Yeah, you got got to leave all that in. <laughs> um, all right, so. For my first uh, entry into the top 10, I have Momo Watanabe versus Jungle Kiona from Stardom, March 3rd. Pretty sure I watched this and it uh, didn't do a lot for me. Um, I'd, be in, I'd be in the same boat as you. Um, this is the first one of ma- first one of uh, the matches I'll talk about where I rewatched it and it just floored me. So when I first watched it, I got I, I just felt like the work was like really dry and boring and uninteresting and this is a match that got really hyped up like the official like stardom like uh like account was saying like oh my god this might have been the best match in like stardom history and, right. and and all this stuff so again like these are two people i'm really excited about you know how much i love momo jungle is someone that i that i enjoy a ton too so i'm like okay yeah fuck yeah like like let's let, let's do this and i think because of the hype it just left like left me a little flat at the time and one thing that even at the time that I really appreciated about this was the story that this told and the story that this like continued, continued to tell. And it wasn't like, and it's like assuring you that it's not like, you know, just fans like latching on the narratives or whatever. Like this is really like the story that they're telling is that jungle has lost every, excuse me, singles titles and title match he's ever been in uh-huh. every single one. And here in her hometown, with her father there to get to give to give her a bouquet of flowers and everything, right. main event like this is the time. This is it. This is the moment. And I I love I love that aspect of it, and I love like the crowd reaction, especially like towards the end. But 
I think for like first viewing, like the rest of the work didn't land for me. Then I rewatch it. And what I notice is, again, we talk about this idea of like with Sheeta versus Kong of the work you're doing, not going like zero to a hundred right away. And like mm-hmm. everything adding up, everything totaling up. And I think this explores this in a different way, but like, like, like a similar concept of Jungle Kiona goes for this leg work. And she's really like really focusing on it, really trying it. And Momo Watanabe does sell it, like shaking her shaking her leg out every time she she mounts this offense. But clearly, the strategy just didn't work. Jungle's amount of time working on Momo's leg just didn't work. And then a different so Jungle so Jungle changes her game plan. The leg didn't work. She goes to Momo's back, and what does she do? She pump she power bombs her on the apron. And from that point on, the back worked. And I, and I think and I think that's like a such a neat little detail there. Mm-hmm. Is that not like the leg work got shrugged off or whatever? It got acknowledged, but it just didn't work. She changes her game plan to the back, and the back is effective. And it really hinder and it really hinders Momo. Momo is holding her back every every chance she gets. And jungle for once, oh shit, she might do this. She might fight she might have finally found a way to to like, you know, exercise herself with this demon and in the perfect setting win her first singles title and momo was fighting valiantly this is part of, this is a part of the part of the transition where i think um a lot like kenzo miyahara in his in his in his transition from being like the upstart young guy that was aligned with goshi ozaki and like you know you know slow burning his way to a to an event to an eventual push slow yes, burning the, uh, slow, uh, no, uh, <laughs> fuck you it was that wasn't intentional but <laughs> but um <laughs> As like you know, like they like they like you know slowly they're getting to Kento's push, but as things start to crumble, like out of necessity they had to like speed along Kento was where like he had he had to become an ace like figure and sure. not and not just the young punk. And I think and I think a similar thing happened to Momo Watanabe here, um, for twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen. I think with departures, I think with um the company being in flux is like who's who they're gonna push and yeah. just being in like say like in a state of like you know unsureness. Momo Watanabe being this still like you know 18 19 year old girl like has to like has to change on the fly so her being this young punk might be like why like everyone loved her at first but now out of necessity she kind of has to be the top person in the company yeah and and i think in a in a year where i thought i found myself kind of disappointed by momo in that regard this is a match where it shows you the potential there because you know, the, that, like that's a level of range. Like being able to transition from that young punk into a real, like, viable ace figure, is that Momo found it out here. At least in this match, Momo was barely in control. Momo had moments of like kicking Jungle in the head a few times, but for the for most of this, it's, it's Jungle fighting from behind and really make really kind of making Jungle. And Jungle's yeah. been there for for years. Jungle is is twenty eight years old, much like you know a few yeah. you know quite a, quite a quite a few years the senior of Momo, and. Here is Momo being unselfish with with the with the most with the more senior worker of the group, and really like for the benefit of the story, like selling in a way that really sells the idea of this being Jungle's moment. Momo hits her um her like sort of like half and half like pump handle suplex gimmick, and she and she can't and she can't do it because her because her back is so fucked up she can't she, she can't bridge she can't go for the pin she does it again and she realizes that she won't be able to bridge so she does it a, she so she just does a release version of it and 
in the and in the, like the last moment here after the crowds at a fever pitch and jungle has fought so valiantly in order to like to make this moment happen momo with one last bit of energy she does that suplex again and she is she's able to keep the bridge long enough and it's a great moment of growth for momo it's more like sadness in the reality of jungle kiona as she's never going to be the person stardom gets behind despite her despite her immense talent level which you know i i i hate but yeah. but it is what it is at this point but it's something i really like about like sasha versus charlotte from hell in a cell when we did 2016 is that sure. i enjoy these bittersweet moments sometimes of like sasha losing in her hometown and i know that like it's such a vincism that like you're like oh my god like totally. of course of course sasha lost in her hometown but there at least were there it worked for me and it's another moment here where everything's everything is set up for this like really emotional and sweet payoff to a to a jungle win and i'm kind of glad we don't get that because i like getting people to, to still chase something as much as that's a rewarding thing though like do you think there ever comes a point in time where jungle kiona transitions into the Haru- the haruki goto of stardom like do you think it ever goes too far i think she already is now i think i think i think it's a point of no return i think like especially if like the old regime didn't find they like like didn't go didn't go all the way totally, with momo didn't go all course, the way with jungle yeah. like even like you know pushing like pushing momo so hard going uh-huh. so hard with the utami um Hayashishida stuff and everything kagetsu <coughs> excuse me if if jungle couldn't find a lane in that era and now i, I don't I, I don't expect her to find a lane yeah in this era of a renewed push from mayu watani julia um um hanakamura like I, I think it's just gonna be hard for her, and I think like this might just be what she is, like a, a great worker that's never gonna get the push that she yeah. probably deserves. Uh, my number nine, then moving on, is another Joshi match. It's yeah, it's my highest ranked women's match of the year. It's uh, one that you've mentioned before too. It's Mako Setamura versus Sari from Sunday Girl Show on April the sixteenth. I think I had this at like the forties. I think. Yeah, there's a 39. I again, like I mentioned it just a second ago, I don't have a ton to say about this thing. Um other than that it is the stiffest, meanest match of the year that I saw. These women put all their weight behind their strikes and just kick each other right in the fucking face. Um and sorry, additionally, like she's she's got all sorts of like cool judo throws and uranages and shit like that, and so she drops Mako on her head a whole bunch and it's just gross. Like, it's, it's everything I want from these two women in front of a Corican crowd who is, like, absolutely on fire for them. And it, it makes no mistakes. It doesn't botch anything. It doesn't go too long. It doesn't ever feel unconvincing to me. It's just it's just great. It is a great little fight. I obviously had this a little bit lower than you, but you're saying exactly the same things I thought about it. Like, it's real nasty and mean and feels like a fight. It feels like a real competitive struggle here. And mm-hmm. I, I, I enjoy that aspect of it a lot. Uh... My number nine then is another one of these matches that I rewatched and found a new appreciation for. It's Pack versus KZ from Dragon Gate, February tenth. This I really of all the matches I saw in twenty nineteen, I feel the most bad about this one not working for me. Yeah, this is one that got that got a ton of hype. Yeah. And I watched it, really liked it, but some people were calling it match of the year, um right. all that stuff. So because on a, on a whim, I'm going through my 100 and looking at it, and I had this down in the 40s. And I, I, so I'm like, all right, man, this was getting like like legitimate match of the year hype. I think I should rewatch this. Sure. And 
a lot of what pack does um or at least like this pack run early on i think a lot of i think a lot of my uh apprehension and maybe even like underrate underrating this match initially came from like you know sort of being like ah people saying like this like this pack is the wrestler of the year absolutely you know all all this stuff that i think bothered you too and as someone that was in that same boat i would tell you that like you really should go back and eventually rewatch packs 2019 like not like very soon but like years (laughs) down the line like you really should as i go back and watch this Pack just exude. Pack just exudes like that game changing, game breaking feel that like, mm. like it's like a like a CM Punk had to like, to like to like WWE television. Sure. In that, we know Dragon Gate. We love Dragon Gate. Dragon Gate's all about tradition. Dragon Gate is all about doing things how they do how they do things, and their, and their heels are one way, and. And it's like, you know, kind of goofy. Sometimes they're mean, but at, at the root of it, they're not like mean, rude heels. Sure. Uh, they're, they're, they're not. They're, they're kind of like goofy cartoon yeah. villains. Like to- Totally, yeah. Um, That's not Pac. Pac, um, I don't know if you remember this, but in the final game, final game match against Masato Yoshino, who was the champion at the time, during the National Anthems, Pac attacked him. Oh. In that set the that sets the tone for Pack in Dragon Gate. Yeah, is that not just is, Dragon he, Gate? Really, that's that's something you just don't do in Japan. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's like it really sets the tone for what this Pack run is. Is that Pack is completely bucking yeah. every trend, every tradition, and it just leads to neat little details like like Pack like Pack not cooperating and, li- and lifting his boots up when the, when the right. referee is, ch- is checking him and Casey. Or when they're doing the national anthems, and and Casey has to look over his shoulder to make sure that Pack isn't isn't going to come over there and sure. ju- and jump him from behind, and it's just neat shit like that. That as a Dragon Gate fan, like as much as I as much as I've loved the company, it's like that's the kind of shit that you needed that you have like a Shingo for that Shingo was so good at that like all the energy of like everyone being so kumbaya and that even if you are the top heel, you're kind of like a tongue in cheek top heel. Yeah. And that's and that's and that's not pack here. He means business, and he's not here to deal with any of the bullshit. And I think and I think that's part of why like this match like on rewatch blew me away. It's just like the crispness and like and just and just motivation behind behind everything that Pack does. Going going up against a baby face like Casey, who's really taking that Tazawa role after after Tazawa left. Um, Hopefully not forever. Hopefully, hopefully not. Um, but 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 Pack is so is so purposeful in everything he does. Um, sort sort of like Hideo, sort of like a, you know Kenta and his Hideo Tommy stuff. People will act like totally what 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 Kenta was doing in WWE was like you know so bad or so bland, but or beneath him or yeah. You know, you, but you, but when you get to the end of the run, there is some real substance there. Same thing with Pack, which is why I was so like so reluctant to go with this Pack Rest of the Year thing. It's like oh no, like Pack stuff was good. It's just like. He he wasn't getting he wasn't getting to do this and that. Here is him getting to be that exact same character in a way in a way more fleshed out idea, and this transitions into being like you know like a big like epic sort of spotty title defense, but it's but it it builds slow to it. It feels organic. It doesn't have this uh, long extended mat work segment. They sort of they transition right into Pack being in, being in control. Uh, 
Pac does maybe the best superplex I've ever seen in like the first like like seven eight minutes of this thing. It looks fucking gnarly, and it it just picks up the pace and go and goes at and goes at such a rate as the match as the match goes on that it's sort of breathtaking. It's like the kind of stuff that people will say like made Shingo versus Will like their match of the year. That's exactly why I have Shingo, why I have Pac versus KZ so high. But it just felt like more purposeful. More uh, other than it just being this big dream match, just just top this top lovable baby face, uh, fighting like you know fighting for uh, fighting for his keep here against this da- against this mean uh mean heel taking over the company, uh, there's just cool shit like Pack doing a like Pack doing a backslide driver, uh, every everything about here is so cool as to where it's like it feels like a struggle, uh, Casey has Pack double underhooked, and instead of like doing like the typical like. He's like he's just gonna uh like back, back body drop KZ over in this failed double underhook. It turns into a destroyer, which like is like the best only the, like only destroyer spot that I've liked all year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pack does a shooting does a shooting star knee drop over over uh, over KZ's back and just completely folds the folds the poor guy. And then follows it up with the with a crazy lariat with one of the best near falls of the year, and the crowd completely comes unglued and. It's just it's just great wrestling here. If someone says this, this is their match of the year, I totally get it. Because if you're looking for guys who understand their characters, clear face heel dynamic, exciting action, something that builds but doesn't take too long to get to the point, um, wild memorable spots like a like a middle rope tombstone pile driver, it's it's it has it has losing me. <laughs> no, it, I mean, but like I said, if you're looking for those spots, like that's what sure, it has sure. that and. Yeah, like for me, man, that's something that I I was very happy that I that I went back and rewatched because I like you know if I if I didn't I was sort of doing a disservice to myself and letting like mm-hmm. the you know like the hype like the hype train in the early year really like really take away from the fact that like Pack had a great year and I think and I think this match really does belong like belong in like match of the year conversations. Okay, I I really should go revisit it then. Like it's not um. So much of what Pac was doing, and I know he pronounces it Pac, and I should respect that, but God, fuck that. Um, <laughs> uh, so much of like what he was doing, like wasn't impacted by hype that other people were getting into. So much as like I thought, just like the material of his matches kind of sh- was shitty. Like I-, I hated the fact that he was always going to like these these double countouts or like these time limit draws. Like I felt like he, he of all people, someone who I do like. I didn't. I did not feel that he deserved that coming off of his WWE run. It felt so forced and so phony, especially with especially with guys like Walter, guys like who are like way above him, way bigger than him. Like it just it, it felt like such a strange thing, and it soured like basically his entire year for me. I think. I, I mean, like I think when you realize um, that a lot of that was like packed like it, packs choosing here. Um, sure. You know him like respecting like respecting the title and like one and, totally, and, and, yeah. and, 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 and wanting the title to mean to mean something as to where like when he goes and drops it to Ben K, it do, yeah. it does mean something here. But when I say like you should go back and watch Pack, it's not like um I think he's gonna like 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 be like some drastic change for you, but like like shit <laughs> like but shit like Pack versus Dra- like Pack versus Dragon Kid from from uh from Dead or Alive is like something that's like super up your alley here that I think like maybe like just being in general kind of overpacks your year from the bullshit finishes that maybe like you didn't go back for uh did like didn't like didn't see at the time but uh like that like that's something that you would adore i think yeah okay 
Well, speaking of things that are up my alley, my number eight is a match between two personal friends of mine. <laughs> Lo and behold, it's a uh, Ezekiel James taking on Oswald Project from Pizza Party Wrestling's inaugural show. All right. Well, I saw this. Uh, I don't know. I, you got to tell me what happened here and how it got so high, man. <laughs> so, um, I think the way I want to describe this is as the best first impression a match has made for either itself or its promotion since peak TNA. Like, I think about when I first was becoming a wrestling fan, uh, and I was first, like, just seeing what was out there. Uh, like, I gravitated towards TNA pretty quickly. My little brother was a big TNA fan. Um, named himself Pac-Man when we first started doing backyard <laughs> wrestling because he was such a big fan of Pac-Man Jones, which is so funny. Um, but, uh... I think back to like those matches on like sort of like exhibition stuff of like the 2005 through 2006 or seven era, uh, the stuff that was like widely available when I was like first becoming a wrestling fan at the end of that decade. Um, it was all stuff that like immediately stood out to me that immediately made a case for that promotion. And that's also the case for a lot of people, a lot of people who were way more experienced in wrestling at that time than I was. So, um, like when I say when I say that this is like the best first impression match since then, like it's not it's not some idle chatter. Like it's I think this is I think this is something special. It's a um it's an eye catching buzzworthy match that puts Pizza Party Wrestling on the map. Like it establishes what this promotion is about, what it can achieve, like uh the ways in which it is like fun and completely different from just about everything else that the rest of the the wrestling world is doing. Um and in doing so, these two yarders, for lack of a better term, like make no mistakes. Like they, they have like what is obviously kind of a short little match, but like they have a, a, a gimmicky angle driven match where like one guy pulls the other out of a crowd and the other is unbeknownst to everyone, like a fucking lab experiment who like doesn't act like a human being. Like they, they pull off what sounds like a silly goofy thing and make like a whole crowd of people lose their minds about it and get a ton of buzz behind this promotion that seemed like nothing more than a gimmick. And now like they've run a whole year of shows and are coming back for WrestleMania weekend again, like traveling all the way down to Tampa to do it instead of just, uh, you know, in New Jersey where they were based. Like I, I think like this match accomplished so much and on top of that like i think it is just really a swell little match that does everything it needs to do like delivers on like a hot fun little thing like late in the card when these people have seen so much like and it establishes this new character who is completely unique in the world of wrestling it's just it's it's amazing i think and like when i you know when i was like putting together this this top 100 matches of the year like i had the top 2 firmly in place number 3 was like a decent way behind it, but was not necessarily worse than those two matches. Um, and then like four five and six and seven were things that I sort of felt strongly about. And then like, I had to shuffle them around a little bit and eventually I did settle on something that I feel that I feel good about. And as I'm continuing on through the top 10, I was like, fuck it, man. There was not a better match <laughs> this year. Like there was not a match that like more impressed me that more impressed other people, which is not necessarily a thing that happens a lot. <laughs> both of those things. Um, and like it, it like there was not a match that like that more perfectly hit what it needed to do like in like what could you ask for in wrestling more than a match that like totally put a promotion and the two people in it on the map yeah i think that's something that gets like lost when talking about uh 
Well, guess what? What one talking about in critiquing wrestling is that at the end of the day, like you need this shit to be effective. Mm-hmm. And like it's like right here, like you're right. This is like the most like effective shit that probably happened in 2019. Yeah, and it, like you like you mentioned it here, but like as far as like more like more like a character being intro being introduced and like really and like really just nailing every aspect of that for me like the the, the debut of Oswald Project here um, is like my like my favorite debut of a character in a, in a wrestling capacity since like. Matanza and Lucha Underground. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. Like, was like I feel like they totally nailed everything that they should have did there in Aztec Warfare too, and they they do here right here. <laughs> they they completely like obviously Oswald Project is not Jeff Cobb under a mask. Right, he's Dude. better. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, but no, but no, man, I, I totally get it. Like, just like based off your effectiveness, like like you're not gonna find anything, you're not gonna find many more matches that did exactly what this right. thing did here. Yeah, um, my number eight is a, is a match you mentioned a little bit ago, but it's Jordan Devlin versus versus Walter from OTT Scrapper Mania Five. Okay, there's nothing wrong with predictability sometimes in wrestling. I think totally. I think I think a lot of the time, uh, you know, with, with a lot with how a lot of us has, have grew up on Western wrestling, we have like this tendency to really want shit to happen how we want it. Like we want immediate, we want instant gratification, we want we want shit to like fly off the wall every 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 two months and you know going staying with one thing for what we deem too long is now boring and now we turn we turn on it and all that stuff and i'm glad that we have a match where it rewards your predict it rewards the predictability that you go back to to august of 2018 and you knew that devlin had to go back and beat walter Right. You couldn't just you couldn't just leave this hanging here. You couldn't just have this have this cloud looming that that Devlin couldn't beat this guy. And you you wait for it and you wait for it. And there's this there's these twists and turns. You have David have David Starr's turn. You have you have Devlin going out there and beating and beating um and beating Star, earning the earning the right to move on here. And Devlin going out there and and punch and punching Walter in, in the mouth and just dropping him, dropping him one last time, heading into the show, and you knew that at Scrapper Mania Five, Devlin was gonna pick this guy up, drop him on his head, and win the OTT title back. But in that, you still get this crowd investment that's next level shit, dude. Like you're not like you're not gonna find anything else like this. Yeah, and that, and that even if. Like you, you like you know, like you know how the story ends. It doesn't make the story any less effective. And it's the guy fighting for the pride of for the fight for the pride of his country, even more literally this time. As Walter is even more established as the heel, Walter is stepping on the OTT title belt and all the and all these things. But here's Devlin, and the crowd just goes berserk for him, and. Jordan and Jordan Devlin is taking it to Walter right away, kicking him out, of, kicking him out of the ring, and having just having just having the advantage here. J- Jordan Devlin can't be stopped, and then the tide turns when Jordan Devlin chops the ring post. And you know, I, I, like it's, I gotta give I gotta give this coward his credit, man. He knows he knows how to flip tropes in his matches. Sure. He's really he's really good at it. And 
you know, you expect Walter to chop the, chop the ring post and is subverted and Jordan Devlin chops it. And now you're getting this Walter handwork, all this Walter handwork. And, you know, they've really played up this Devlin boxing thing as the, as the months have gone on. So now you're worried is Devlin's right hand going to be as effective as it should be. And to watch Devlin overcome all this stuff, to watch Devlin overcome this, this guy that is, that's as good of a monster as I think that like indie rest, that indie wrestling has got, has gotten to see, uh, and believably do it too. It's not like, it doesn't feel like Devlin is beating Walter just cause he's supposed to be beat Walter cause he's booked to do it. Right. It feels like you're watching this guy like survive and overcome these hardships in a genuine and believable way. So as you're watching Devlin in Walter hits, hits him with this one last chop in defiance and Devlin just, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not losing today. I can't lose today. I refuse to lose today and just punches the dude in the mouth and picks him up for one last pile driver. You feel it. And it's predictable. You knew it was going to happen back in August of 2018, but it doesn't make it any, any less impactful. And it's a match that I'm, I, I think sadly is going to get forgotten. I think in the time, just because like the star in Devlin stuff, I think got, got much more praise. Uh, this is going to fall wayside and it shouldn't because I, I rewatched this earlier today and I already had, and I already had this pegged for my top 10, but you know, sometimes like the, like the, like exactly knowing what, what the good guy is going to win and the good guy is going to come out of this in that everything's going to feel, everything's going to feel good for once is what you want out of wrestling. And I have a match that does that better you know, you know, higher, higher on my list, but there's nothing wrong with being like the number, like the number two, like best baby face moment of the year uh, in 2019. Yeah. Like I'd, uh, I'd echo a lot of the things you said, but I did want to, um, I did want to mention like one thing, like it, it's certainly true that like just the nature of the story certainly encouraged the idea that like devil is going to eventually get his revenge and, and, and win one back for the Irish. Um, but like there was like some doubt leading into this, just being that Walter was like a WWE guy and was like specifically a heavily pushed WWE guy. He's, he's, he's um, I, I'm not sure he was he he wasn't the champion yet, but like he's like he's I'm going in. Sure going, he was at this point. He, he I'm not, I don't think he might have been. Won it, I think he'd won it in January against Dunn. No, 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 no. Um, he won it in the, like that that mania um that mania weekend, and I think that sure. was like like the like like April, and then this is March 16th. Yeah. So, but, just, but like two weeks before, yeah, but yeah, but still, he's but he's about to win the absolutely NXT like UK title. Yeah, absolutely, he's about to end this like five hundred day reign or whatever. And even if like Devlin is another WWE guy, like someone who could beat him theoretically in our <laughs> goofy understanding of how these things work, like there was still a little bit of doubt, like more doubt than I think you're giving it credit for here. That like, sure, yeah, that like shit, like the bad thing could happen. <laughs> like Walter could still walk away with this title. I mean. And I think that made this a little more exciting. Um, and like, there's, uh, I didn't have this super high, like not as high as you, because like, I think this match feels kneecapped in a couple of particular ways. Like, I think, I think these guys like work surprisingly light for a pair of like hard hitting guys, like people who are, who certainly are capable of hitting each other real hard. Um, and I think this was like kind of corny in some ways, especially with like the coward, the cowardly spots from Walter. Um, I mean, it's, like o- it's only one really though. And even then, like that was something that I think like land, like landed for me more sure. on rewatch just because like, it, like on, like on pay, like when I, like when I first watched, I was like, ah, oh, like why is like Joe Cabre coming out here? And like, yeah, like, but like, you know, 
it's all the Irish guys, which 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 is like something that like all right, all right, like okay, okay, like I, I guess I'm fine with like that story beat here. Whereas totally. Joe, whereas Joe Cabray, uh, Paul Tracy, more than hype and Scotty Davis, like all the Irish guys, and OTT has been a promotion that like so heavily has been import heavy. So it wasn't like there's all these random import baby faces coming in and stopping Walter's path. It's been sure. all like the defining like the defining Irish characters of the promotion. Yeah, any and but but like yeah, like even even with those complaints aside, like even if that felt kind of corny or like out of character aside, this still delivers on such an incredible payoff and one that I think is like uh, I mentioned this in my review. I think one that is shot in such a memorable way. Like I have such a I have such a strong memory of like being able to see this push in on Devlin's face and the cut to the crowd and then a wider cut to the crowd, and it's. Like, it's something that's burned in my memory. It's something that I'm going to remember the rest of my life just because it was, like, it was such a well-built thing that it might have been kind of a rocky road at some points along the way, but, like, they still got me where I wanted to go. Um, And one, and one thing I wanted to mention here is that, you know, people have problems with, with, like, these, like, you know, all, like, you know, these handshakes at the end of, like, these big heel yeah. face things in wrestling, and... This this is one of the only ones where I actually really liked it, especially on rewatch, where sure. Walter is getting like getting up and sizing up sizing up Devlin again, and on the stage on the stage on looking is is David Starr just with his arms crossed with his with his glasses on just looking on un- just looking unhappy, and Walter and Starr whose history speaks for itself, Walter just sort of glances over at Starr. And then, and then puts his hand out and shakes and shakes and, sh- and shakes Devlin's hand. Yeah. Just like a real like shot in the fucking ribs. Yeah, as Star, like I like I like just you know you fully believe that Star that Walter wouldn't have shaken his hand and like given Devlin that moment of satisfaction if David Star wasn't also looking at it, so he could be like, yeah, fuck you too. <laughs> totally. Like I I get why that works for you. Like I. I don't know. If anything, I wish Devlin would have turned him down and then like beat his ass again or something. But if you're you're gonna do the handshake, I like that's like as good as you're gonna do it. I think. Sure, sure, sure. My 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 lucky number seven. I think I'm gonna say nunchuck number seven, which I was like, where we go here? My nunchuck number seven. My lucky number seven is a match that's near and dear to my heart. It's Billy Rock versus Mike Quackenbush from Bizarro Lucha's Endless Waltz. Yeah, and I had this done at forty six. Um, so, okay, so first and foremost, I should mention that this match takes place in Indianapolis, in the great Indiana City Brewing Company, um, not my favorite brewing company around here, but, like, a good one, um, uh, and before any, before I say anything else, like, I want to say that this is just, like, a really delightful exhibition of the Chikara style, you know, that, that hybrid Lancashire, Lucha Libre, 90s junior heavyweight sort of thing that Mike Quackenbush may or may not have innovated but at the very least is famous for um and that billy rock a guy from here in indiana adopted as his own and sort of championed from here across the united states um in addition to that this is a one-off return for billy who retired back in 2016 in a match that came up in our first podcast our first year-end podcast that we ever did yeah billy buck versus billy rock versus trip cassidy Uh uh-huh um and if like you don't know who Billy is, like he was like he was a, a local wrestler and a local promoter who like really does mean the world to to professional wrestling in the state of Indiana. Like a guy who, um, <laughs> a guy who was like a great trainer and a great wrestler who was also just like honest 
and and good natured in a way that like so many people other so many other people aren't especially in this state um like a guy you could trust and like a guy that you were happy to go see wrestle on a saturday night um and he did that for so long and and was like such a big such a big influence and, and, and such a great friend to all sorts of people like myself included like i met him fucking like 11 10 11 years ago now and like he gave me like a Colt cabana pin like was just a, sw- a swell guy like the first time i ever met him um and so like it was really cool to watch him to come back and have this great match with quack like another person who i like a whole lot uh and this match was also really rewarding because um of something that we talked about a couple days ago uh with like getting to see your friends freak out uh, in a wrestling match like um, i think we mentioned it in orange cassidy versus chris statlander um, and we have it here like we we again have a couple friends of mine in the crowd um, as well as one in commentary um, and getting to watch <laughs> getting to watch and listen to all of them like lose their minds for a guy that they love coming back and having a great match with another wrestler that they like that was just such a rewarding thing um, and specifically it was really rewarding to see our friend jay rose like a, a a young Hoosier, a, a young guy around my age, like someone who <laughs> bleeds Hoosier wrestling even more than I do. It was so rewarding to watch him like totally lose his mind over this match. Like, um, it, it was such a nice reminder that like, um, that a place is not like a place is more than just like a, a dot on a map. Like it's more than like a city, a state, a region, whatever you want to say. Like it's more than just like a geographic location. Um, a place is a people specifically. Like it's a collection of people that by whatever combination of like mystifying coincidences or happy accidents or punishments, maybe even um, a, a group of people that have somehow like found themselves together and are trying to make the best of it. And like when I say like when I say that I'm a proud Hoosier or that I'm a proud Midwesterner or whatever, like it's not, it's not a comment on like how much I like the trees here or how much I like the dirt here. Even if those, those things are true. Like it's, it's a, it's a comment on how like I've found myself in the trenches with all sorts of different people, like all sorts of people who have wildly different lives than me, who have wildly different opinions and, and perspectives on the world. But regardless of all of that, regardless of like everything that has that has like defined us individually. Like we've come together and tried to make the best of the nightmare that we call life. Like try to get through things. Like when I say that, like, like when I say that I'm a a proud Hoosier, like it means that I'm proud of the fact that like we've made it all through this shit and that we could only have done it together. And like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to champion that fact and trying to draw attention to that fact, like in a world where like people are more fractured than ever or whatever you want to say, or, or people are just more selfish and, and like, don't care about like where they come from or the people that they've spent time with. Um, there's this, um, <laughs> for better or for worse, I love Kurt Vonnegut. Like, um, he's a writer who I fell in love with as a teenager, like so many stupid white boys do. Um, and for better or for worse, like he's continued to define my life in many ways. Like one of the great Hoosiers, someone who was, who was born and raised in Indiana, whose entire family is like really etched into the history of the state and specifically the city of Indianapolis. Um, in his last book, he died about, he died coming up on 13 years ago. Now his last book, uh, was like a collection of essays entitled, uh, man without a country. 
Um, and it might be my favorite of all of his works, honestly. It, it, it's like it most, I think it most clearly hits on his specific brand of like stubborn humanism that appealed so much to me when I was like a, a teenager, like looking for guidance in a world that was quickly losing all reason. Um, and so like towards the end of this book, like he tells a story about his two uncles, um, his uncle Dan is like a real old school kind of guy, like uh, from whatever generation was before the boomers. Um, so he tells the story of like his uncle Dan saying shit like, Oh man, a boy doesn't become a man until he goes to war. And Vonnegut relates on how like his experiences in world war two and like surviving bombings, like made him want to kill the guy when he said shit like that. And then he also tells stories about his other uncle, this guy named Alex, who was, way more genial way more affable um more of an educated man if i'm not mistaken who who's who thought that humanity's greatest sin was that we don't notice when we're happy that we don't take the time out of our day to recognize when things are going well and vocalize that say like oh man like this is you know things are pretty good right now and so Vonnegut, like towards the end of this book, is like is like trying to wrap things up and is trying to leave people with what are going to be like the lasting impressions of his life. And he's urging people to say, like whenever they're to to notice like whenever they're happy, to notice whenever things are going well, and to just take a minute and, and murmur to themselves or think or or just outright exclaim, If this isn't nice, I don't know what is. And that's the impression that I want to leave with this match that like if this isn't a great match i don't know what is i can't say much to follow up on what you just said there but this is i think one of the most rewarding crowd reactions to a match all Mm -hmm. year as uh something i'm not sure if you touched on um in the time you were talking about this but like the history between billy rock and mike quackenbush and that they had a match previously that, Mm that 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 quack won um, this being like this, like big rematch of like this, I guess like sort of like cult classic match in the sure. in the, in the Midwest, yeah. and the fact that you know Quack who doesn't have to give much of his time to anyone, well, let alone give someone like a like a like a victory over him, is that Billy Rock beats Quack and the crowd loses their fucking minds. Mm. And again, like, this is one of the most rewarding things you'll see in all of, in all of wrestling, and. You know, I don't have the same uh, sentimentality um, attached sure. to it that you do here, which is why it only winds up as being like my number forty-six match of the year. <laughs> but like, like it's a, it's great, man, and I'm and I'm glad that it like meant so that it, that it meant so much for you. Yeah, uh, my number seven is something that definitely didn't mean anything to you. It oh, is uh, your pal and mine, Kunisuke Takashita versus Tetsuya Endo from DDT Peter Pan. Oh, okay. I didn't even watch this one. Uh so I've said before that like the way to view Takashita and Endo is like DD like like a D like DDT's version of a of a Masawa Kawada like like thing here. Sure. In the way of like you may think that oh my god like why aren't like why aren't they pulling the trigger on Endo like they should be doing this they should be doing that and while I don't like disagree with it but um it's you know it's a mountain to climb. It's about when the climb that, you know, goes years and years and years from their time as tag team partners and, um, you know, just even as they as they grow older, that Endo can't overcome this dude. No matter, like, how much Endo succeeds, no matter how much success Endo finds, 
Takashita is always looming over his shoulder. And I and I would like, I want to mention that like a lot of that comes from the fact that Takashita, like both of these guys found great success when they were young, but like Takashita in particular was hailed as like a prodigy was a guy who was getting like new japan looks like when he was real young so like it's it's no surprise that someone like endo who is quote-unquote simply just a good wrestler um would, would struggle so much against someone who is perceived to be a, this prodigy level talent um takashita being so much better than endo and to endo being sick of being in takashita's shadow is what drives endo to go go and join damnation in the first place you know mm-hmm. similar to you know the when kawada when, when kawada split from the uh from the super generation army like you know what i mean it's uh it's 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 the kind of stuff where you understand why someone is so frustrated by this but then the other party but then the other party just like the guy don't fucking know like i would I, i'm just sitting there like trying to do what i think we're like what we're supposed to be doing here but something is different about this match, though. And as some as someone that's watched uh, most of the Takashita Endo matches that are available to, that are that are available to be watched, um, even before they're both in prominent spots, Takashita is never as emotional emotional about facing Endo as Endo seems to be about facing him. This is always a big moment for Endo to be in the ring with Takashita, and with Takashita, this always feels like a day at the office. Except for this time with Peter Pan, uh, Endo had just well, had just captured the uh, the open weight title recently, in at the DDT New York shows. First time Endo's won the belt, big moment for Endo. And and, and as we mentioned it on the previous installment, Endo's had a pretty good reign here. Uh huh. And here comes Takashita after after winning uh after winning King King, King of DDT, and. I'm expecting just like a typical Endo Takashita match. Takashita wants to fuck this dude up. And again, it's the benefit of watching all of these matches and following these guys and how they usually work each other. Takashita never acts like this. Takashita is mean and nasty in a way that Endo didn't even expect. Endo didn't Endo didn't think this was gonna happen. Endo thought he was gonna like get, get, get typical sleepwalking, going through the motions, Takashita. And Takashita is a fucking bastard here. He is stepping on this dude's back and doing these backbreakers and insane in, in wild ways, and Endo selling the hell out of it. And like they managed to do all their wild shit that you would expect Takashita and Tatsuya Endo to do, but it feels it doesn't ever feel like Endo is doing is doing this stuff and like compromising the back work. It's always there. It's always looming. And it's always part of the story that they're telling. And Takashita eventually, like he's he's been working this this Boston crab hold on Endo this whole match. But you're but he's doing it, and you're not really expecting it to to mean to mean much of anything because Takashita has such a vast move set that it's like okay, sure. like it's just he's just doing it. Like Takashita still has like his wrist his wrist clutch German. Um, like bicycle knees and lariats and brain busters and all that and all the stuff that he could finish up Endo with, so you're not really thinking of this of this of this Boston Crab until the match goes on until this match keeps going and you're like oh shit like Endo might tap to this and paying off the back work that they've been that they've been laying down for all that match like Endo eventually just taps to it and it's the most focused Takashita match you'll ever see. Uh, the guy just does not stop. He's unrelenting. And it's a thing that I, I've, been, I've been firmly camp Takashita 
real like since like since these guys since these guys have split, and it's the first time I watched these guys wrestle each other, and I wanted Endo to win, and I think that I think that, and I think that's a testament to both guys here, and really just Takashita t- like taking it up a notch when a lot of the time like I could totally see that maybe he's just like doing everything that he would usually do in a regular match, and he just, he just doesn't work this way at all. I think in this in this Endo one. All right, so my number six match of the year is something you're going to have higher than me. It's Daniel Bryan defending the WWE Championship against Kofi Kingston at WrestleMania. Yeah, got this one higher. And my number six of the match that you mentioned not too long ago is Kenny Omega versus Hiroshi Tanahashi from New Japan for wrestling Wrestle Kingdom 13. Oh, interesting. Two title matches of the biggest shows of the year. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, it's funny to think that, like, this shit wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it's like it's been on record that if Kenny if Kenny Omega was staying in New Japan that Kenny Omega would have won would have won this match. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say like as f- far as I understood it, it's not that this match wasn't going to happen, it's just that the finish was going to be the other way. Well, yeah, yeah, that's what, that's that's all I'm saying. Like just like that okay. Ken, that Kenny would have won the match. And like it wouldn't have really it would have been a great match regardless, I think. But sure. as far as like what makes it so special and what makes it like number like number six on my list and like, you know, in the in the in the twenties on yours is like the big payoff to this Hiroshi Tanahashi twenty eighteen. Uh-huh. Um Tanahashi taking taking his lumps in twenty eighteen from Minoru Suzuki, from Okada. But the guy by in that G one is something is something magical in the water. And Hiroshi Tanahashi is able to turn back the clock in such an organic and like emotional way, where you realize like no matter no matter of like your night of your Naitos and Kennys and Okadas and Ibushi's like the Tanahashi's connection with the crowd is is is, is something else, and it's wild to think that like that like this guy only won the G one because he had because he had that movie coming out and it like wasn't gonna be like this meaningful like long arc. Like, that's like that's not what it was but it plays out that way and i think that's like there's beauty in the fact that it was like so like unintentional but like it's right there in front of you to like grasp and like put together too and kenny omega who's coming off like you know to put it nicely like a not so well received title run right and you know he's like you know really healed himself to a lot of the audience especially in these video packages here where he's like totally dismissing tanahashi's era and tanahashi's style of wrestling and really and making the, um you remember the the day before this when they do the press conference in Korokin, like he's 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 like imitating Tanahashi, being like, oh, don't, "Don't hurt me, Kenny." You remember that? Yeah. I I only just remembered that the other day. Yeah, um, Kenny's a fucking dick. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and they really kind of like make this thing out to be like this clash of like wrestling philosophies, mm-hmm. you know, which, I, yeah. which I thought which I thought was like which I thought was an interesting detail here. Um. Again, I mentioned I mentioned it with uh with Nomura versus Okabayashi, but if this was purely what like like me thinking like what was the best like in ring match of the year, this is my number one. I think this is so well worked, especially from Kenny here in these early stages. I think Kenny is phenomenal in control here. It's the best. I think it's the best heel Kenny's ever looked. Um, just everything has purpose in it. There's no, there's no waste of motion, always exuding personality, some insane, like, strength spots, and just, just petty, dismissive shit towards Tanahashi, and 
then like then we get the transition into like the more Tanahashi style match. Uh some like some leg work that open that opens up a window for Tanahashi. And Kenny and I think Kenny Omega sells it really sells it really well for the amount of time that he's that he's asked to do it. And it gives Tanahashi this this window that he didn't have before going up against the against a stronger, younger, better athlete. And you you start to believe in Tanahashi. And, you know, I'm someone that watches all these Wrestle Kingdom shows live. Or at least I I've tried to, I've tried to for like the last like um like seven like seven years at this point. And I I won't be able to tell you, like, you know, even me being like this like, you know, historically big Kenny Omega guy, Kenny Omega will be on my top one hundred ever. So with Tanahashi, but like watching this and feeling myself go for like, I want Tanahashi to win, I want Tanahashi to win is like I I love shit like that. I love when guys that like I'm I'm in, I'm in the bag for and that I know are my guys that I think they have great matches and I think that they have like really unique and interesting stories. I love when they're able to work throughout the match and make me want something else other than them to win. And Tanahashi's no small part in that. Tanahashi is can be one of the best baby faces you'll ever see. And that entire 2018 through this run just exemplifies that. And you know, it's a it's a kind of a beautiful accident that they stumble into something that is Hiroshi Tanahashi's last big run. That is Hiroshi Tanahashi's probably probably last IWGP title win. And it, 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 I don't think it, I don't think it could come in a better fashion. I think it's I think it's a match that's going to age really well. I think it's, I think it's a match that's going to stand the test of time. And I there is such a good bow on this Hiroshi Tanahashi arc from 2018 of just in the face of this younger, stronger competition, Hiroshi Tanahashi found a way time and time again. And, uh, in the face of all this stuff, like to be the hero that new Japan needed again. Hmm. Uh, I wanted to return to something that you mentioned, which was like this idea that these guys had like different philosophies, different ideologies of what wrestling is supposed to be. And like how that was a big crux of the match. Um, and I wanted to say like, I, I thought that was like such a, such an interesting thing and something that drew me into this match a lot more than um, the sorts of hooks that you see in other big title matches, especially in new Japan. Like so much of, so much of wrestling is just kind of surface level. As far as storytelling is concerned, it's just like one guy saying like, Oh, I want to win the belt. And the other guy's like, no, I want to keep it. And you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be more than that. Like there's plenty of great stuff that I love that falls in line with that. But um, I appreciated this match for having like something a little deeper that I could dig into, especially in a promotion that I think presents itself as like a, a big storytelling leader, but most of the time leaves me real cold. Um, more than anything though, like I think the biggest endorsement I can give this match is the fact that like, I, I sort of have never liked the wrestle kingdom main events like for whatever reason like they just never hit with me even one like 2012 with tanahashi versus suzuki like felt like it it certainly didn't feel like the best match that those guys were capable of and that was eventually proven later in that october with like a, a legendary match um but even like if 2012 was like the best wrestle kingdom main event i'd seen before this like the track record was kind of spotty um but this one, like, this is a match that, like, I wholeheartedly love, like, without reservation. And I've I've never been able to say that about this show before. Yeah, I didn't know that you weren't big on, like, the Okada, Tana, like, Wrestle Kingdom matches. So well, I, like, I reviewed so... them recently and, like, had a, it was a whole thing. Yeah, okay. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad this match, like, some, like, a match involving Kenny Omega. <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely. Definitely, like, 
probably my favorite Kenny match, like, or at least since I've stopped being a fan of his. Like, yeah, it totally worked. All right, so what's your number five? Number five is a match that you mentioned earlier. It's uh, a number one contendership match between Jordan Devlin and David Starr from OTT Homecoming 2. And I had this at 21. Uh, funny enough, I think I kind of underrated this match for a little while, um, at least recently. Like when I was putting together this top 100, uh, I kind of didn't know where to put this thing. Um, at the beginning of the year when this happened, I had penciled it in as my match of the year. Um, and it stayed that way throughout April when a couple other big contenders came along. Um, and just for a long time, like I, I consider this as like, yes, this was the best thing that I've seen this year. And then as the star Devlin Walter story progressed and twisted and changed in ways that I didn't always love. Like this match sort of fell by the wayside. Um, so much so that like when I first was putting together this list, this match was below the homecoming match or the below the um, fifth anniversary match. Um, and eventually I was just like, okay, like I, I kind of don't remember enough about this to accurately rate it. So like I went back to my review and I read that everything I wrote and I was just like, Oh yeah, I loved this. Like, I thought this was like such a wonderful thing. Like, uh, like a match that like hit on all, like everything that I loved about this feud, as well as just like what I enjoy in wrestling. And it wormed its way back up here again to where it's now, you know, my number five match of the year. Um, I think this is like, this is definitely like the best that this feud ever got. Um, it probably ever will get if it does continue on after this. Like it's, it's certainly like the peak of this story. I want to say like uh, Devlin eventually beating Walter certainly is a huge thing, but like I, I felt was sort of, as I mentioned before, uh, was, was sort of like mitigated in a couple of important ways. Um, and in more than just being the peak of the story, I think this is like close to the peak of this feud in the ring. Like, as far as, like, in-ring action is concerned, this is right up there with, like, OTT Redemption. Um, right up there with uh, A Haven for Monsters. Like, those two tag matches I thought were astounding. And, like, this is, as far as, like, the spots are concerned, like, this is right up there with them. Um, and unlike unlike matches that came later in this feud, I don't think anything is, like, getting in the way of anything else in this match. Like there's the desire to pop a crowd, um, the desire to have a hard hitting match, the desire to have a prestigious, like well-received match, um, the desire to further the story in some new or interesting way. Like none of those things get in the way of the, of each other, the way that I think they do later on. Um, like for once, everything in this match, I think is in harmony and it, and it makes for something that I really love. Um, and truly, like, if I had to compare this to anything, I think this is, like, this is a better and more focused and more appealing version of something like the Golden Lovers versus Young Bucks tag from 2018 that you and I both enjoyed a lot. Um, like, a match that hits on, like, a lot of the same thematic ideas of, like, this really petty and personal feud. Like, uh, a match... A match that gets real nasty in the way that only a match between close friends can. Like, I thought this hit hit a little better on that. and It, it had fewer of the things that I hate in wrestling. <laughs> um, like, it really helps when Kota Ibushi's not in this thing. Um, and, like, yeah, like, I... It was, it was so funny. Like, just a couple months ago, like, I wasn't sure if this was going to make it anywhere near day three of this podcast. And, like, here we are talking about it as a top five match. Like, this was something that, like, wowed me. And then I fell off on it, and it wowed me again. And I think that I think that's a real strong testament. Yeah, and uh, 
something you said that I didn't think about is that it manages to be like a perfect marriage between wanting to be everything, but it's not feeling like it's like sacrificing one thing to be to be another. It's it's like it hits prestige, it hits, it hits prestige, prestige wrestling notes. It hits it it, it, it it extends the feud. It like like you know it it does all the spots and moves and all this stuff. It does everything without trying to be too much of another thing, which I thought, which I didn't, I didn't think about until now, but like, I think it's a perfect description of it. Uh, my number five then is Kento Miyahara versus Noya Nomura from All Japan Pro Wrestling, March 19th. A match you just rewatched and that I never want to watch again. I'm, I'm someone that since Kento has had this uh, run as the, as the face of All Japan that I've had him on my wrestler of the year list, like, fairly highly like i think maybe like top 10 or like close to top 10 like each time uh we've, we've done this thing and something that always worried me is you know when's this gonna stop when am i gonna stop being impressed by uh by kento miyahara and fuck dude like this like this guy the second year in a row now i thought like the zeus match was like his pinnacle and it it still very well might be i still might call that october zeus match his best match but i thought he would i thought he wouldn't touch that and then here he is with this match with against noya namora a guy that i like but i wasn't like nearly as enthralled with as a lot of the new as the all japan fan base was right and it just fucking floors me dude um the thing about kenzo miyahara that i appreciate a lot in this match is Kento's grown arrogance over the last few years. Kento has faced and done everything in all Japan in in this time. He's faced Yuji Chikawa. Yuji beats him. He goes he goes and slays the beast. He he faces Sekimoto in the Champions Carnival. Sekimoto beats him. Sekimoto wins the Champions Carnival. Then he comes back and he beats Sekimoto. Now Mara Fuji beats him in the in the Champions Carnival final. Fuji gets a title shot. He goes back and beats him. Zeus, his generational rival. Goes up there, beats beat him for the title. He goes back and gets it from Zeus. He's done and vanquished like everything that they've put in front of this dude, except someone from a younger generation, except the guy that's not from Kento's class. You know, when Zeus when Zeus beats him, it's a little different. Like those guys were like, you know, one and two. Like who's gonna be who's gonna be the guy that leads all Japan into the future? Right. And obviously they chose Kento there, but Zeus was right there for that decision. Um, when Kento starts next stream in twenty in twenty sixteen, uh, Kento is twenty six or twenty seven, and a younger Noyo Namura is twenty two or twenty three years old. Yeah. Uh, so very much, so very much one of Ken, one of Kento's underlings, kind of like Jake Lee in a way, that is uh coming back, you know, you know, and wanting to test their metal against like you know the top guy, but with Nomura. It feels like he. It feels like he studied Kento, and I think. And I think like that's part. Like part of it. Why like it really nails for me is like it doesn't feel like someone who doesn't understand what they're getting. What they're getting. What they're getting into the ring with. It's not a guy that's shooting for the stars and and, and landing way, 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 way down between way, way farther than that. It's someone that, despite all of Kento's tricks and uh, and all of, and all of his um, overconfidence and everything. Like something like like Kento's spot where he goes out there and you've seen a, you've seen you've seen a Kento match before where he'll go out there grab the guy and throw him and throw him like chest first over top of like the guardrail or whatever. 
this like Noya Nomura doesn't let that happen. He doesn't think he does he does it to Kenzo. He does he like in that in this match is full of little shit like that as to where Kenzo realizes that this guy is not a joke. And in and in turn you get a Kenzo that's sort of like on the offensive in a way that you that you don't that you don't really give it for. But the, I mean but the offensive and defensive defensive rather, I mean, where Noya Nomura just has his number. And you get you get a Kenzo that then starts to overcompensate for uh I think his bruised ego here. With Noya Nomura, this guy in his first triple crown title shot, uh, you know, really taking it to him. And Kenzo didn't expect it. And right here, I think that it's the it's one of the only like real character explorations of Kento Miyahara that I think we've that I think we've seen. But damn if I don't if I don't think it's great. And it's all about like young resilience and trying to prove yourself in the face of this person that theoretically like knows you just as well as any other person in the roster does. Like this is someone right. that's like you know, one of your mentors in this thing. And it feels like, it feels like no more really making his stamp. Uh, we, Jake Lee is someone that I think a lot of all Japan fans had, pencil, had penciled in for like, okay, like, you know, f- following that Royal road, like he feels like the guy that, that should, that should beat Kento. And Noya Nomura after this and how the crowd reacted to him and his near falls and how he was taking it to Kento in such believable ways and just beating the shit out of him and Kento having and Kento having to fire back. You feel like Nomura's the guy. Like like no more like Nomura's their Kabashi. Like Nomura should be the guy that like eventually down the line, like this is his moment to dethrone Kento. And there's this one last act of defiance that like takes this match from like great to me to an elite tier match where Kento's Kento's going for his his straight jacket German, and and Nomura just breaks out of it. Like Nomura is hoisted up in the air, like midair. All Kento has to do is just lean is lean back and take and take the guy down to the mat. But Nomura just bursts out of it, and Kento grabs him back into it and slams him back down. And it's such a small thing, but no one's ever done that with Kento. No right. one, no one's ever, no one's ever done that shit. As we're like, like that's the hope spot. Like people break out of the straight jacket suplex and they go straight into their and they go straight into their offense and a comeback. No one breaks out of it like that's your final hope spot. And 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 that's it for me. That took that match to the next level. And I love the character exploration here. And I love the fact that Nomura, a young guy that you know he's he's held tag titles and all that stuff, but in this era of Kento. There hasn't been a young, there hasn't been like a younger guy or a guy of Kento's generation to sit there and like break through to that next level, and it felt like Nomura was the guy here, and it made it made me interested to see like eventually like you know when is Nomura gonna get his moment in the sun? Uh, the no, the September Nomura versus Kento match, I think, I think is generally more well received. Um, something that I did, I wanted to rewatch for the, for the top 100, didn't get, didn't get the time to for what very well could have finished super high for me if I, if I, if I did go back for it. But I think this is, this match is just, just as good of like young defiance and like earning your keep in the face, in the face of like the ace of the company. I, I just, I love it for what, for what that represents. Sure. Uh, as your number five, right? All right. Uh, moving on. My number four is. It's a match I heard no one else talking about. It's uh, Eddie Kingston versus Jonathan Gresham from Progress Chapter 92. This is very much some Brock shit, so you, you go ahead, man. That's the thing, man. Like I I, I love these two guys. Um, Eddie Kingston, 
at this point has probably surpassed Minoru Suzuki on the list of my favorite wrestlers is probably now at number three. And, you know, on the right day, I could probably argue him ahead of Jumbo Saruta at number two. Um, a dude who I have loved forever, who is just like, who gives everything, gives me everything that I want out of wrestling. Is just like such an incredible character. And I'm so glad he's not retiring. Like I was so sad <laughs> to hear that he was going to hang it up and, 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 and I was glad to see him like embark on like what has been truly kind of a career year for him. And I'm, and I'm glad to hear that it's, it's, it's not the end of that career. Um, and Jonathan Gresham, like, even if he's not necessarily on that same list, like, is also a dude I love, like, someone who has been, um, like, one of the most exciting wrestlers of the last couple of years, like, someone who I've always gravitated to, someone who I thought was, like, great 10 years ago, and who I've been able to, um, watch develop into, like, a truly phenomenal wrestler, like, a really well-rounded wrestler, a guy who can do it all, uh, like, it's been such a, such a great thing to watch him do that, um, to watch him progress from when he was like uh, jerking the curtain in CCW to when he's now like a new Japan regular and shit. Um, and so these two guys that I love, they have a match, uh, that is not at all surprising. It's exactly what you would expect from the two of them. Like they play out their obvious differences in their size and in their wrestling styles and in their personalities. Like they, they, they play up how, um, like how their careers in progress specifically have been going like like uh gresham is this heel gresham is this member of the heel cck team and how he's been like uh winning matches with uh a uh, winning matches by count out as of late uh, in kingston this being I, I think still his first weekend in the company and he's been like really well received um after having a um a title match against walter the day before um and like they don't go long at all like this is like a 10 or 12 minute match but even in not going long they like they still further a story and they still get something across and like they keep it real tight and and effective and efficient in a way that really appeals to me um it's really it's largely for the most part it's really like comedic and lighthearted, but like that that never gets in the way of them actually having a wrestling match like it's this is like one of the great things about wrestling it's like you you can still have someone do a three stooges routine against somebody else but at the end of the day that person's still probably gonna get their ass kicked like in a way that you like you didn't get in through this in the three stooges like maybe the three stooges got some punishment some nominal punishment or maybe somebody like bumped them on the head real hard but you didn't you didn't see them go through like a a, a 15 round boxing match once again like you didn't see them get their asses whipped and like that's what you get here from kingston finally getting his hands on gresham like that's one of the great things that that wrestling can supply as this like this combination of like combat sports and vaudeville and theater and cinema like it 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 reaches like this this like this this super enjoyable middle period like this best this um um the the best versions of like all these four things uh in it in it i just love it um but even even more than this just being like a well-worked match um like I love it because it's my kind of match. Like it's it's the thing that like appeals to my sensibilities. Like it's two guys who I love. Like performing this whole thing. Like in and in supplying these very specific things that I love. Like I feel like this match gets me. Um, and to switch gears a little bit, um, did you watch Marriage Story perchance? Yeah, I did. We talked about it. You did okay. I just don't remember that. Uh, last year. Um, Film director by the the name of Noah Baumbach released really one of the more buzzworthy buzzworthy movies of the year. Uh, this film called Marriage Story on Netflix that was great. Like loved it. You should definitely go 
watch it if you haven't seen it um all you listeners uh but like that wasn't my first introduction to Bombach. he like he had made a film back in 2012 um that very quickly became one of my favorite movies ever um a film by the name of francis ha and um <laughs> i love it for a million different little reasons but like more than anything i think i love it for what it says like not necessarily not necessarily like its themes or its message like what it's trying to get across in that way but like i love it for its dialogue and how it delivers that dialogue i love it for um i love it for perfectly hitting on what it's like to be a young adult in the 21st century and in i think specifically like the 2010s in this 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 post like great recession period like it perfectly hits on like never having enough fucking money on like not being able to make a living doing what you love of of watching watching all your friends fade away like watching all these friendships that have defined the last couple of years of your life and that you feel have defined your entire life just because of how brilliant they are like watching those friendships fade away just because of like the natural cadences of life and it not being anybody's fault like it, it like nobody being the bad guy in this situation like i think like i love this movie because it like it totally hits on that like so much better than anything i've else i've ever seen like so much that like when i first watched it like seven years ago maybe like i i wanted to just say this yes like this like this like finally like finally someone gets it like someone knows what it's like out here like it's like i just wanted to scream from the rooftops about this movie and that's what watching this match is like it's like someone someone reached into my brain and sorted through all the fucking gunk and deciphered all the bullshit and isolated everything that i love and like distilled it down into its purest most potent form and put that in a wrestling match with people that i adore like (laughs) and it's just for my benefit like no i said no one else is talking about this match no one has this match this high on the wrestler (laughs) on their match of the year list and like i like i i feel so blessed for having gotten this match and like it's not it's not the best match of 2019 Like, I saw three matches that I have ranked ahead of this, and honest to God, like, I have a bunch of matches ranked below this that if you really put a gun to my head and ask me, like, okay, but, like, mechanically, though, is this really better than this? (laughs) This is not better than this. Um, But even if it's not, like, the best match that I saw in 2019, this was, like, the most favorite match of mine that I've seen in years and years. Yeah, I I didn't see this. I can't comment on it. But... I, yeah, there's, there's, like, it, it just sounds like some very Brock ass shit. It absolutely is that, like you know, like some like sometimes like that's just like this is what you want out of your wrestling sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. Like this match might be some real Quentin ass shit, but it's uh, so it's T Hawk versus Shataro Ishino from Wrestle One, January fifth. And this this didn't make my list. I did enjoy this though. This was like this was pretty good. Seahawk is a phenomenal wrestler that mm-hmm. I think uh, got a lot of shit that wasn't his fault due to um, straight up like Dragon Gate being stuck in its ways and being cowardly mm-hmm. and not committing and not committing to their ideas and its fan base as well. Yep, and its and its fan base as well, um, native and native and Western. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, it doesn't help that at the time with uh with T Hawks with T Hawks push and the and the disbanding of the millennials that uh this coinciding with Roman Reigns' push. So a ton of a ton a ton of Roman Reigns comparisons when it when it comes when it comes to um when it comes when it comes to T Hawk really as far as far as like as far as Western fans and it's it's just the most unfair shit ever. I think like you like you don't know if someone is connecting with the audience until you put them in a position to like you have to see that. And for what it's worth, every time I sat there and I saw like T Hawk in a big spot, it's not like people didn't react to him. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's not like people didn't care. Like yeah, from what I from what um from what Jai, um, from what Jai was saying uh back when iHeartDG was still a thing that like T Hawk wasn't T Hawk wasn't a great promo compared to like uh like eight like eight or Linda like okay cool that doesn't that doesn't that didn't then mean that this guy was like suddenly not beloved or suddenly not could have like could like could have like translated to that to that level and i think that i think especially with when uh when the owe cast of shima takahiro yamamura linda and t-hawk all all bounced t-hawk was the guy i was most excited for because i think he's the guy more than anybody that needed that fresh coat of paint and for someone to really believe in him and i i really i really sympathize with the guy that unfairly the world kind of you know you like you had all the tools there but the world kind of unfairly wrote you off like a like a goshi ozaki kind of thing there where it's not where it's not it's not your fault what happened it's not your fault that like they they put you into this spot after after masawa passed and you and you're and you're doing all this masawa type stuff or that you're or that your main idol in kobashi got ousted from the company so so now so now out of loyalty you're just like man fuck this i gotta go like that's not your fault Right, and I think, and I think that's so like so like that's so in line with the with this T Hawk thing here with Shitaro Washino, who's you know at this point at, at this point the face of Wrestle One, and this invading force of Stronghearts uh, coming in coming into Wrestle One, facing you know Shitaro Washino, the the guy here, mm-hmm. and the fact that this crowd is ravenous for a <laughs> T Hawk win. Right. That lets you know everything that you need to know about T Hawk and his supposed lack of connection with the audience. Right. It's people dying to see T Hawk witness. This Shatara Washino, this is their guy. This is the guy that defines Russell One for the last for the last few years. His rise, his title wins, all this stuff defines Russell One. Here here is T Hawk and T Hawk immediately just like the crowd just swoons over him. And the the ring work here is 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 great. I think T Hawk. I think does T Hawk. I think does an interesting job of the concept of a leg work and selling here, where a lot of people will go for like the like a limp whenever 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 they're whenever they're selling leg work. T Hawk struggles to like even base his legs. He sure. <laughs> he struggles to even like stand up properly to do to do these things. And I thought, and I think that's an interesting way to to sell to sell this stuff. Shatara Washino, that's his that's his game plan. Shatara Washino works as a works as a technician in the ring, and this is far far for the course for what far for the course for what he does. But I think it's totally made here by T Hawk, and just the emotion of T Hawk getting getting this big singles victory for a title. Something that's something that eluded him his entire time in Dragon Gate. Something that Dragon Gate never felt. You know, never felt confident enough to pull the trigger on. Here he is in Wrestle One, and they pull the trigger, and it's as good of a moment as I felt all year. And T. Hawk is a guy I liked a lot. I, I love the Millennials. 
I even I loved T Hawk when he was in Monster Express for a short bit of time. I loved his I loved his heel turn and joining Berserk. I, I, I like I, he he's a guy that consistently like if I wanted to do like a top ten Dragon Gate guys of like the whole decade, I'm not sure I can make it past like five like five guys without making it to T Hawk. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think and I think that's very warranted. And he's a guy that really deserved like deserved more. But I think you know sometimes you have to leave in order to really 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 spread your wings there and in a phenomenal match and really like the like the pinnacle of this strong heart to run and wrestle one i think t-hawk really proved his worth and i'm glad this guy who got uh shit on a shit on unfairly uh really really got his moment in the sun Hmm. yeah I, i like this a lot even if it didn't make my list um I, I'm super with you on T-Hawk. Like, he's such a great wrestler who just never got the chance to, like, really break out and, and do what he was meant to do in Dragon Gate, unfortunately. Or at least not in a single setting. Like, I, he had a really great run as a tag guy with uh, Ata specifically. Oh, yeah, to- to- totally. And it's like, it's not like that shit doesn't matter. Right. But when, like, routinely you set him up for these big, like, singles moments and yet you just yeah. don't do it. Or, like, like, or, like T-Hawk is the one that ended the jimmies. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's the one that ended the Jimmies that for some reason you don't give that guy like a big singles run. It's it's maddening to me. But you know, maybe sometime down the line, like T Hawk, like you know, Dragon Gate says they only can push old guys. Like maybe T Hawk when 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 when, <laughs> when the old when the OWE crew comes back, like maybe maybe T Hawk will finally get his Dream Gate run. But yeah. it's like it's fucking maddening to me to see like like some Dragon Gate fans who are like all in on Benkei. But I meant, but I remember like, right, all, like, totally. all, like, all, like on the timeline, seeing like, oh, the Seahawk guy, like, <laughs> fucking insane to me. But uh, you can yeah. go on with your number three. Well, we've seen Ultimo Dragon return to to Dragon Gate and and get a huge reaction and <laughs> championship matches. So hey, like, it's <laughs> possible. Uh, my number three is a match that I hope I don't hope I don't piss you off by ranking this high, or specifically by ranking this higher than a certain other match. It's the um, it's the uh, elimination chamber match for the WWE Championship, pitting champion Dino Bryan <laughs> against Kofi Kingston, Samoa Joe, Randy Orton, Jeff Hardy, and AJ Styles from the pay per view of the same name. <laughs> Holy fuck! All right, all right, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Um, so the other day, you and I and a couple of our other friends in our infamous and oft referenced Slack chat. Uh, we talked about the idea of WWE as a heel territory, um, specifically citing like how historically WWF and especially WWWF had been considered a babyface territory, a place where the top babyfaces always won. That like they were almost never like embarrassed in their matches or their angles, like they almost never dropped a fall. They were always on top. People wanted to come see the good guys win every time, and how that contrasted with how most of the rest of the wrestling world. Um, or at the very least throughout the United States and parts of Canada, um, most other places were heel territories, wherein like they thought that the money was all in the chase, was in the heels being on top for so long, and, and it always punking out the baby faces. And eventually, like you'd get people so riled up that like when the baby faces won, it'd be a huge thing, but then shortly thereafter, they'd get punked out by some other heel, and you'd continue the routine. Um, and then... Uh, we tracked it to about 20 years ago. Maybe we're wrong about that. I'd, I'd love to hear more discussion about this, but sometime in relative in the relative recent history of the company, WWE shifted from being this babyface territory to what we today perceive as a heel territory in which 
um, way more often than not, the heels and the villains are the people getting most of the focus and are doing most of the beating down and are the ones on top for most things. Um, and I think like that has coincided with the fact that WWE has become basically the only game in town. And for most of the last 20 years, like really up until just a couple of years ago, was for so many people like the only professional wrestling promotion of any like noteworthy level uh the only professional wrestling on like you know network tv um i think this shift coinciding with with like this perception of like what wwe is and like how it represents the whole of professional wrestling i think that has had a dramatic effect on the remaining fan base like the remaining wrestling fans um i think it has pushed fans to uh sort of accept their lot in life and um practice the tenets of life sucks and then you die which is probably true on some level but doesn't necessarily have to be true especially in your entertainment um and because of that like fans i think a lot of fans in wwe especially over the last decade or so uh have like latched on to specific characters because um because of like one reason or or another like because in kayfabe maybe they're pushing back against the um ingrained machinations of the wwe or maybe just because they're funny and charming and the company isn't doing anything specific with them so people are just like hey fuck it the rest of this product is dismal in so many different ways like it is such a fucking bummer and i hate the fact that i tune in every week so why not cheer this guy like why not pour my all into this dude um and like that's that's been like a fun thing and occasionally like a rewarding thing but for the most part like it often ends in tragedy it often ends in that person being brutalized in some awful way um or pushed down the card or even fired in some cases um and in in a lot of ways like it it has resulted in this like wide-reaching sentiment that like that hope as a concept sort of can't exist in wwe that like despite the fact that nominally they're trying to put smiles on faces they in their day-to-day product do none of that um and i think this match is great for a lot of different reasons um but i think it's great first and foremost that it convinces people that even in the inevitability of defeat like even when they're pretty fucking sure kofi kingston isn't going to win this belt that good things can still happen um and it achieves that by being like what i think is pretty easily the most finely tuned and well-worked match of the year like a match where there are a ton of moving pieces here like a ton of uh, a ton of like interweaving stories between people who have only recently started to meet up with each other and people who have been wrestling each other and have like long-lasting histories for 10 20 15 years or 10 15 20 years um and like it, it imagines it manages to like immaculately sh- structure a uh what is also like a, a real gimmick match like a match that like people have like an existing preconceived notion of like what this sort of thing is supposed to look like i, I think this match like succeeds super well in tying all these stories together and in pushing all these narratives and tying it into what like this this big stipulation match is supposed to look like um and above all else it convinces people that kofi kingston can win that this guy who has been spinning his wheels in the wwe mid card thanklessly for 10 years can win the big one 
can like get slotted into a main event pay-per-view title match at the last minute and actually pull things off. Um, and by the grace of God, <laughs> and certainly nobody in that fucking company, like um, by the grace of God, because this match gets such a good reaction, we actually get to see that happen in the end. We get to see them make good on that promise. Like we get to see hope rekindled in the hearts of wrestling fans and like obviously you don't get this match you don't get wrestlemania without this match and not just because like it's the first part of the build to that thing um like you straight up just do not get that payoff in the end if this thing doesn't come across the way that it does if it's not so memorable if it's not so exciting if it's not so emotional for so many people and I love I love that Mania match. I think it's amazing. I think it is like such a testament to those two to those two wrestlers, like those two guys who have had very different careers and people perceive them in very different ways, but like I think this is the better match because that shit does not happen without this. Um I will, I'll, I'll retort to that in a second. Um <laughs> but my my number 3 um you you may look at me like I'm crazy, but oh boy, the best the best match of this series. Okay, David Starr versus Walter from WXW 16 Karat Gold Night One. Yeah, I, I had a feeling you were going to say this. Um, up to this point, David Starr is 0 and 10 uh, against Walter in singles matches mm-hmm. and in very and in tags. Obviously, that that record would would go that would go down <laughs> substantially. Yeah. <laughs> um. David Starr has his number, and I think, and I think, in a lot of ways, like when you go back to like stuff that you really enjoy, like the like the progress match, yeah. Um, the thing that does Starr in at the end is you know his his own like his own his own doing, like like him like like relishing in the moment too much that that he's that he's that he really like has this guy beat, and instead of working towards get like fin- like finishing that goal off, he gets he gets caught in a small package and it's. Like literally all his fault. Yeah. And I love that idea, but here it is in the fact that David Starr does nothing wrong. He does not do anything wrong. And it's purely off of the tricks that Walter does to to to, to get by here. Uh a lot of people would describe the Walter David Starr series as David Starr is obsessed obsessed with Walter. Walter doesn't really care. He sort of apathetic and indifferent that right. David Starr is the, is the one that's all angry about this thing and Walter just like okay well let's let's go out there and have a match and it's it's so nice to see that years later after this thing started getting like the initial buzz of it, of it being a rivalry that you get to, you get to this point where David Starr has you know finally after you know, after dozens of times being in the ring with this guy, fuck it, I got it. I'm a, I'm a rush this. I'm a rush this guy before the bell. I'm a hound him, and this is the most like look. No, it's most it's, it's the most fifty fifty back and forth match that they have. A lot of the time, it's uh, it's, yeah. either, it's either been Walter in firm control or it's something like the progress match where it's Dave, where it's David Starr in in clear control. This is the first time it's like such a clear fifty fifty thing here. And David Starr, throughout most of it, feels like he has the advantage. He feels undeniable, like it's just his night. But Walter, for the first time, has shown cracks. And 
Walter does a, does a small thing, but he kind of, you know, feigns an injury and pulls the, pulls the ref in, halting Star's momentum. And then Walter just comes in with this boot that knocks Star's head clean off. And it's the first time you're like, whoa, whoa, hold on here. Like, big, like big bad Walter. Like, not exactly cowardly in, the, in, in that sense, but like taking a shortcut. And you're 6'4", 300 pounds, yeah. ne- needing, to, needing to take the shortcut. Yeah, like, fuck you. You don't get to do this. <laughs> it's like, like David Starr has worked so hard here. Like, now now Walter's pull, pulling this out. But it's like, okay, nah. David Starr has got this. David Starr, like, this, like, this it, like, no matter what, this is his night. And it gets to this point where David Starr, you know, as valiant and, you know, and valiant and crazy as he is to get this, to get this victory over Walter. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, obviously, this is the first round of the 16-carat tournament. Right. And especially now by this point with who these guys are and how established they are. If whoever wins this, this is like an odds on favorite to go on, to go on and win this tournament. Totally. And David Starr is just fighting with everything that he has. And he has the advantage and he's been fighting for, he's been fighting, working this sleeper hold for majority, for, for a majority of the match, uh, being clung to Walter's back, eventually, eventually getting it in enough as to where Walter eventually goes down and he has the body scissors in tight and Walter can't go anywhere. And Walter does these three taps on the mat that give like the indication that he gave up, but he then sort of pulls the ref in and all that stuff. He's like, no, 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 no. I didn't tap it didn't tap. But David Starr, who's so like, you know, in the moment he right. hear he hears it. He's like, I did it. I did it. I won. I won. Right. And David Starr is a uh, you know spitting spitting this blood out of his mouth. He's celebrating, grabbing 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 Tassilo Young, and he's like happy, like I did it, I did it. And Tassilo like no, he didn't tap out, he didn't tap out. And David Starr is still like so stuck that he he's not comprehending what Tassilo, what Tassilo is saying. And this leads to Walter rising up and putting this guy back in the chokehold. The same thing that ended him in 2017, and. If you remember, if you remember that one, that was my favorite of the Walter, uh, Walter Star matches, because it gave you like that false hope with the uh, with the, with the choke, in that his arm kind of like delay like delayed the drop there, and it felt like like maybe he like maybe he'd do it, and it just and it just doesn't stay up. This one they do the hand spot and it and it doesn't it doesn't have any like delay in it, it doesn't have any 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 real chance of. You know, David Starr might no. He he might have some fighting him. No, is that David Starr? His bot his body was his body was done. He gave all of his effort. He gave everything he literally could to ending this the way that that, that it should have ended with you know with Walter tapping out finally after all these years. But Walter found a way to art, outsmart him, and we talked we talked for years about how David Starr is like the is the best loser in wrestling like him Zack Sabre Jr guys like that that really make wins and losses feel like they matter to you sure and it's not like this is new territory for David Starr to be seething after losing to Walter but something's different here like this like this was the, like this was the last straw and we we say that for a lot of David Star Walter matches, sure. Like, oh my God, he's so he's so mad after this. What's he gonna do this time? Like, no, you can see it. It's like a guy twitching after like like uh. something like trauma like traumatizing happening. Like this, like this is it. This is the breaking point. And 
it it leads to him like just shaking his head in disbelief and then in the po in the po in the post show um he goes he goes up to the balcony and talks to Rika Bushido and it's the most uncomfortable wrestling's made me in a long long time seeing this guy that is so visibly fucked up like what like what just happened fucked him up and he can't process it and it's it's the idea of like like it's like something like traumatic happening to somebody and they can't explain what happened so everyone's just right. looking at you like you're crazy like oh okay like this guy is sort of off the deep end here I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave i'm gonna leave this guy alone and rico has that look like the fuck is wrong with this guy but david Starr knows what happened david Starr knows how he feels but he's so unhinged so so off of it at this point that it, it just makes for this uncomfortable environment where he just he's like you saw what happened rico you saw what happened rico shut the fuck up are you interviewing me are you interviewing yourself what's going on here rico sure and i i, I love the fact that uh you know that this, that this guy like even years into this program years into this story into something that probably won't ever get his payoff i don't i don't think i think that i think this you know you know what like like the like the like the progress match um that got you know to turn into a triple threat with Eddie Dennis like that might be the last time these guys ever are ever are really in a ring together and that sucks but 2019 giving me like the lasting image of a legitimate breaking point in David Starr i think is as good as wrestling as i'm going as as you'll find all year because not only is it David Starr's breaking point is Walter finally acknowledging that David Starr is an actual tangible threat and you his character development years after the fact. And it really, it, and it leads into David Starr's character after that, where um, if you, I don't know if you remember this, but after, after, after David Starr loses, it's not like the WXW fans are like all like all something like oh poor David like in like like clapping for him. There's a section of the fans that are like you tapped out, you tapped out, and it's like mm. like goddamn, it's like the such Brits. a yeah, such a cold feeling. And I, I appreciate the fact that like other than like these feel good moments that have that I've had all over my uh my top my top ten and all over my list that something made me as uncomfortable watching someone break down that that this that this match did. Yeah, like I, um, there, there would, especially when you frame it this way, like I think there's a lot about this match that appeals to me. I like, I like the idea of, of Walter finally having to take a cheap way out to beat Star. Like I like the idea of Star snapping because of that. Like I, I think all that is like really, really interesting stuff and the sort of stuff that they would have to do at this point in this feud to keep me invested. But like, you like didn't mention like a lot of what I disliked about this, um, which ties into you know a variety of different ways. Like ties into our discussion of the um, the Walter Devlin match that came I think a week after this, um, which was like for one, it felt like these guys were wrestling a lot weaker than I had seen them wrestle previously. Um, which especially in a feud like this, which has been since day one defined by like some unbelievable spots and some really hard hitting stuff. Um, felt really weird. And then there's also the fact that, like, Star specifically lifts a lot of stuff from his pal Jordan Devlin, who he had, in OTT, like, turned on a couple months before, um, and who goes on to use a couple of the same spots that Star uses here to defeat Walter the following week. 
Um, and it was, it was like this weird confluence of ideas that like, I've never gotten a straight answer on, um, that I don't necessarily need an answer on, I guess. But it was, it was just like this, this combination of things that like felt so out of place in this story in the, the star Walter series in WXW as well. Um, that it felt, it just felt wrong in so many ways. Like it felt, it, it cheapened my idea of what this feud had been. Um, and like, I think... I think about our friend Simon and how he like really turned against star in the last couple of months of the year after thinking of him as like a top tier wrestler of the year contender. And I understand the the reasons why he did it, even if I don't necessarily agree with him. Um, or I think that like, uh, he was so good in the rest of the year that it sort of doesn't matter. Um, but like if, if I ever had a moment like that, where like after watching one of his matches, I was just like, fuck it, I'm done. Like this was like the closest I ever came to it was, was thinking like, Oh, like this shit is just like, you're ripping something off here that like you perfectly well understand and that like works specifically in another situation. Um, and you're doing it for what I at least perceive to be a cheap pop. And like, I kind of hate that. Um, and it, and it stinks because like, this has been like, even if I've really fallen off on Walter specifically, like this has always been a feud that I loved that I've always wanted to see more from. And so to see like a match like this, like just totally fall flat for me when for the rest of all y'all, like the rest of our friends, like it was such a, a well-received thing. Like that was, that was such a frustrating experience. Um, in defense of this match, uh, and I know that like the coward Walter stuff had already been explored in OTT, right. but yeah, like, like obviously like this match happens before, has before Devlin um yeah. Walter does, and which is so weird. Like I just I don't know how this all came together. Yeah. Um. Which, which again I'm I'm more I'm more inclined to blame to blame Walter there than like blame, than put that on Star if the matches okay. happened a week apart and Stars and Stars match happened before that. Um. On top of that, this led to Walter turning heel in, in WXW, which like uh-huh. I I can so I can get like how initially especially like. This ha- this happening in March, you're like, well, what what the fuck? Like he's suddenly a coward now. But then, like, if you watch the rest of the, the WXW that year, then he's like, poking. and even just this tournament too. Yeah, like he's like really flaunting his WWE contract. Him and Ilya are this big heel tag team in WXW. So Heartbreaking. I th- I think it's something that like with more with more context, like with how like the year shook out for Walter in WXW, it wouldn't feel so foreign because you did see the the shortcut to the sure. top, everything. So you like you saw totally. like what he became. But yeah. I think that's why a match like this like works better for me um i think i think months down the line is that like watching what walter actually became like yeah like this is like an actual feasible character that i could understand being played in the context of wxw like after the year went on i think because like like the idea of like a coward walter wasn't like a prominent thing and prominent thing in wxw yet and was so clearly an ott thing like yeah like totally it looks like just crimping off of it just for the sake of crimping off it and like and like being lazy and uninspired and uncreative, yeah. like shit. Like even like the idea of like uh, like Star being the one to chop the ring post and his right. hand hurting and Walter going after his hand. Like yeah, like that. Like all, but um, I think I think that all turns. I think that all works just because of like what Walter became. And really, like he's not even a coward in this. Really, mm-hmm. like it's like it's not, he does, he doesn't beg off. Yeah, he's just well, he he does, but he does it. He does it as a ruse. Like, he's just, he's opportunistic. Well, well, no, well, no, I'm saying like, he doesn't beg off towards Star. Like, he does it, like, in a way, like, uh, like, right. fe- like, feigning in, like, feigning in the referee. But he, he, but he's not on his knees, like, in front of Star, like, please don't hit me, please don't hit me. He's like, referee, like, I'm hurt, keep him away, keep him away. Which is, I think, is a, a bit of a difference between, like, how he actually versus Jordan Devlin. 
Uh, yeah, I, I I hear that. Yeah. All right. So uh, obviously we're at we're we're at the top two here, and I think I think I know your <laughs> top two. So uh, uh-huh. I'm curious to see which one is first. Uh, my number two match of the year is God. I just I'll come out and say it. It's uh, Doctor Wagner Jr. versus Blue Demon Jr. in a Lucha de Apuestas and Loser Retires supposedly match um, from uh, Triple Mania 27. And I have that at 26. I think even on its own merit, uh, this is like one of the most exciting matches I've seen in a long time. Like it is unbelievably violent. Um, like I've seen, <laughs> just, like, just like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, like I've seen a lot of death matches. Like it's one of the things that like really brought me into wrestling ten years ago. Um, and so because of that, I've seen I've seen people do a lot of bad shit to each other. But there was stuff in this match that like still shocked me in a variety of ways. Um, I truth be told i have no idea how they did the hand spots here like how blue demon jr just picks up a fucking ball peen hammer at some point <laughs> and smashes it into um wagner's hand a couple times and he's just got it on top of the turnbuckle so it's not like it's it's not necessarily caught in a hard place but he is just fucking going to town with this thing like looking like he's a, a mobster just beating somebody down for money and it's like it's I, I truly have no idea how they did that and and then later on they have a match or they have a spot that is like a lot more obvious with a fake cinder block that i still found totally unbelievable because it's like very obviously playing up the situation from last year with angel odemonio and cuervo with a dude legitimately being paralyzed from getting hit in the back of the head with a cinder block and so like it was it was a cool spot that i th- pretty sure was the finish but it was also just like so fucking brazen in such like a lucha libre way that like i i i couldn't tell if i loved or hated it but it was it was it was something magnetic all the same um and a big part of like why all this stuff comes across so well is because like dr wagner jr is so good at selling all this stuff especially the handwork like throughout this entire match after he gets attacked with his hammer like his hand is just like crumpled and gnarled next to his side like it's like it's not even it's not even like an extension of him anymore it's just it's like a growth it's like some tumor that he's got on his body like something that's not supposed to be there and it's just it's like a just growing off of him (laughs) it's not part of him and like watching him navigate the waters of the rest of the match with that kind of thing with just some incredible selling that i never really expected to get from lucha libre was just so awesome um and then like more than anything else like this match is um i would describe this match as like iconic like it it presents like these unbelievable unforgettable images whether it's like the entrances with these two guys like rising out of the stage on cherry pickers and then (laughs) and then floating in the air next to each other and like yelling at each other as this the titantron behind them plays the hype package that has run down how they got to this match or it's um blue demon jr after he's already attacked wagner with his hammer uh applying a fujiwara armbar and really cranking back on his hand like as his own blood is falling from his mask onto the dude's arm or it's after the match after blue demon jr is won where wagner um i think chops off his own ponytail and hands it to this guy in this in this hair versus mask match as to say like hey like you got me this time like there's just so many images in this thing that are unbelievable and so so cool like something that's 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 gonna stick with me the rest of my life i think um and on top of all this uh it's also just kind of like a nostalgic return of a wrestler that i loved as a kid like i've I've talked about um 
I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it on the podcast before, and if not, you've heard it recently, Quentin, in our Slack chat. Um, like ten years ago or so, when I was first getting into Lucha Libre, like I, uh, I was attracted to Triple uh, A because of guys like Dr. Reiner Jr. and El Macias, especially, and in, and like I really, I really liked the two of those guys, and have enjoyed seeing them pop up again, like as I've become more and more of an experienced wrestling fan. Um, and so like watching this match, like took me back to when I was like 16 again, just like jamming out to fucking bad medicine when this dude was coming out to, to like kick somebody's ass. And it was like, it was such a cool thing to, to feel like a kid and to be shocked by this match in, in, in a variety of ways. Like there was, there was absolutely no way it couldn't be this high on my list. No, like this is like one of the most like, vi- like visually astounding matches you'll see anywhere. It's like, especially like the entrances, like, <clears throat> Um, I re- like another watch. I'm in the ma- another match I rewatched recently, but I, I forgot the entrances somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, "Holy shit! Like, why are they just like in front of each other? Like on these cherry it's pickers? So cool. Like, it's like it's, just, it's like, God, like only Lucha could pull that off, dude. Totally. Like, like it's like it 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 would be too corny elsewhere, but like so there's something about this setting that totally works. Yeah, it's it's and and really like we talked we talked about uh talked about Wagner about Wagner Junior here, but you know, blue, 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 blue demon junior. And mm-hmm. he's a guy that like, look, realistically, a lot, a lot of people like are coming, are coming around to now. And like, yeah. like are really, are really into now, but he's a guy like historically just hasn't had too much fanfare behind him other than like totally. a couple of, like, a, a couple of LA park matches. Like a guy who's definitely coasted off of his name, off of like his famous dad. Yeah. And then, and then here, and then here we are. And then this guy's the most dastardly evil motherfucker on the face and he, of the earth. And he's, like, the earth. and he's in his mid-50s. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> he's just like a real convenient time to just turn on and just be like, just be like Absolutely. the most evil person in the world. And, you know, in this, like, such a contrast from, uh, you know, like the Dr. Wagner Jr. that, uh, that we had gotten in years past as, as, the, as this, as this Rudo, um, especially facing Psycho, Psycho Clown at, um, at, 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 um, at Triple Mania. And, here and here he is like just as this such a lovable likable baby face and i think i think Wagner jr even like uh, like has been a guy that always translated well to people that weren't big lucha fans but totally but this but this match definitely shows why because that like that's not that's a range that a lot of people don't have to be able to like work like such a das- like dastardly like clear rudo style a couple of years ago in another big apuestas match where people were so shocked that you even lost your mask totally. to come back to come back uh, i think this i think this is two years later yeah and um and, and do and do this and do the same thing with blue demon jr but now you but now you're this valiant fighting technico and i think that that's just a range that that dr wagner jr is is kind of unmatched in honestly when i want when i think when i think about like guys historically um but yeah a, a visually impressive match that um i i wasn't sure how high you how high do you have it uh-huh. But but now that I know that, um, you know, obviously I know you're number one, so mm-hmm. we can get that. In, we can get to that in a well, second. Well, like I, I do, I do want to say, like as soon as I saw this, it was immediately my number two. Like there was no way around it. Okay, but was your number one already your number one by this point? Yes, at that point I had already seen it. Yeah. All right. Um, my number J, my number, uh, my number two here is uh, some, like, sort of similar situ- similar similar situation here, where as soon as this happened, this was this is my number two. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Jay White versus Kota Ibushi from the G1 Climax Finals. Wow, like I'm, I'm, uh, you and I both like Jay White, and like it's not been a revelation or anything, but like you have been so high on this guy in 2019, it's astounding. Uh, I, I said it, I said it before, I said it when I did, when I did the top 50 shows, but 
it's not like I came into the in 2019 like, all right, time to push this Jay White narrative. Oh, right. man, he's actually good, guys. <laughs> like, that's not what I like. I came in here like just like ready to like force feed that. It's yeah. you know things I genuinely believe. And as as I as I watched the year more and more, he just kept making a believer out of me. And yeah. That was the the, the Tomohiro Ishii match from the G one, the Hiroki Goto match that opened that opened the tour. Him versus him versus Yano. The, the I, I really liked him versus Moxley. I really liked him versus Shingo. I thought he had one of the best Jeff Cobb matches of the tournament, where Jeff Cobb stunk at the fuck up. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, like and it's like just I'm being won over by the guy. the The best of the the best of the Super Juniors final final show with with him versus Tanahashi, the Wrestle Kingdom with him and Okada, and it's just piling on and piling on at this point we're like somewhere at the end of this tour i'm like is jay white the best is jay white the best wrestler in this company like i'm not <laughs> i'm not sure i'm ready to commit to that <laughs> sure. like, but it's crossing my mind which is something that i would not have expected to say even a year ago um and it's not to say that this guy didn't have his fuck-ups or like didn't have mat or didn't have matches that like um didn't land and that people like might have overreacted to a little bit like the Madison Square Garden Okada match most people really like that match I don't like it it did, it did nothing for me but sure. a lot of people really really like that thing so I'm fine being an outlier there the Naito match was like viewed as like this like consensus disappointment or consensus like bad match and is it just because of the finish um it, 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 that's definitely part of it but I think those two just hadn't figured out their chemistry yet and I think that all of their matches okay. and I think that all of their matches after that have actively been good right. um, I haven't I haven't seen any of those yeah but but it was totally because of the finish and people people being mad that Naito lost to fucking Jay White you know what I mean right right <laughs> like, right right right, right, right. Um, but I, I, I was ready to see what this guy could do here and then opposite side is Kota Ibushi freshly signed New Japan contract that means like, he's here for the foreseeable future and this for, resulted for, in for, for, for life. Yeah, this this has resulted in um, in in oh, in stuff that people wanted for Kota Ibushi for years, but New Japan clearly they don't commit to guys like that unless they have pen to paper, and you know this resulted in Kota Ibushi winning the I, winning the IWGP Intercontinental Title, you know the Nakamura the Nakamura belt, and yeah. really like a like a real cool thing for Kota, and going into this G one, you can you know you can attest to this as I am actually Gato. And in this whole in this whole Quentin Moody persona is just uh, you know just, you know it's, just, ruse. it's all it's all ruse and it's fake. But from the jump, me and a lot of us were predicting a Jay White versus Kota Ibushi final. And it's it's so funny watching people who are way bigger fans of this promotion than we are, like be flummoxed by the things that are so obvious to to like you and I and the rest of our friends. Yeah. Like we haven't gotten we haven't gotten like a G one finals wrong in since twenty sixteen when they totally did pull a ruse on everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's like, yeah, they're actually right that we haven't actually got one wrong in a long time. It's so weird. Um but in the, and they meet each other here in one Small note is that Kota Ibushi did tweak his ankle at the beginning of the tour, uh-huh. and as the um as we're, as we're getting closer to the, to the finals and everything, Jay White comes out and attacks Ibushi to to end, to end the show. That's uh, the night before the finals, and re really re injure Kota Ibushi's ankle, giving Ibushi more of a like, no you know a little bit more to overcome. Uh, more than just the, the the typical bullet club bullshit. Uh 
Kenta, you know, for like, you know, fresh Bullet Club, Club member earlier in the night, Kenta comes out and it's just, oh, it's just the most hateable <laughs> group of fucking guys in the world, man. Right. And, the, and these guys are just soaking it up. But before they could do any bullshit, before they could do anything, Red, Shoe, Red Shoes kicks them, kicks them all out except for Gato. And for the most part, you're getting this match that's really driven on Jay White's work on Kota Ibushi's ankle and Ibushi sell and Ibushi selling it and Ibushi trying to find find a way to overcome Gato's shenanigans and Jay White's shortcuts and all and all this stuff in the crowd that's that's really that's really living for the fact that they want nothing more than Kota Ibushi to beat this dude's fucking ass. And like that's like that's what you want out of wrestling more than anything is you want like this guy to overcome the odds and Kota Ibushi, a guy who I really like. But similar to how you feel about AJ Styles, someone that I've never had like an emotional attachment for, even right. though they're like a like such an outwardly spectacular wrestler. And this is the first time in a long time where I watch a Kota Ibushi match and I'm like, oh come on, I really want Kota to do this thing. And it's all driven off the fact that Jay White's such a piece of shit. <laughs> and that's like that's what you want out of your wrestling, right? It's the same it's the same shit that you would like, you know, that you would praise like Baron Corbin or the Miz for for being like, you know, true heels and getting, I, and would. Getting, and getting, I don't I don't know about how many other people. No, but being, you know, people that are like, you know, like fed like fed nights and all that kind of shit. They'll mm. like, you know, shit like shit I'll shit on Jay on Jay White's push and all that stuff. But right. oh man, that Miz in twenty sixteen. Oh, that's some good <laughs> shit right there. <laughs> but it's it's Jay White. I, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but working like sort of like a baby Tanahashi here. I think I think the leg I think the leg work is great. I think Kota Ibushi sells it way better than I would have expected Kota Ibushi to sell it. He said they do it in unique ways where Jay White does a vertical suplex and Kota sells his ankle, which like I think is really neat and, and cool. And this goes back to what I've said about Jay White this entire time is he understands his character and what his character is more than anyone in wrestling does. He doesn't try to be what he isn't. Jay White is a coward. Jay White is soft. And Jay White can Jay White only succeeds when he has people to help him or he, or when his shortcuts work. Right. And Kota Ibushi is, you know, in the in, in the in the murder Ibushi stage and he's just kicking kicking Jay in the head and egging him on. And you get Jay looking at him like, all right, fool, we're about to get this big, typical New Japan forearm exchange. And Jay White goes for a shot, and Kota Bushi just slaps the shit out of him, and the dude crumbles. And it's the spot of the year. Because what more do I want than a guy that, like, reaches too far into the sun and, get, and gets his ass burned, thinking that he's something that he isn't. And they play with that idea in the Ishii match. But it's so exemplified here where Ibushi's actively egging him on. And Jay White in this moment of like of like forgetting who he is, in this moment of pride, in this moment of gluttony, like thing bites off way more than he can chew, and he gets swatted the fuck down. And I think that uh I think that the bl- that, that the uh, blade run that the blade runner thing they could have they could have done without um, Jay hitting it. I think that I think that would have been more in, the, in a lot of protecting Jay. And, oh right, because Abushi becomes the first guy to kick out, right? Um, more like the like a delayed kick out thing. I'm not even sure that like okay. Jay, like Jay even like is able to cover after it. But I think All it would have right. protected the finish even more, and protected Jay even more to do so. But it's the way you talk about um, Oswald Project versus Ezekiel James is like the way I would think of this match. It's 
the most it's one of the most effective things you'll find in all of wrestling and it's just straight up a heel being a heel and making this lovable plucky baby like this love this loved plucky baby face like then and his fans just want it more than anything else in the world right and this is the match that solidified for me that the jay white's the guy and whether or not that's going to translate into like jay white being like this molten hot megastar or whatever like i think for what he i think for what he's asked to be which is an actual heel he's not aj styles He's not Kenny Omega. He's not Minoru Suzuki. He's not Tetsuya Naito. He's not someone you're gonna think is cool. He's not someone. He's not someone where you're gonna where you're gonna want to buy his merch or right. do chance about them or where I can see them having like this big explosion of popularity. He's a heel and he's meant to be a heel. And that's what I want out of my wrestling. That's why I love Dragon Gate. That's why I love CWF. And uh, Jay White gave that to me better than anybody in 2019 did. And this match gets as far as it did because I think Jay White's phenomenal and what they did here in this match was perfect. I'm with you. Like, when I watched this live, I enjoyed it for the most part. And I just, I never got around to to watching it again and reviewing it again um, just because year was dragging on. And I was like, I'm not forcing myself through more Kota Ibushi matches. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, when I was watching this, like, it was really good. Yeah, and I think and I think that's even you. Like I think with me and you, and like just in general in the chat, we've had a ton of conversations about how Jay, I think, like sort of got shit on, totally. like really, really unfairly. When like, if you want to go back to the beginning of his run, like it's like Tanahashi didn't do much to help the dude here, <laughs> right? Totally. And like just going through his G one and in twenty eighteen, it's like oh, like he. Yeah, like he had the Tanahashi match that you like, the Minoru Suzuki match. Like, like uh, he had a decent the G1. juice match before that. Yeah, and it's a guy that like the dis like the discourse around him and it's always gonna be really weird. And I'm not sure it's ever gonna change. Like, you know, but like it it, it didn't have to be what it was. And I'm glad that I think at least this match like really like at least like seemed like it cut it out until Wrestle Kingdom from from this year happened. <laughs> and then, you know, Chris Jericho can deal can do ref bumps, but then but then Jay White does it, and it's like, oh, oh fucking Jay White, oh, I hate him. Um, I hate wrestling fans <laughs> so much. They're really awful. But uh, but Brock, we're uh, at the end of the podcast, and me and you only have our number ones left to reveal. I don't think these would take too much of a of a sleuth to predict. So my number one is Daniel Bryan versus Kofi Kingston from WrestleMania 35. And for you, Brock, it's a, uh, it's a match where I actually do really like the wrestling fans. It's a virus versus Metallico in a career versus career match from CML's super Viernes El Luisio final 2019. All right. So, um, since I just want go, since I want just went so long on Jay, I think uh-huh. you, should go, you should go ahead with virus versus Metallica. So to return to an idea that I first uh, first mentioned with the um, Ultimo Guerrero versus Kaifan match, um, I'm definitely a person who thinks that like what the people do in the ring is not nearly as important as how that makes you feel. Um, and specifically, like I actually really do like what these guys do in the ring here. Um, Virus is a wrestler I've liked for a long time. Who, who uh, someone who is like. Uh, transitioned really well into this later stage of his career in which he's like most mostly doing maestro matches but but every once in a while gets a call to do something like a lot more uh, fast-paced and exciting and spot-based like something like this um and i think like he at the very least is like super great in this and i think metallico even being like 
a virtual nobody in CMLL. Um, a guy who hasn't gotten a major match in several years, at least not since losing his mask in like 2013 or something, a couple years ago. Um, uh, he's a guy who like falters in some ways here, but I think in in some roundabout way, like I think it actually adds to this match. It adds to um, what is like very clearly going to be his last match ever as he transitions into becoming a referee full time. Um, like I think it makes him all the more endearing to to watch him like go out on his shield uh, like this and and sometimes like almost literally do that because like he takes he takes a tope super hard here when he doesn't clear the ring all the way. Um, and so like I I do want to stress this idea that like I think what these guys are doing in the ring like the spots they do and how they do them are not so much my focus with this one as like how all that stuff makes me feel and how it makes sixteen thousand people in Arena Mexico feel. Um. And, like, getting that idea across was, like, the intention with my review of this match on my blog, um, which is, I don't, there's there some things I'd change about it today, but, like, is honestly still my favorite review I've ever done. Like, I think it's, like, the best I've, the, the best stuff that I've put together on that blog. Um, and, like, that was always my intention, to illustrate, to illustrate to people, like, how, like, how even the best of us, like, even people who seem undeniable, who are incredibly popular, who are like the most skilled in their field. Um, even those sorts of people so often never get the crowning moment or the emotional send off that they deserve on some level in how this match for supplying it to like, again, a virtual nobody in this promotion that like, casts off virtual nobodies. Like it's fucking nothing. How, a guy like that achieving it in a promotion like this is worthy of praise and is like one of the most uplifting things in a year of wrestling that was anything but uplifting. Like in some way, in some way I want to compare this to your number one. Cause I, I think like that sort of idea is the magic behind Brian versus Kofi, um, along with some other stuff that we're definitely going to talk about when you get around to it. Um, it's this, it's this all too real knowledge that, shit never works out the way you want it to like especially for the people who deserve it the most like it's 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 always like something keeping you down it's always like someone stealing away something that's rightfully yours it's always like it's always like some form of prejudice against you like shit never works out and to see it work out for fucking no one is like such an awesome thing such a rewarding thing especially because Everyone in this fucking arena is so on board with it. Like, Arena Mexico, uh, a, a venue that has become, like, increasingly hostile over the last couple of decades um, for a variety of reasons. Like, totally showering this dude with praise, like, chanting his name, throwing money at him. Like, it was, like, it was the most magical thing I saw all year. Like, it's, so often, like, wrestling is, as we've discussed on this podcast and, like, this series of podcasts, like, so often wrestling is, like, so bitter and is so hostile to its viewers, but like watching this, I can't think that it's anything other than like the most life affirming match I've seen in a long, long time. Uh, this match at one point was in my top 10. I, I rewatched it and I feel like I feel bad for saying this because you're totally right. That like everything else about this, like really transcends the in ring work here mm-hmm. and, 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 and kind of really does go along with it that I don't think, uh, you know, Metallica was very good in it to say that, you know, sure. like, but it's, it, it did, it did bother me a little bit. Um, I, I get it. Yeah. yeah so, like, I, don't, like, you know, I don't but, think you're wrong to think that. Yeah. Um, just, 
I think that like the, the disparity in in skill in skill here between like I would say totally. be like Beerus is like you know gonna be like regarded as like a all time like, like yeah. all like all time great guy and Metallica is fucking Metallica, <laughs> <laughs> but but I th- but I think like watching Metallica in Control, it was just like it was like it was so alarming to me going back and watching it that it like sure like that it like that it really like hindered it to me and like you know it got it to the uh, to like number twelve on my list, but um still high <laughs> yeah so really high I still I still loved it. And like I said, it's like, it does kind of go along with it that this guy, you know, really shouldn't be here. Like, this guy mm-hmm. really should not be getting this moment, but he is. And guys like that don't get moments like that. Like, how often have we seen, like, guys in WWE or, like, Ring of Honor or Impact or whatever, like, guys who weren't, in, in, like, particularly special or important or, like, you know, mid-carders, guys that the company mm-hmm. didn't really care for, they just were like, fade away. You don't, really, you don't really know what they're doing now, what's going on, but no one really gets this unless you're like, you know. Or or maybe it's like a tragic thing, like with a, a Magnum TA or like last year with Kyle Matthews. Mm. Like 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 it shit just does not work out in wrestling. And like to see it happen and with the most unlikely person, like it's I can't not celebrate that. I was gonna make a point that like I was I was gonna use for this match, but it kinda applies to uh my number one, which is Daniel Bryan versus Kofi Kingston. Uh, so, so Mark Henry, uh, I don't believe has wrestled, has like really wrestled since the last like, like three, like three years really or whatever. Oh, it's been a while. I'll look it up. Um, and Mark Henry is a guy where, you know, if you're, if you're a member and everything that his hall of pain run is really, really fondly remembered as mm-hmm. the guy finally getting to like something it's something to sink his teeth into after years of the company like dangling this carrot in front of him and then snatching snatching it away and um really like getting like really getting his moment um even uh, even if uh, albeit brief and as a heel like he got getting his moment you were gonna, did you find it yeah um so his last it, it looks like his time is like a anything close to a full-time wrestler ended at uh, uh wrestlemania 33 when he's in the andre uh, battle royale um, but he was brought back l- last year for the Greatest Royal Rumble in April of 2018. Okay, so it hasn't uh, it hasn't wrestled since. Okay, so the so the Saudi princes just want, just wanted to, just wanted to see him. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> but the reason why I bring up Mark Henry is Mark is another guy like a career like a career mid card guy that uber talented. Like some people will will call Mark Henry earnestly like one of the best wrestlers of all time. And sure. But like you know, but like he just doesn't. He just wasn't able to go out there and prove that the way that he should have been able to got opportunities opportunities to do so. I think Kofi Kingston's far less talented than than Mark, than Mark Henry is, but it, but it doesn't change the fact that Kofi's a guy that night in and night out was one of those WWE workhorses from your mm-hmm. you know your Ziggler's, your Sheamus's, your uh, your 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 Wade Barrett's. And guy and guys that were like super un, super unsung, um, fucking Heath Slaters, you know, like totally. you know, guys of that cloth, that you know whether it was main event or your superstars or whatever bone they wanted to throw Kofi, um, he always made it work, and they strike gold with New Day, and if Kofi doesn't and if Kofi doesn't have New Day, and like that really like saving all of their careers, like uh-huh. all of this wouldn't have even been possible, but yeah. It's a guy that you know really sp- like spun his wheels in the machine, and found a way to get himself over to the point where New Day has been one of the biggest acts in WWE um, for the last five years at this point. Uh-huh. Uh, Mustafa Ali gets hurt, 
um, going going into the uh, elimination chamber. Um, the, some sort of or, like orbital facial fracture, I think. That, uh, that I, I don't recall. Yeah, that, that takes that takes him out. Which is really fucking funny, man. It's really funny how this worked out because, yeah. you know, like I'm sure, like truth be told, I like Mustafa Ali a lot more than I like Kofi Kingston. So I'm super bummed that Mustafa Ali is having his moment ripped away from him when clearly, um, and I don't know if you remember the reports at the time, but you know AJ Styles and Dan- and Daniel Bryan were um like named as people that were super behind Mustafa Ali and wanted to do and wanted to work with him and get him over, huh? And um, it just doesn't happen. So in, in in a way I was kind of I was kind of upset, kind of bitter about it. But then like the bill keeps happening and Kofi Kingston just keeps winning me over, dude. <laughs> um the gauntlet the like the first gauntlet performance is really is really good before yeah. before before the chamber. We get to the chamber and you you had you had it higher than than this mania match. And I, and I get your reasoning for it because the final two here between Brian and Kofi is some special, special shit, uh-huh. and it's it's funny seeing them go after go, go after that go to like fucking fast lane, and and, and Kofi's getting squashed by Cesaro and and Sheamus and shit like that. Wow, and, was he? I don't even yeah. remember. And it's true WWE tripping over their own dicks booking. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Is that like uh-huh. even in their brightest moments, they can never get shit right. And right. it's the perfect. It's the perfect counterbalance to you know to daniel bryan who succeeded in wwe at an all-time level in spite of that a guy that on the opposite end of this who they legitimately had no plans for in 20 in 2014 and they'll continue to lie and put out the propaganda that oh man the, the yes movement was too powerful to deny and that there was this, this was always the plan you know they were gonna have him fucking face sheamus you know, you know what I mean, and like none, and none, and none of this was gonna happen. They were gonna happily sit there and take their Randy Orton versus Batista in the in the main event, and it's so, it's it's not intentional at all, but it's such a nice little detail to have all coincidentally unravel that right. Daniel Bryan happens to be the guy that's out there being Kofi Kingston's foil and Daniel Bryan becoming so disillusioned and so detached from his, his career and his rise and what he was that he's now using the same verbiage to describe mm-hmm. Kofi Kingston as a B plus player that Kofi Kingston isn't, uh, isn't ready or that Kofi Kingston isn't champion material or, you know, Daniel Bryan being aligned with Vince McMahon briefly. Like what the fuck mm-hmm. reality is this? Like Daniel Bryan, the guy that was going up against all this stuff, and here he is suddenly being the exact same machine holding someone else down. Uh-huh. Uh, Shelton Benjamin having a black mama character. There's Roddy Piper having half of his face in blackface. There's DX wearing blackface. There's a Mark. There's Mark Henry, a sexual chocolate. There is a sexualizing of viscera. There's a, Greg Val- there's there's Greg Valentine calling Junkyard Dog a black spot. Uh, oh, I don't remember that. Yeah. Um WWE and I don't want and I want to stress this to like every like person of color that like watches WWE heavily is that this isn't some remedy or like some all-time make good that like because they did this that suddenly like years of heinous, foul, bad shit, racist mm-hmm. shit didn't suddenly happen. And that WWE is now somehow this like, this extremely 
progressive company. I would mm-hmm. fucking hope so after being around for decades and doing some of the worst shit that wrestling history that some of the wrestling has done in regards to race and race and race divides. But in and it's even mentioning Booker T in, in Booker and Booker T and Triple H. Totally. And really what and really like what like what caused the big fear going into or fucking Vince Vince dropping an N bomb on yeah, live TV. Yeah. Or you know like fucking crime time existing. Like <laughs> totally. God, there's so many. But but the, but Booker T and how his stuff with Triple H unfolded is the biggest fear of why we're going into this. Like, fuck, is like are they yeah. gonna do it again? Uh-huh. But, you know, Booker T, the most over the most over baby face on Raw at that time. Um, maybe between between him and between him and Rob Van Dam. And yeah. you know, it's all set up for the baby face to get this magical defining moment at the biggest show of the year, and they fucking don't. And it's like the it's like this is like the defining moment of like of black people in wwe i'll talk mm-hmm. i'll talk to my i'll talk to friends now who don't want who don't watch wrestling but they remember that they yeah. remember that and so you're so you're going into, into this and like even though we know daniel bryan isn't 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 2003 triple h like of course like we like there's still this overwhelming feeling of dread this that's, hang, that's hanging over this match and Despite how perfect it was, despite how clear it was that this like there's a right answer here, you still weren't sure that you'd get it. And this match unfolds, and Kofi Kofi looks Kofi looks game here. Despite Daniel Bryan being you know the best wrestler ever, and Kofi and Kofi Kingston being a career mid carder, like right. Daniel Bryan works in a way where it feels like Kofi belongs. It doesn't ever feel like he's like just like eating Kofi alive here. Uh the tra- the transition where where Kofi uh where Kofi jump jump jumps to the outside of the ring and Daniel Bryan moves out the way and Kofi just goes sternum first into the announce table is the best is the best transition spot you'll see all year because it leads to this great control segment uh of Kofi's ribs and just like torso area that that, that Bryan goes in on. Mm-hmm. And I love watching this and watching Big E and, and, and Xavier's reactions because you all know it's so genuine. A lot of the time with like with like wrestling managers or whatever, you yeah. don't really know the extent of the relationship between like the manager and the, and the performer in the ring. But you know those guys are really that close. Like consider each other brothers. And all the emotion that E and Xavier are exhibiting there is all genuine stuff. So... As you're getting Kofi rise up and pound and pound and pound his fucking bird chest and, and just eat these kicks from Daniel Bryan, like it, you can't help but be emotional at it. You can't help but buy into it because right now, you know, thousands of people are screaming and dying for the fact and dying to see Kofi win this, and he fills the role perfectly. He's a baby face we needed, the baby face he wanted at the time. And as as Kofi goes and, and as Kofi stomps Brian and we all feel it coming and Kofi's in the corner doing the doing the doing the boom as far as like, you know, he's done for fucking a decade that he's done this whole time. Like, you feel it like holy shit, this guy's about to win the WWE title. Uh-huh. And he does. And I hadn't rewatched this match until um until uh, la- until last night. And um, I was with my girlfriend, and she re- and she requested to be called uh, 
Queen Supreme for these purposes. <laughs> um, sure. um, it's it's her name on Slack, so yeah. Yeah. Um, but she's watching this, and and when Kofi wins, she just starts bawling her fucking eyes out, and like I have to like resist the temptation to do the same. Like even though I've seen this match and I've seen the reactions and I've seen uh I've seen all this stuff regarding this match, it it, it still it still gets me in a spot like that to see. Kofi win and to see the way Biggie and Xavier go in there and hug the dude and and Kofi and Kofi's uh two boys come in there and Kofi yeah. and Kofi's older boy is just having a fucking time time of his life. But then <laughs> like, to see like Kofi like Kofi's like youngest kid and them putting the WWE champ merch on Kofi and unveiling the new belt. It's it's feel good shit that's like it's so strong. The people convinced themselves that Kofi Kingston was having some great title reign <laughs> in WWE. Like, like, that, like, but I, I get it though. I get it. Like, it's such a strong moment that you can, that it's hard to separate that. And, and like, I'm not someone that felt like Kofi Kingston was having, like, was terrible. Like, I thought, I like the Samoa Joe match a lot from Extreme Rules. Sure. Um, the Daniel Bryan TV match is real, the TV rematch is really great. good. Um, but yeah, like it's not a strong rain. It's not like it's Kofi's fault either when you say that. But just you know, WWE is just not a good rain. Um, <laughs> but it's it's what you need wrestling to be. Sometimes you don't like I, for as for as like pessimistic as a lot of my as a lot of my my top elite matches have been in the time that we've done this for like like something like fucking Sasha versus Charlotte or Eve or even or even something like uh like David Starr versus Walter that that I have on here as much like as much like pessimistic shit like that might be on my list and it's like you know really like you know that kind of like reflects like my views as a person and how i carry myself in real life you need moments like this in in your in the media you consume and in your real life to realize that's like maybe once in this godforsaken hellscape of a of a planet we live on um even with this fucking uh you know, monolith of a of a wrestling company that just has destroyed hope countless and countless mm-hmm. times, especially in the regards to minorities. The mm-hmm. one time, one time, they get it right, and the one time they get it right just happens to be with the guy that had to be that was on the flip side of the other time that got it right the last time. And I don't think it gets any better than that, so it winds up being my number one. Yeah, like we've heard, um, we've heard the word undeniable used a lot in wrestling rate lately. Um, and I, I think unfairly, um, but if they're truly, if like, if, if there is one match that is universally liked that has been like undeniable this year in wrestling, it is, it is certainly this one. Like it's like, I, I, even, even just speaking in this podcast itself, like you and I have never had a number one match like one of our number one matches has never been on the other person's top 10 before and like i think that speaks to this that like this one made it this high that that like for once (laughs) the good thing happened and shit worked out for people and it's it's just the best thing and no one can say otherwise yeah it's it's a match that this made kofi kingston a legend Mm mm-hmm like this one match, and I'm like, maybe, maybe boiling it down to this one match is unfair here because 
you know, he, like, he does have that run. But I doubt that people, that a lot of people that, like, you know, that really like, saw, like, oh, Kofi Kingston won the, won the WWE title, they didn't watch Elimination Chamber. They didn't watch these gauntlet sure. matches and all that stuff. Like, there are people that don't watch wrestling that mm-hmm. were talking about Kofi Kingston, now reacting to Kofi Kingston, and seeing how many people, and it was, like, earnest, honest-to-God emotion mm-hmm. on these people's faces. And I think, like, just seeing that when a lot when a, when emotion can feel so forced and insincere mm-hmm. in wrestling, that this is the most genuine feeling match you'll find anywhere in the world, and for and, and like for and for that I think I think that like there's gonna stand the test of time. There's gonna be like uh you know like oh like you know there's gonna be like Rick, like Ric Flair versus 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 Randy Savage. There's gonna it's, there's gonna be like one of those things that in its raw uh, in its raw emotion. Even like you know, Randy Sa- and even if Savage versus uh, Savage Savage versus Flair was a little bit more, uh, you know, like you know, cartoonish and romantic, in, sure. in, in what it did, what it does there, it's just so real feeling that uh, it stays with you for a long time. And I think that this is going to be a defining match in WWE's history, and really the match that you know, um, nearly single handedly changed the entire na- narrative of Kofi Kingston's career. And I don't think there's been a more powerful match happening in wrestling. Um, if you don't have anything else, uh, finally we're we're done with the with the top twenty five matches of twenty nineteen. Brock against all odds. Uh, yeah, uh, we finally made it, Brock. Uh, as always, thank you a ton for taking your time to go here and do this mm-hmm. thing. Um, thank you so much. Quentin. Audio issues, I think, like. Like, yeah like you know i think this like all together this shit nearly went five hours so um uh, a little under that but yeah it's like, it's totally. nearly um but yeah but yeah man um obviously obviously thank you um anything that you want to say before we go ahead and sign off here well i i always forget to like plug my blog on this thing but if if you somehow you're listening to this and you're not aware of what my blog is that's a it's a blog entitled brock hates wrestling over at wordpress.com hopefully that'll get you there i do all sorts of wrestling reviews and and long-running projects and if if you wanted like to hear about any of these matches in greater length i've got them all up there you know obviously if you're listening to this you're should be aware of the We Don't Know Wrestling Podcast Network. If you're someone that just pops in for the Psychology Is Dead annual list, which I imagine there are a lot of people who who are who are of that who are of that category, um, maybe I would encourage you to go go and listen to me me and Timothy, uh, aka Lucia Undead's weekly show, the weekly show that we do. Um, I feel like people didn't pick up that we have a name. It's Q and Quentin and Tim R. Just <laughs> every week, I think people just sort of like assume that it's like just like we're just coming up with these random names. It's like no, the name is Quentin Quentin and Tim R. I was under the impression that the podcast did not have a name. Yeah. Um, but if you, if you're someone that just pops in for this, I would encourage like give that, give that show a listen. You'll have heard my Jay white thoughts in real time. If you were, if you were following, if you were following us back in August, we were doing, doing a little bit of G one coverage. So, uh, maybe stick around for the weekly show that we do. And I want to, I want to do more psychology is that episodes this year. Didn't get mm-hmm. as much, didn't, didn't get as much time. Um, transitioning with jobs and i think like really trying to find footing with this weekly show but i think now that we have a, com- a comfortable stride going i think more psychology is that it's going to be coming in 2020 um so i would appreciate if you guys take that journey with me thank you all for listening hope you're here next time goodbye good goodbye